everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 332. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my host, David Bixen, Span and Bix. We were in 1996 last week. We're going to go back one year this week to 1995, and what a show we have this week. Yeah, we got a lot this week, and we, so wait, yeah, we went 94, 96, 95, I believe, right? Yeah, we've done that type of thing before where we've had those three years be in some type of formation three straight weeks. Yes. Funny how that works out that way. And it's always fun because there's always seemingly stuff that ties together. So looking for yeah, a lot of the same names. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the same names. And uh, yeah, it's also fun because we have a first time guest. Yes, for probably the first time in a while. You know, a longtime dear friend of ours and. Someone who, even before we really knew him better, more recent years on Twitter and stuff, someone who I know at least fulfilled an, a tape order or two for me back in the day. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I want to talk about this because 2001, 20 years ago, is, when, is really when I started devoting a lot of time to Death Valley Drivers message board. I started going there before, but 2001 is when I really became a uh, hardcore regular on there. And, you know, there was a great place to talk about independent wrestling and wrestling from all over the world. There was always a scene that got talked about on there that I was always intrigued with, and that was the SoCal scene, the Southern California independent scene. And Revolution Pro Wrestling was uh, the number one group at the time there. And you would hear about these guys that was there and all this stuff they were doing. Super Dragon, naturally. Uh, Excalibur, Disco Machine. And uh, some of the other guys that was around there. American Wild Child, Ron Rivera, um, Rising Sun, um, Jason Allgood, Matt Sinister, B-Boy was around there. There's so many great names in and out. Of did you say Excalibur yet? Yeah, I did. I said okay, Excalibur. you did. I wasn't sure. But let me talk about another man as part of that group, a man who uh, was one of the stars of the promotion and uh, Excalibur's tag partner at times and uh, one of the forefathers of the SoCal wrestling scene. And I'm so glad to have him on the show and talk to him for the first time. And uh, he's on for a special reason this week, which we'll get into as the show goes on. But, yes, we are joined by the legendary Ultra Taro. Saro, welcome to the show. Hey, that's Ultra Charles Jr. to you, sir. No, Saro Jr., sorry. Yeah, sorry. You, yeah, you forget hey, that hey, his, hey. Uh, his dad is technically psychosis, too. <laughs> and it, it's even funnier because there was another guy who was Ultra Taro, a local guy who never, I think his, once he was on XPW under the name Shooting Star, like he bought the gimmick off of, um, you know, psychosis, too, who, just on Triple Mini Regia, and I can't believe he's still wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, uh, as far as I know, I think this guy, this wrestler, owed uh, Wild Child some money. So, as payment, he took the Ultra Taro gimmick. So then, I'll give you some names. My, I was Ultra Taro Junior as a mini for my first ever match. The next day, Blitzkrieg was Mini Ultra Taro Junior. <laughs> uh, Super Dragon once was uh, Ultra Taro. And a uh, name you didn't mention, Mr. Excitement also was Ultra Mr. Charles. Excitement, yeah. How can I yeah. be Mr. Excitement? Absolutely. But, but then I ended up being the one who, you know, got, a, got got to wear it and stuck it out and then got got sick of people not figuring out my name and 
I, and I heard Ultraman in CMLL, Ultraman Junior was getting some uh, heat from, you know, the Ultraman company in Japan. So I was like, eh, if people can't see Ultra Taro, I'll just be Taro. <laughs> and of course, uh, the greatest Tokyo Garantai, sorry, yes. uh, Nosawa was in Red Oh, yeah. Red oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, I, joined, uh, I joined them without them knowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for those of you that, I mean, PWG was spawned off all this. I mean, it's amazing to go back and, and watch, you know, the old Red Pro stuff and like see the seeds being planted for what PWG would eventually turn into as time went along. And uh, yeah, if you've only seen Excalibur on AEW as an announcer and PWG's announcer, go back and watch them as a talent. Uh, tremendous and teaming with, with Taro. And there's so many. Maybe my favorite show, I think, was the It's Clubber in Time show. From the church, from the church, <laughs> where they oh had God. the had the show inside of a church. I mean, it's not a, inside amazing. a church gym, inside the actual church. in the in 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 the congregation. Yes, yes. In, in the building. Yes. So, uh, oh my goodness, good times, good times. Yeah, but but again, well, I mean, there's lots of great stuff like that from the SoCal scene, like the the, the game shows in the back of a Chinese restaurant. I, I wish I was there. A friend of mine actually filmed that filmed the handheld of that show. And I didn't go with him that day. Cause it was the day or two after the infamous show in the Puente. I'm sure you guys talked about the Aftershock show with Sabu and Al Snow with oh, yes. Jerry Front Yeah, because I was there for that, watching all that mayhem. <laughs> oh my God, yes, yes. So great times. But anyway, let's get to a simpler time in nineteen ninety-five. And we'll begin with everyone's favorite. World Championship Wrestling. Nitro on December 11th in Charlotte before 4,500 fans, 3,900 paying $38,000 gate. Saw Eddie Guerrero beat Mr. JL, Jerry Lynn at 422, with a crate on a great opener, three and a quarter stars. Paul Orndorff then pinned Disco Inferno in 217 with a back suplex, quarter of a star. Now Orndorff is doing his Gary Spivey routine here. Wonderful. And all that stuff. So let's go to what happens after the match, shall we? As the horsemen show up and uh, they were trying to get Ric Flair booed in Charlotte. And let's see how all that worked. And honestly, you can also tell even on this freeze frame at the end of the replay, you can tell his hands are in more shape from the nerve damage than ever before. Yes. Like you can, you can see why they're about to shoot the angle that they're, about to shoot. Yes. Now I've got three out of the four. Let's bring in the four horsemen. They are back on Monday Nitro. Is Gene wearing a bow tie or does it just look like it from the Brian, side? Brian, Brian, Pillman. <laughs> the Enforcer. Arn Anderson. Country indeed. And the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. As you know, a little bit later on tonight, right here live. It is a bow tie. On Nitro. Yep. It's going to be the Nature Boy and the Enforcer squaring off against Hulk Hogan and Sting. Before I get to that, though, Brian, Brian Pillman, come on He should in. have been in the nation. What is it like to be a part <laughs> of the Horsemen along with Chris Benoit? It's a chance of a lifetime to be a part of the greatest dynasty in the history of professional sports. Everybody on the planet wanted to be a Horseman, including the top dog. The Hulkster, he wanted it so bad. He chucked the prayers 
the vitamins and the training. Adorned himself in black. He played the bad guy. But when the whiskey drinking, skirt chasing, limo rotten got the best of him, he ripped off the black spandex and threw it in a burning trash can. Well, Hogan, we don't have the luxury of ripping our black hearts out of our chests because we are the bad guys. But I still want you to know, I love you, man. I'll give me a break, please. (laughs) How obvious, by the way, is it that Arn is helping him with his promos? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And Pillman's like having a time of his life doing this, too. But you get what I'm saying? That was just, that was Pillman doing an Arn promo in his own delivery. Like, to a T. Yes. Absolutely. The American males. Set Slick Rick Double A. Eight by ten glossies of them. And Steve McMichael. Can't comment on their content. But I'll say this, McMichael, for a big guy. You're pretty flexible. Okay, what, what's the point? Well, the point. They have pictures of Steve McMichael blowing himself? <laughs> He's called Mongo. So maybe he maybe he had uh, um, something humongous down there. I don't know. You want the dungeon to do? Yep, do you want to talk? No, I don't want the dungeon to do. No. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the Zodiac. <laughs> Everybody <Hey> was. <laughs> Let's not forget about the guy that just wrestled. Mr. Wonderful, who was once horseman material, had the killer instinct would cut your throat for 50 cents. Now, he's not a member of the Horseman. He's a member of the Psychic Friends Network. He's spilling his guts to Gary Spivey and Dion Warwick for four ninety nine a minute. You know, I don't know. Please, Please you're getting the, carried bring away. Bring the focus back to the athletes. Yeah. As no- By the way, look at how confident they are here in having Pillman lead this segment. Oh, Yeah. He, Absolutely. Like, I mean, we said this before, I think more on the Pillman Patreon show. His best work in this run is before he really ramps up the loose cannon stuff. Yes. Like here. Just straight up yeah, the horse whole time I'm heel Pillman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm watching going, wow, this is right before he goes off the deep end, so to speak. And I'm like, geez, these promos are just great. They're coherent and just to the point. It's good. Yeah. It's the enforcer. It's Flying Brian. And it's the Nature Boy. We are live. We are live from your hometown. In Charlotte, North Carolina. And tonight, when Hogan and Sting walk that aisle, they're going to meet up. Hey, 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 hey. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I have the utmost respect for you, Rick, and you, Arn Anderson. But let me tell you something, you snotty old little punk. Let me tell you what's really happening. The fact of the matter is, Pillman, I could have been a four horseman. <laughs> and that's the only reason that you are. Oh, the fact is, you've reached a high level of mediocrity. Brian, hold it a minute. 
Listen, Paul. Wait a minute. I know you got a bad temper. We don't want this. Not we don't here. want another incident like having a few months ago. He was a man's man. Uh-oh. Take it easy here, please. Let's let cooler heads prevail. No, no, wait a minute. Cooler heads is here. You got this snotty little, little punk up here running his mouth about me. Let me tell you something, Pillman. This is a fact. If you like carrying people's bags, if you like chauffeuring uh -oh. the four horsemen around, this one's gonna then blow I up. guess that Reminder. makes you a horseman. Because that's exactly what you're doing. You shouldn't even be one, and the only reason you want to escalate. Oh, you got a gallon of Here we go. Don't do this, Paul. Just you got the horseman. You stepped into that den of snakes. Break them up. Get them out of there. Get security down here. Mr. Wonderful Stuff, but three on one, it just ain't going to happen here. Well, you mess with one horseman, you mess with them all. It's that simple. No. Right in the solar plexus. A cheap suit. Well, Orndor should have known better than to come out here and get up in their face. Ah, oh, Ric Flair! You talk about oh, a no. cheap shot artist. They got him on the hard floor. Oh, no, 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 What's he no, sending no, him? no. He's sending him up for a big no. Oh, oh no. no! Oh, no! Uh-oh. Oh, they, they hit. The two of them drove his head into that hard floor. Let him... You know, wait a minute. Just, I know about neck injuries, and Orndorff is not moving. This doesn't. This this does not look good. This does not look good, gentlemen. If the top of his head hit that floor, all those nerves are gone in his neck. I I've seen this on the foot. He's not moving his arms or legs. I've seen this on the football field. Get in there, Tuck oh, Tosh. Yeah. better get him this. some help. I don't like to look at this at all. <laughs> yeah, he is not Tosh. moving a muscle. Right. Look at his mouth is wide open. We're, We'll try to make some sense of this. This happened yesterday in the Cincinnati game. Big Daddy Wilkerson right. had to carry him off on a stretcher. Coming up this Saturday night, 6.05. Let it go. Okay. To the pack. Let it go. Eastern only on TBS. In the main event, you're going to see Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman take on the Stinger. And it's going to be Flying Brian, the maggot you just saw, take out Paul Orndorff. He'll be basing Johnny B. And by the way, they're still using ABA face Pillman graphic. Yes, of course. All right. Man, with the dial on the course. Bunkhouse Park takes out Alex Wright. Eddie Guerrero in singles action. 6.05 Eastern, Saturday night, only on TBS, the most watched wrestling program each and every weekend. As we look on, Paul Orndorff. Get all this. I want to see Bunkhouse Park and Alex Wright. You said right before the commercial break, man, you see guys taking off the field like this, and they, it doesn't bode well. They, they were checking They were checking his feet to see if he had any feeling in him, and he wasn't moving. I see. I played with a guy that played in San Francisco by the name of William Fuller. He was, was that David Crockett. He took there? a shot like this, and oh, no, you know, a pile driver's nice bad enough. Yeah, that's a nice touch. Yeah, that's a And Rick Flair grabbed his legs and drove his head down with it. Good old Doug Gillinger. William Fuller never played a down again. I, I hope this hasn't happened to Mr. Orndorff, but it doesn't bode well. Well, we'll talk to Bobby Heenan. Uh, Heenan, you know, I've never really seen this much emotion out of him, but we'll, uh, we'll He's talk the to Bobby Heenan. In any event, the next match coming up, right. the wild card, if you will. Am I the only one that has a sudden urge to call the WWF Superstar line?
<laughs> well, Mon- Mongo got his fullers wrong. It was Jeff Fuller that was paralyzed. Uh, yeah. in the 40- well, not really paralyzed, but had the serious neck injury. And William Fuller was another NFL player, but Jeff was the one for the 49ers. Uh, Heenan, yeah, Heenan being there was a great touch considering their history. Absolutely. And his and own the- neck problems. And his own neck problems. So, um, yeah, Kevin, that was a that was a, a really good piece of business right there. Yeah, and I what I thought about later, it was interesting. They had Pillman lead the promo because they're probably thinking like, hey, we can maybe get more heat because you take you you know Flair and Arn, they're on the microphone. The people are gonna go crazy, popping, cheering for them. If you have Pillman lead it, you might actually get some booze. But it's not like Paul Orndorff was such a star in Charlotte that. They're going to heat off beating him up. About to hate well, to say it he, like had, that, he had been a fairly big star in for Crockett, but he didn't have a particularly long run there. No. Here's right. the thing. Here's the thing that's important to this, though. He's not a baby face. They want to boo because he's not a baby face. Right. I mean, you can't if they did something like that to a baby face that they didn't like, then it would have been even it'd been even, even more different. They would have they would have got more of a baby face reaction. Oh, can you imagine so, if they had done that to Riggs or Bagwell or Alex Wright? Or... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So doing it to Orndorff, like another heel, you know, that's, I think that was a, a good touch. Yeah. But it's the just, Pillman's so great. It's just so God, well constructed all around, like, especially for something that people don't necessarily cite as like this great angle. Like there's so many different elements to it. Pillman leading the promo like that. Um, the fact that. mannerisms. Well, yeah, when Orndorff comes out, that it's still the one camera, it's not blocked, because now this interview is disrupted. It's like some Memphis angles, where now, like, everything's kind of askew production-wise, people's backs are to the camera and stuff, but it comes off more natural. And, That's you know, good that, for sure. you know, and then also that the horsemen, even though they have some good momentum, they needed more of an edge. And this got them there. And I also like, especially if you're trying to get heat in Charlotte, even if it'll it's going to fail overall, I love that Pillman is not involved in the spike pile driver. No. He gets all the cheap shots in. Mm-hmm. Yes. But and, I, and like, it, it, I like that the most egregious so heat. But you get what I'm saying? I like that the most egregious heel action is Arn and Flair. Yeah, but it's just the, the Pillman, like the little the faces he would make when Orndorff was talking. Yes. Uh, shoot, try, doing the shooting the bird to the fans, kids, you know, kiss my ass while Gene's on the finger up. Like, don't do that. You know, um, God, he's, it's just so great at the little things here. It's, it's amazing to watch. All right, this is what Dave said about it. Talk about the, what happens. So Dave believes Orndorff's going to go on some type of surgery. So there's a storyline to explain his absence. Anyway, it didn't work at all. In fact, nothing on the show worked the way it should have, although it wasn't as if Hogan's reaction to Charlotte wasn't expected. Fans in the first few rows that were giving Hogan merchandise to wave around. Nobody actually buys Hogan merchandise at these shows. The stuff you see on TV's planted. <laughs> at the end of the show, we're ripping up the bandanas and throwing them at Hogan. <laughs> oh, Charlotte. Very good. Well, I mean, again, what do you expect? All right, so you heard Luger's music there. Luger beat Jim Duggan with a torture rack in 243, negative quarter of a star. <laughs> Gosh. So, yeah. so then we get our main event. Nitro's one hour still. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, Hogan and Sting right. beat Ric Flair and Arn Anderson in 1326 when Hogan pinned Arn with a leg drop in a two and a quarter star match. 
Hogan was booed out of the building again, this time more than ever. The crowd was dead for the first two TV matches, even though the first was a great match, because so many negative Hogan and, and, and pro flair signs were confiscated before the show, they left a live crowd pissed, and they didn't start reacting until Flair came out for the interview. Luger was also cheered, and the biggest pop of the night was when either Flair poked Hogan in the eyes or when Luger put Hogan in the torture rack. Luger did a run in during the main event, put Hogan in the rack outside the ring. Flair and Arn doubled up on Sting for several minutes. Sting first made the hot tag behind the rest back, and when Hogan asked the fans, they all screamed that Hogan hadn't made the tag. It was hilarious. Anyway, Hogan finally made the hot tag, popped about the arm spine buster, and pinned them with a leg drop. Luger ran in again, attacking Sting until Luger made the save for Sting, but then joined the horseman attacking Hogan until Sting made the save for Hogan. While this was going on, Savage did a run in and Sting punched him. Sting later apologized in a long, terrible post-match interview, which saw both Hogan and Sting on live television forget parts of the storyline each was involved in. Don't worry, we're going to play all this stuff, folks. Sting thought he punched Hogan last week when it was the other way around. Hogan talked about being suspended from WCW, which makes a lot of sense that he wrestled that night when it was a probation. Eric Bischoff was very sick, so he was below par calling the stuff. He still world's better than Vincent Mann that night. Mongo was actually worse than ever before, including botching up the names of two football players when making a comparison with Orndorff's injury. And Bobby Heenan doesn't get anything over, but at least he was funny two or three times. Well, he helped All the right. Orndorff thing over, even if it wasn't his announcing for the most part. All right, so we're going to watch the interest of Hogan here. So let's get the gist of this Charlotte crowd as Hulk Hogan makes his way out for the first time on camera. Well, and we should also note they've blocked off an unusually long amount of time for a Nitro main event here. Because well, they had that long afterwards. Yeah, because we are right at the end of Sting's entrance here as he's the next to last guy to enter. And we are at 34 minutes of a 55-minute show, which yep. this show must have had an overrun, right? Oh, it uh, had to. Like yeah. five, ten minutes. Yeah. yeah. Because... Yeah, because Nitro, Nitro at most should be 50 minutes in this era. Well, it's like, hey, as, as we'll talk about later with Vincent Mann, it helps when you have a TV network uh, own your company. Yes. <laughs> they got Hogan in the back there, or Hogan hit the door. I tell you what, this guy Sting is making me real nervous. You know, Sting's a guy, he's always been there, he's always stepped aside. He's stepped hey, there's some people cheering Sting, people are happy to see Stinger, that's good. For Hogan, yeah. look at now. So I believe this is addressed directly in the torch recap. What they did was they felt like it would be such an overwhelming negative reaction if his music played that they have him follow Sting out kind of angry and wanting to talk to him before Sting's entrance is complete. Uh, And you know what? Props to them. Even if it didn't yeah. really work, it, prob- yeah, it but probably kept trying. it from being worse, yes. Too. It would have been so much worse if he heard American Made. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, it would have been so yeah, much worse. Believe me, you know, I've told this story before. I was at the night show in Macon the month earlier when Hogan wrestled Sting, you know, when he was still in all black. And when that music hit, the, the entire main Coliseum just went, oh, I mean, it was horrible. So, yeah, it would have happened definitely here. But let's go back and see what, what what's going on. Also, he's wearing the rare faux tie-dye Hogan gear. <laughs> That's right, yes. With the shirt and the banana. He better change up his package or he's just going to get bumped back. We got a problem here. Oh, that man's got a problem. Hulk Hogan. He don't know who he can trust. 
Roman was happy to shake whatever fan was willing to shake his hand there. We are off, we are running, and we are going to find out who can trust who because it is all on the line here. And when I say on the line, with Starcade coming up, the trifecta, if you will, of Lex Luger, Sting, and Ric Flair vying to get a shot at who we presume will be the World Heavyweight Champion pending the outcome of next week's matchup. The Macho Man Randy Savage. This oh, is going stuff. to be a very critical match for all four athletes in the ring at this time. Well, Hulkster and Sting, the gun has sounded, baby, and I played with right, guys Paul. I didn't particularly care for. All right, let's, let's get to where Hogan comes in for the first time. Let's see if we can get <laughs> How that. How far he does that? I don't know. We'll just okay. skip ahead. I mean, Hogan looks so old there, too, you know? Well, I what I noticed, though, that so at this point, he's still lean. He has not put more size back on yet. But you can tell that he's likely gone back on something because this is the most cut he's ever been in his whole career. His hair is longer, too. Well, where he has it, yes. Yeah, it's longer in the back. It makes him look older that way. Here's the thing, too. All right, here we go. Okay, well, let me let me go back slightly so we have all the audio. But I was just going to say, it's honestly by, like, 91 he needed to change his hair. Yes. Because that's when he really—that and then dropping the size. Like, that's when he started to look old. The combination but you know what? of the point it's of no hard. return with the hairline and that. Go ahead. It's hard for men to come to grips with that sometimes. I was one of the lucky ones. I came to grips with it at a very young age. I was going bald, so I started shaving my head. But some men, they, they hold out hope. And I'm sure you, uh, both of you guys know other people, other guys like that. They hold out hope forever that they're going to, you know, hold on to that hair as long as they got it. Yep. Well, also. And hey, you know, ahead, Hogan, you know, even shaving the mustache didn't make him look younger. No. It oh, no. Not. Shaving the mustache made him look much older. It did. Yeah. That's what felt so weird. Like, oh, that's right. No well, that's mustache, the other, Hogan. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that the mustache hasn't fully grown back yet somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's see. Two athletes of this caliber. Well, when Hogan stepped into the ring at the introductions, Sting looked at him and Hogan said something. And Sting said, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hogan looking for a tag here. Looking for the tag. He's got it. He's got it. And now Hulk Hogan making his way to the ring. Center of the ring. Time out. Still no conversation between Hogan and Sting. Yeah, Arn Anderson was calling for a timeout. He didn't want any part of Hulk Hogan. And now this is what the crowd has been waiting for. They didn't much care for Arn Anderson looking for a timeout. But they do enjoy seeing Flower in there with Hulk Hogan. Some unfinished business here, I do believe. Former world champions going at it tooth and nail. By the way, I don't know if it's Oz Coleman or someone else, but whoever's doing the apron camera work is doing a terrific job in this match. And, and props to Bischoff for acknowledging that Flair's getting the big reaction. 
Well, they always did that in Charlotte. Yeah. They're not necessarily so, acknowledging the Hogan boos, but they're acknowledging the Flair cheers. But yeah, the fans are not happy with this man. Absolutely not. All right, so we're going to skip to the finish now. So let's watch all this plays out as uh, oh, we get a... Uh, uh, let's see, we have a run in here. We get a cacophony of people involved here. So let's go to the, the finish. Oh, well, that's right. a great picture of Hogan. <laughs> and, Randy, and Randy Anderson. Yes, Hogan <laughs> looks like he's about to do the U, and Andy, Randy Anderson is selling it. Yes. <laughs> 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 Why is it taking so long for the mustache to grow back? By the way, <laughs> who knows what what movie did he save it for? Um, God, in this era, I don't think it was a movie. He really? did I, no. I think he did to sell to. They did no. They did it for the angle, but I don't think it was a movie related thing to do it. Like the Orndorff oh. things to get him out for surgery. I don't think right. that was an actual reason why they did it. So I don't know. I think it's just for the angle, and they're probably... I mean, he's probably annoyed that it's growing back so slowly. Yes. Um, All right, let's see. But yeah, I don't think there's a movie. Because, like, when I think of the Hogan changes, though, like, it's all, you know, the wig movies that come in the next couple years. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, Three Ninjas, I Knew to Make a Mountain, whatever the one is where he plays Hardball Cutter, Assault on Devil's Island, etc. The punishment these men can take. Hogan! Hogan hammering away on Art Anderson! He's got him! He's got him! He's got him! Leg drop! Whoever agented that finished have Sting hit the Stinger Splash while Hogan got the pin so the crowd would be popping, is a genius. Oh, yeah. That's great and great and look great, too. Yeah. Timing. It's over now, Pillman! Pillman! Here comes the little weasel. For the second time tonight! Well, he's a horseman. He has an investment here. He has to be in there. They are now Ric Flair! Arn Anderson! Here comes Lex Luger! Oh, my God! That's right, he's telling him, leave my buddy Sting alone. But he's not helping Hogan. Pillman now goes after Hogan. Oh. Hogan. Hogan. They're being... taking Hogan apart like a Thanksgiving turkey. Hogan being triple teamed. In the meantime, it's Lex Luger and Sting. Sting trying to make his way over to help Hogan. See, I told you, Sting's helping Hogan. Delay of game here. And now, the heavyweight champion, Savage. Savage has hit the ring. What's he going to do now? Oh, no! Here we go. Stinger wants a piece of the world champion. Look at oh, Savage. Let's oh. go. Let's see what you're made of. Come on, put him up. Uh-oh. Oh, man. That was clearly mistimed. That was clearly because oh. Sting was supposed to turn around and punch Savage immediately. But he does. That's the beginning. It's the beginning of the WCW everybody that's about to take place here. So, <laughs> but yeah, it, like it's he turns around, stops, recognizes that it's Savage, and then punches. He stares right at him and punches him. I mean, and this whole time I've been watching all this and I'm going, 
Where's the WCW, everybody? Because everything we've talked about has been logical. There's been some really good things on this show, the way they've done it. And I'm like, oh, now we're going to jump off the cliff. Oh, here it comes. Yes. It's the ro- yeah, it, we're, we're on a downward spiral right now. So yeah. here we go. And I also love Luger that as soon as Sting is okay and Sting he just is fending around else off, he's like, okay, my work here is done. <laughs> but well, Luger didn't attack Luger and his Dave's. No, but as we've said every time we cover this era, for consistency and creativity and actually the storyline making sense for once, this Luger run might be the best long-term storyline in the entire run of WCW. Yeah, the nuance into everything, absolutely. Because it's always very specific, though. He's always, he sings French. Well, now now we're about to lose all. Nuance. <laughs> well, yeah, but now we're the. Man, what is going on here? Oh no. man, we got a war. Now Logan's trying to be the referee. Of course, Sting wants your belt, Macho. This thing is going to explode right between our very eyes. It's been building up for weeks. Well, and even next better, Monday, the giant takes on Savage. Starcade. I mean. Where are we going? Where are we going? I'll tell you what. We're going to try to make some. All right, let's go now. Let's go to Gino. Come on, take it, Gino. Let's go. All right, gentlemen, I thank you very much. Let's see if we can sort this out. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Sting. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Sting, I don't know what's going on with you. You're friends with Luger. You're friends with Hogan. And apparently it doesn't set well with anybody. What? We got uh, enough problems around. Yeah, I'm not sure what you reacted to there. Sorry, did you see that that dude in the cam- that was looking at the camera ripping up the bandana? Uh, no, I missed it. Oh, darn okay, it. I need go to go back, back. Go back. Go back. Go back. Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. Go back. Thank you. Go, go back, back again. Just yeah. catch the. All right. Here Beach. we go. So watch the thing here. You know, as far as <laughs> I'm concerned, played to the hard cap. Sting. I don't know what's going on yes, with he's you. On the hard in a brave cap. Good job. Your friends with he's Hogan, not opposite and apparently the hard it doesn't set well with anybody. We got enough problems well, around, around here. Just listen to what's going on, man. Yeah. I mean, give me a break. Stinger. The guy that what? threw the bandana. <laughs> he then threw it at Hogan and hit Savage. <laughs> Amazing. That guy had a hell of a moment right there. He looked like Jeff Foxworthy, oh, yeah. too. <laughs> so there you What's go. going on with you guys, man? We need to be fighting them, not amongst ourselves. Randy Savage. Someone just you know, threw trash you, you at Stinger. hanging around with Hulk Hogan. Why would you discourage him from having Lex Luger as a friend? I don't like Lex Luger. In fact, I hate him, all right? Brother, what's going on? Just tell me straight up, man. That's a good right hook you got, but what's the deal? But let's talk about it on national television here, Sting. Listen, last week... Here we go. I hit Hogan. What? But afterwards, I looked into his eyes. I knew he didn't mean it. I shoved didn't my best what? friend aside. What? And in the heat of the battle... And fighting for my life, Macho Man, I hit you. The arms went up like that. I didn't know where you were coming from, so I started swinging. <laughs> but let me tell you something. You got to look into my eyes and know that I wish I could take it back, but I can't. Brother, brother, putting it aside, he just saved my rear end in here, man. He just saved my rear end. And you hit him, Randy. That's we got to cool it down, man. What? Randy hit who? <laughs> he slapped Sting, but after the after Sting protected him. 
<laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> Keep it going, because it's about to get worse with Hogan in his grand. What, 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 an, what an actor. WCW's up and in. I'm on suspension. You guys are in the final <laughs> match. It's flair, man. I'll tell you what, emotions. I always check the guy's eyes to see where they're coming from. And I'm the master of disaster of overreacting, and I know that it's a fault. But I say we all take a chill pill. And I think, subliminally, all the respect that I have for you is just unbelievable. Me and Hulkster talk about it. We don't want you to get away from us. I want you to stick with us all the way. Is that cool? That's extremely cool. Brothers, you got to get by the giant, man. You got the giant, man. You might not even be the champion if you don't get your act together next week. Stinger, we need your help, man. He saved us, brother. He saved us tonight. All right, gentlemen, I'm sorry. We are running short on time. You've got your work cut out for you, Randy Savage. I've got giant problems, but in the same sense, we've all got giant problems. And let's stick together, dig it? We're going to come back after All right, this that's it. I thank you very we're much. Gonna, we're going to come back. We're going to go over here, but thank we're going to come back. Thank you very much. Back. We're going to be back with more we gotta on Nitro after this. Yeah, we got to get this back. straightened out. I wonder if it's not a plan. All right, guys. Woo. Man. Man, you talk about a barn burner. I tell you what, this one was out of control. Let's try to figure it out. First of all, we know that next week, right here on Nitro, the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, must face the Giant. The WCW World Heavyweight title will be on the line. That means that, in all possibilities, at Starcade, coming up on pay-per-view December 27th, it could be the Giant as the World Heavyweight Champion. Randy Savage on the shelf. Flair... Sting and Luger all vying for a shot at the Giant. It could happen. It could happen here beginning on Nitro next week. Well, next Monday night, I predict you're going to see a new heavyweight champion of the world. Savage has that bum arm. His arm's in bad shape. His mind's in bad shape. He don't know who he can trust. The Giant is thinking straight because he's got the Taskmaster behind him. And at Starcade, if it's going to be Flair, if it's going to be uh, Luger, or if it's going to be uh, Sting, whoever it's going to be is going to have to wrestle the Giant. Because next Monday night, it's over for Savage, and it's just the beginning for the Giant. I want to talk a little bit with Steve about next Monday night, because we know the Giant is All here. Right. Fan, or, excuse me, going after. Bischoff's confused, too. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, also, I just noticed something, too, because this is the first time we've seen Bischoff on camera recording this. Bischoff is wearing the Vince... Raw announcer look of the era, with yes, the is. jacket over the tur- over the turtleneck that looks vaguely Catholic priestish. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 very Vincey here, but good God of mine. <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, me and Bix had never done promos before, and you know, in the ring, live and stuff like that. You've done them, Taro. So t- I mean. I mean, I guess you can, you know, get confused at times when in the heat of the moment, I guess. There is a lot going on there, to be fair. I guess the only thing I can say for them, to be fair, you have three guys in there all talking to each other. Like, if it's just me, it might be easier. But if it's me and other people, I could see where I'd be like, okay, wait, you know, if we're not playing off each other well, you know, you might get a little lost in the details. But this is way, way too much going on. I mean... I mean, even the end, I'm like, wait a minute. I thought Hogan told me to observe this and Macho's arm was fine. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden still hurt, you know? 
Yeah. Now the Sandy's hurt. God, just some amazing, amazing shit going on here. <laughs> yeah, Wait, were you saying that the rag sheets say that the Macho Man has a legitimate <laughs> arm injury? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, I was just saying Hogan said to observe this, and he threw something in a trash can. I don't know what he's talking about. And Hogan's acting here is just... Insane. Uh, oh I, okay, so I'm. By the way, I'm looking through the Hogan filmography, and I'm pulling oh up gosh. the trailer now to check. Um, his like nerdy alter ego in Secret Agent Club. Does he have the mustache shaved there? It's possible. Okay. Yes, he does. But he has the mustache when he's pl- when he's doing his secret agent missions. Okay, so that's he, why uh, this is also a yeah. Hulk Hogan wig movie then too. So this is the first Hulk Hogan wig movie. <laughs> I'm glad you're keeping track of all the sticks. Yes. Um, uh, I meant to ask earlier. Can I ask one question? So was sure. this the actual end of Paul Orndorff's in-ring career? This is it, right? Yes. yes. He never came back after that. Okay, no. I want to make sure of that. He did no. the one match or two. Yeah, in, that would count. You know, 2000, 2001, but that's it. Oh, okay. All right. And like we, we said earlier, he clearly needed to retire. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. The way his hands and arms looked, and on both sides, too. You know, it wasn't just the one side here. Like, yeah. He clearly needed to stop wrestling. Um, it clearly also was able to reverse some of the damage, though, because... When he does come back, while well, the one arm looks terrible, the other arm looks fine. Right. So. Anyway. All right. Bischoff continually watches Raw on a monitor that many fans of the building can see during the live shows. So if he acts distracted, that's why. Okay. <laughs> Eric repeatedly swears this is not true. He says, yeah, or... <sighs> He says there was a monitor in the tr- he was he said the monitor in the truck had raw on to time breaks, but that he did not have a feed of raw at the desk. I kind of think he's bullshitting because I would think Dave would get this from fans. But you know what? Think about the way that the Nitro set is set up. How well could any fan see any of their monitors, especially considering they're surely using that's a pretty big desk it could be installed inside the desk but still i'm saying it's like it's you know one of those six inch monitors though it's not matter but i'm saying it's not going to be that easy to see what's on it if you're sitting well the yeah remember where that they're right there with the fans in those areas the fans all they do is look and you can see it if they can see up there yes or depending on where the there It's right there on. It's it's lo, kind of level to the railing. No, well, no, it it's that. No, they're on a platform. A small one. Okay. But if they're one level above in that area, you might be able to see what they're looking at. I wouldn't be surprised. Perhaps, yeah. And Bix, you're trusting Eric Bischoff's memory, which yes. you know. No, but I think yeah. I'm not saying that as much as I how do I put this? I mean, we've learned in recent years, though, at least as far as having it in a tr- in the truck, that's a completely standard thing. Yeah, but I think I I, I think he probably did have a, at least the beginning. Maybe maybe he's forgotten that, but he probably had the beginning. That that might be the way that the truth could be in the middle. I I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, I think 
if if he's distorting it at all, I think it's because it, and you know, and I mean, I think he even said this to me when I did the, an interview with him for a Fighting Spirit article about Nitro. He hates that the narrative is that the monitor was there, and thus it shows how obsessed he was with Vince. When, like, he has it a little different from it being in the truck, but it's not really that big a deal. No, and it's not like, I'm sure WWE somehow had Nitron somewhere in the building, you know what I mean? Come on. Yeah, but, so, but you gotta remember, though, they're only taping every three weeks. That, all right, that's true of that in this period for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, they're not live every week. Right. All right. So, let's talk about uh, the overrun show. Went about nine minutes long to get the advantage of having the extra quarter hour at the end, at the end, back into the rating. It's a great <laughs> trick. It's a, it's, it's a great trick. And if they do it continually, Nitro should consistently beat Raw in the ratings. Ash is a lot closer than Dave figured since WCW had a marquee match and a benefit again extra quarter at the end. Plus, the real atmosphere of seeing Hogan boot out of a building made for compelling television, even if it was technically a disaster in many ways. Doing a 2.6 rating, tying their record in a 3.7 share. Raw did a 2.5, 3.4 share. Nitro Replay did a 0.9, 2.4 share. On the weekend numbers, all Saturday night, do a 2.4. It's best in a long time. Main event, 1.9, and Pro, 1.4. So there you go. There's your reason. <laughs> But they only beat Raw by point one on a tape Raw, you know. So, well, because it's so much more important to tape live, you know, we've heard that forever, and it's not. <laughs> and, and, and Raw had Brett and Brett and Backlund in the main event, mm-hmm. which you know, and other things going on. But yeah, yeah, I, I wish that we got detailed viewership information more in this era, though, because. Like, yeah, do the two networks have similar footprints? So the cable rating, it's not going to be that far off. It's still a pretty decent guide. But still, like, the denominator is not the same for the two networks. So it should, it never, really never should have been directly compared the way it was. Dave or whoever should have always been running the household figure, too. All right, Wade, uh, on this, besides uh, being a pro-flair crowd in general, the fans at the Charlotte show were almost angrily anti-Hogan because before the show went on the air, WCW confiscated the signs, fans threw free merchandise back at the officials. Before the show began, Hogan's music playing and the fans booed, chanting, we want flair. That explains why Hogan's intro music didn't play during his reintroduction. <laughs> I'm there glad someone took note. <laughs> yeah, how unlike WCW of them. So. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Torch also had Flair and, and Arn on the John Boy and Billy show. Still going, by the way, in 2021. When John Boy asked Arn what's Sting's problem, Arn responded, he's starting to believe his own press. Hogan and Savage called the show and had a verbal conversation with Rick and Arn. When a, then when a caller asked Rick when he was going to win the belt back, Flair said, as soon as I can get the macho chicken in the ring... When Arn was asked when Sid was coming back, <laughs> Arn said Sid had enough me in a hotel room in England. You want to see Sid curl up on a ball? Ask him when he's going to be a horseman. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> and, and hey, you know what? Flair won the belt, Starcade, a month later, or at the, at the end of this month, actually. So there you go. Yeah. As he got Macho in the ring, he got the belt back. Very good. <laughs> 
Arnold said it's tremendous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that is outstanding. Okay, so uh, real quick, I did pulled up the spreadsheet where there are based on the inf- numbers we have estimates for what the universe was at this time. So we don't have our week in here. The closest for TNT for Nitro at least puts their universe at a little under 66.4 million homes. And then what's the closest we have for USA? I guess it would be the March one that's here. And that is just under 66.8. So they're in over a million more homes, close to 2 million. So, I mean, WWF is. So that should be kept in mind. I mean, there, someone else would have to do the math, but there's a there's a much greater than zero chance that Raw actually had more viewers on this night. Or more household, I should say. Oh, okay. And speaking of Charlotte, Ric Flair was the subject of a Charlotte Observer column by Thomas Tom Sorensen, who we talked about before on this show, on December 10th. And now we get some clarity on this subject. Sorensen said Flair is the greatest wrestler of all time. Sorensen also wrote about going to the University of Minnesota with Ric Flair. How about that, Bix? Oh, How why about... Tom Sorensen is always cheerleading Ric Flair. There we go. <laughs> there we go. I never knew that until I put in the notes. I was like, holy shit. That, that explains a lot. Wasn't he also the one that tried to organize the boycott in 91? Yes. He also <laughs> was the one that, uh, not revolving Flair, but went off on, on Crockett for their treatment the Rock and Roll Express in 88 when they quit. Wasn't he also pushing some stuff in 98 with Flair, too, and the Free Rick Flair chants and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is December... Oh, I put in 96 by mistake. That's why I was trying to pull up the article. Uh, wait, it's December 10th, you said? Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. I have to dig a little deeper then, because at least putting in Sorensen's name did not uh, did not pull it up. But let's see. I'm All right. Well, well, else yeah, well, yeah. You go while I try to find well, this. Oh, please. I, I love this next part. It was also announced that Sting and Kiss Kicks Sasaki's match of Starcade would be non-title. Word is that Saki will lose a title in either January or February, most likely February to Conan. Meanwhile, Psychosis is also coming in for either a Nitro or a Clash match with Conan, and they're talking about using other AAA wrestlers on big shows. Dave couldn't figure out why they're going so strong with Conan, but he's pretty well convinced that it was a way to get AAA talent away from ECW. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and and F- David Finley will be from England, is also expected to come in in January. Yep, you're right. You're right, Carl. That's <laughs> exactly what it is. Of course. You know, you have Kevin Sullivan in there. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, you know, Nancy's there. You know, she's obviously watching what's going on. And those guys got so over and they're looking to create cruiserweights. They are, oh, sorry. They already, you know, they already okay. have, you know, Eddie at this point, you know, and they're watching. Of course they're watching. They have spies so, on the inside. And Sullivan has always talked about, you know, he wants that that variety show you know, and, and once that type of stuff on the shows, you know, to give everybody, you know, everybody something to watch different things. And yeah, I mean, it was great business to do that. That's, that's a thing too. You needed to do that. Of course. <laughs> and, and you're hurting your comp- competition as well. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. Had David uh, been even wrestled in the United States at this point? I don't think so. I no. don't think so. No, no, so no. I'm assuming Finn, uh, 
Regal. 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 Yeah. yeah. Regal. Okay. But come on, we got to talk about this. Sasaki one man gang. Come on. Yes. <laughs> we got to know about that. Yeah, <laughs> we got we got that. Yes. What the U.S. <laughs> title booking was so fucking weird. <laughs> These these uh, dark match title changes. I mean, just so fucking weird, man. Well, let's okay. So let's track it real quick. In 1995, well, no, even going back a little bit. Let's go back over a year. Okay. Austin's the champion, having his long run, loses it to Steamboat at the Clash after feuding for the previous few months. Steamboat gets hurt at a show that I believe you were at, right? Yes, I was at that show in Lancaster, California in 94, yes. Okay, so for the record, what is your understanding of what the spot was before I continue? That is it that he bumped his I, tailbone on the apron doing the skin the cat? Because there's a zillion stories about what went wrong. Was it that? I, I, and I honestly can't tell you. I know because I've never seen it except for when I was there live. And in the moment, it didn't really seem like anything had really happened. Hmm. And that is on video because someone I was with that night actually taped the show – which will tie in later to what I'm going to tell you about, you know, the AAA show. But um, <laughs> I never got a chance, re- you know, to revisit that footage. But it's one of those things, and later we realized that was Steamboat's last match, and just like one of those things where it's like he did it so well, I didn't know. And by the way, before we continue that, either December 10th is the wrong date, or it's one of those articles where the OCR is so messed up on newspapers.com that it's not finding it. Um, but anyway, so, okay, so Steamboat has to vacate the title. They false advertise him in Austin for Fall Brawl. They do the Duggan bullshit. They do a bunch of terrible finishes in the Duggan-Austin feud, because Austin is understandably pissed off. Then Duggan loses it to Vader. Vader is basically stripped of the title for Rudissimo. And then they do the tournament, where... In the which round is it? I guess the quarterfinals. Uh, Alex Wright is DQ'd against Ric Flair because Randy Savage thro- runs in and throws Alex Wright out of the ring. <laughs> so that very Sting, WCW finish. Yes, yeah, Sting yeah, beats Ming in the tournament final. Then Sting loses it to Kensuke in Japan. Mm-hmm. On the same night that a taped Nitro was airing where Kensuke was losing to Benoit. <laughs> he then retained the title against everybody. Benoit at the pay-per-view. So at least they set that up. Then right. they realize, oh, wait, how do we get the title off Kensuke, Japanese politics? Well, first of all, let's transition the title using one-man gang who has just debuted. And it has to be a, it's a dark match at Starcade. Yes. After the pay-per-view goes off the air, after the crowd has seen Randy Savage gaff the shit out of Ric Flair seemingly without his consent and win the title, the Mm. arena is nearly empty and all blacked out, and and gang, he hit a splash, and they do this disputed near-fall thing in the building and restart and Kensuke retains— Right, but they they shoot it caref- and edit it carefully enough to make it a title change with that, with that edited out. So in the magazines in Japan, it's not a title change. On TV, it's a title change. And so then Gang goes to Conan in a main event exclusive on Saturday morning, if I remember right. <laughs> yes. And then Conan is the champion 
while also being the quote unquote Mexican heavyweight champion, which I believe at this time he's using a Rezzy's IWAS belt, I think. And main event, no, main event still Sunday at, the, at that time. So was main it main event or was it pro? It was a main event. So, okay, but still, it was a main event exclusive, you know, yes, on a recap show. Yes, that they did um, the title change. <laughs> and then he loses it to Flair, well, and then Flair tears his ro- yeah. rotator cuff and has to go out, and they do another tournament. Yeah. So, Bix, because I, I remember, did he already have the U.S. title when he wrestled Seacoses on that clash? No, he's still just the Mexican no. heavyweight he, had, he just had the Mexican heavyweight title, whatever that was. IWAS. It was yeah. IWAS, because I was thinking it was IWC on top of my head, but I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> he, he did switch physical belts at times, though. Okay. But initially, right. I believe it's the IWAS belt, because, yeah, the okay. photo of him and Hogan is with the IWAS belt. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> That's Fantastic. just, oh, just so WCW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I, has anyone ever explained, though, why, like, nothing against George Gray, but he was not what he had been, and it just debuted, and why him? Ask Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, there you go. Well, right, Kevin Sullivan Am- did have a soft spot for gang, though. Public Envy on the uh, July, Jan- July, January 23rd clash from Las Vegas, because the Nasty Boys. There's some problem over the name, though. Originally, they were going to be the Mac Daddies, but now <laughs> WCW believes they can use the Public Enemy name by going through Def Jam. The record company that owns the rap group's name. Although Paul Heyman claims he has rights to use a name in wrestling. Okay, of course let's he... fire up USPTO.gov. Fuck's sake. Well, if anybody's got his Def Jam, because Public Enemy has been Def Jam at this point for 10, 10 years. But also, trademarks, like, depending on what the Public Enemy trademark for the musicians actually said, it's possible they wouldn't even need permission. Because he couldn't just say it's for music, you know? It's like Sting and Sting can be Sting and Sting. Yeah. You know, and it's like, there was like, you know, I mean, what was the old movie Public Enemy number one with... uh, Number one. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's slightly different. I'm trying to think, I'm like, how can you work around this by using different subjects for that copyright? I I had to mute myself because the Mac Daddies just made me laugh so hard. The Mac (laughs) Daddies. Isn't that great? Wouldn't that have been it's awesome? so 1995, 96, yeah. Yes. The de- Daddy Max, Mac Daddies. Oh, that's been tremendous. Chris Cross will make it. Oh, yeah. And that's three, and that was three years yeah. old by this time. So, yeah. yeah. All right, the Bushwhackers are supposed to come in as Luke and Butch <laughs> from Down Under. <laughs> this Titan knows the Bushwhackers' name. <laughs> Dave has no idea why, if they meant anything. Wouldn't Titan, which desperately needs anything, still use them? Thankfully, that should be the sheep herders. Yeah, why not? Come but, on, just make them those pastores. Let's give them that. You know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, bring them in as sheep herders as heels. That'd been great. Yeah. Okay. Go back to being the old sheepers. You're both going to love this. All right. I'm scrolling. At first, I'm clicking these. Okay, not wrestling, not wrestling. And then I realize, oh, wait, one of these trademarks is for the public enemy. That should be the right one. It is. Who do you think the trademark was filed by and when? Paul Heyman. Close. HHG Corp of Scarsdale, New York. Yes. Oh, come on. <laughs> when do you think, when do each of you think it was filed? Uh, December 1995. Oh, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's tremendous. I don't know if I can beat that guess. Even better, January 19th earlier. 96. 
<laughs> so let's see what date the Clash of the Champions is. January twenty third. Yep, January twenty third. Yep. <laughs> that that is so Paul Heyman. That is tremendous. I love it. And I can't think of the specific examples, but I feel like we've encountered similar things to this on the Patreon shows. Yeah. Just the Heyman way. Yeah. Which again, sign up for the Patreon, you know, sign for, you know, uh, give me the, give me the link, Bex. Come on. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. Thank you. Cause I'm a Patreon and I'm way behind all this stuff, but I'll catch up eventually. Oh, you're going to love the John Collins stuff. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm that. Yeah, I, I'm really curious about all that stuff. Oh, they yes. did get it though, it, but it wasn't fully registered until November '96, <laughs> and then it was canceled in August '03. Which isn't that right after well, Ted Petty died? That's pretty close to when he passed away. Yeah, yeah. because I mm. want to say, because wait, actually, wait, 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 wait. Was the twenty was the two thousand two Sweet Science sixteen Ted Petty Invitational or was two thousand three the first? Oh no, he had died already. Ted, um, Ted Petty died in two thousand two. Yes, so that's right. And then the September Sweet Science sixteen was right after that. So Ian changed it to the Ted Petty Invitational. Yeah. All right. Um, the plan right now is to start on January eighth with a show in Charleston, South Carolina. Nitro will take two shows every other week, so they will be live every week. We suspect to save the company about $2 million next year, which they do this for a while, but of course they have to change that strategy. Well, they don't do it ever. They don't make it a regular thing, though. They do a hand, they do a small handful of tape shows over the next several months. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's not a regular thing. I'm guessing that WCW turning an on paper profit helped change things. Well, of course. Because it was the first time ever. Mm hmm. Sonny Ono's role has changed this week from being a part of New Japan Pro Wrestling to being a rich businessman who is not part of New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought he was an announcer from Japan on the Colton <laughs> Korea pay-per-view. No, that was... Okay, That's that, Mr. Ishikawa. No, was that Mr. Ishikawa? That's another that name. Ken, it's Ken Shikawa. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Ishikawa was on the board of directors, the uh, WCW International Board. And oh, then, I'm sorry. That wasn't Sonny Ono. Well, okay, but what's, Mr. Okay, so then what's his name as the referee in the martial arts match at Uncensored? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Kensuke Ishikawa, no, I guess. No, isn't there one where he's Kazuo? Kazuo Ishikawa, yes. Oh that's where he uses his real first name. Yes, I think he's Kazuo Ishikawa yeah. at Uncensored, Mr. Ishikawa on the board of directors, and then Kensuke Ishikawa at Collision in Korea. <laughs> and then a few months after that, he shows up as Sonny Ono. So he portrays four different television characters in 1995. Oh my gosh. WCW, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> WCW, everybody. Why did he Absolutely. have to have a fake name, though, when Christine LeBlanc and Dieter Krapp get to have their real names? <laughs> I, 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 I well, Dieter Krapp was his real name. I don't know if Christine LeBlanc yeah, or Tatiana DePaz were real names. <laughs> He was using his real name, though, Mr. Shikawa, just Mr., not... Well, no, that's not his real name. His real name's Kazuo Ono. Oh, oh that's right. That's right. Yeah, it is Ono, isn't it? That's right. You're Thank right. Thank you, because I want to ask that question. I'm like, I've never known what his actual real name is. That's great. Thank you. Kazuo Ono. There you go. Right. Yes, I Maybe believe he's he changed his middle name to Walt, though, because he loves Disney World so much. 
<laughs> well, at least you didn't change it to Yoko. There's that. Oh, Yoko well, he spells well, it differently, at least. Oh, come yeah. on. It's just the long N sound in there. Oh, yeah, the oh, no. <laughs> yes. All right, uh, Torch has this old news, but this is in our week. Regarding the finish of World War III, Hulk Hogan signed on the ropes and avoiding the elimination was apparently an in-ring audible by Hogan. Originally, he was slated to be eliminated over the top rope. He told the final few wrestlers in the ring his new finish late in the match. Creative control, dick. brother! What a dick. <laughs> you know? What a dick. Also, that's well, not how creative control this- works. Yeah, I, I know, but but we thought I didn't get a chance to this earlier. But you know, he had to pin Arn Anderson in that match earlier to get his heat back for when Arn pinned him on Nitro Web a month or two before that. Arn pinned him two times. Yeah, it's like oh, I got pinned Arn in this match, brother. <laughs> yeah, but calling audibles and changing finishes in the ring that's, yeah, that's Bush. I mean, you, you've been in the business, you've wrestled many matches. I mean, that that's Bush. <laughs> I've never. I, if the finish was changed, it'd be like, somebody's hurt. We need to do something. You know, like, I got knocked out once in the match. It's like, okay, we're going home. I'm like, all right. And then I'm yeah. getting beat up in game pen. And I'm like, all right, good. We're done. Get me out of here safely. <laughs> and exactly. Safely. Exactly. Yeah. Shit. Uh, no, that, that ain't cool. If also, I've been one of those other guys, then they would have paid for that. It's refusing to do a job in a battle royal. <laughs> And, and on top of that, <laughs> um, where was I going with this? Oh, this doesn't go anywhere. It, it absolutely not. It had that one nitro after the fact where they had lost the tape. Yes, and, that, and was then it. that was it. That was it. Amazing though, how there were no issues with the home video release. Uh, oh, of course. We put WCW way too way over so much that they gave that Nitro so well done, and all of a sudden, just like, this nope, way, now it, this the is shit w- the fan. This is WCW. This is their yeah. line. I had hope for a minute here. We visited yeah. from 16, 26 years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a boss had to come in with a new gimmick. Well, it takes a while, but he does. <laughs> hey, how about this note? Brian Pillman's WCW contract expires in April. Oh, well, it did. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, how about that, huh? Uh, so, okay, we didn't we didn't talk about this on the Patreon show because so much of it wasn't really in the newsletters. Um, I mean, we talked about it, but we talked about it in the context of, bar- of it barely being touched on the newsletters. So the whole thing about the fake release that was actually a real release. Okay. Historically, while never saying so, I think explicitly, Meltzer has placed it as being part of a worked firing after I Respect You Booker Man to get the ECW thing over. But no one reported it, anything. Um, Leo O'Rourke's book, I believe, puts it as a few days before Uncensored, which there the idea is that it was like a compromise to, like, help get over that he's not going to be in the Doomsday Cage and blah, blah, blah. And I believe Kim Wood talks like the Meltzer version is the right one. Uh, The thing is, though, again, like, he didn't... Like, if he had any extra leverage that he got out of that, it was barely any. At most, he got several weeks out of it. Like, he was able... He was free... If he got it, he was free and clear to fully negotiate with WWF sooner, but that's about it. 
but he didn't see, he wasn't close to signing with anyone when the car crash happened. You want to go back to WCW? Yeah, it was it just very weird. And then on top of everything else, you know, the whole idea of the con with the real termination notice allegedly, you know, to work, to keep it from leaking out of the office that it was a work based on what his contract was for and the payroll data we have for WCW from the racial discrimination lawsuits, they paid Pillman on the books through the end of his contract. Yep. So I don't know who would know what about that, but if that was the idea and Bischoff bought into it, but that it's pointless because it could have got, I mean, it was moot because no one reported that he was fired anyway. But it wouldn't have mattered because eventually someone probably would have pointed out that he's on payroll. Mm-hmm. WCW, everybody. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to uh, the torch still. WCW event promoter Zane Brezloff got more publicity last week in Denver. In December 8th, Rocky Mountain News, columnist Norm Clark quoted Brezloff saying, they try to make USC look like martial arts and it's just street fighting. Barry Faye and I have a reputation for being up and up. Once was enough. It just wasn't right. When asked he would suggest USC matches were fixed, Breslov said, a lot of people think so, but I don't. Breslov also questioned whether the purse was properly dispersed. Okay. You know, what's interesting about that, of course, though. Who was the secret local promoter of the first UFC in Denver? Zane Breslov. There you go. Yeah, and Barry Faye... If I'm not mistaken, it's a guy that used to promote uh, indie shows in Vegas uh, using LaBelle's talent and not not early 80s. Oh, actually, okay, wait a second. Reading the quote again, he's talking about being the promoter. The once was enough, but it's not made super clear here. And Barry Faye was his partner on this show Hmm. on the UFC. But, it was probably yeah. in Barry. It was probably in Barry Fay or his company's name because it was secret because he was still working for the WWF. Yeah, but yeah, Fay was promoting in Vegas in the early '80s uh, with, like I said, LaBelle and Southwest talent. So there you go. All right, uh, and to close out, the muscle building drug stack of choice right now appears to be growth hormone combined with a German version of Anavar for those who make that choice. There hasn't been a drug test in a long time, perhaps almost two months. And even so, you can't test for GH in this country yet. Any other drug is supposed to head the testing as well. Although it doesn't matter anyway if you don't test or do test and don't punish. On a WCW show in Phoenix, it appeared that numerous guys were making great muscular gains. And that may explain why in some or most of the cases. Hmm. Mm, exactly. Mm. Um, well, Anavar is a cutting steroid. What did we just say? What did I just say about Hogan earlier? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he <laughs> does not look like he's on growth hormone here, though. No, he doesn't. I, I really can't think of anyone that looks like Telltale. They have gro- they're on growth hormone here. Actually, maybe Pillman because of the changes in his face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he looks like he might be uh, dabbling. Well, also, who's one of the people that would probably be ta- telling Dave Meltzer what everyone's taking? Uh, Brian Pillman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone who wasn't there, who we know was definitely using around that period, is you know, is Benoit. You know, he's in Japan. 
He was there a few months at this point. He, I'm sure he might have got an in from somebody, and he's trying to beef up. Yeah, he's, he's not just, in Japan. He's not, he's not huge here. Though. He's smaller than he had been in Japan earlier in the in ECW earlier mm-hmm. in the year. But he he's he's to act, yeah. But I think Benoit mainly went in the growth hormone later, though, because that's when just his whole body oh, yeah. and his face changed. Yeah. Well, when he realized, you know, it's like I'm not gonna get anywhere if I if I'm you know he's trying to not be a cruiserweight. You know, he's big enough not be a cruiserweight, but he's not big enough to be a heavyweight. You know. Yeah, he doesn't want to be a pigeonhole. You're absolutely yeah. right. Although, I mean, you know, to WCW's credit, they like you know it's a misnomer. We've talked about it near a bunch. They never booked him once as a cruiserweight. No, they didn't. Even no. when they had him with uh, Eddie when they were first matching up, that's true. Absolutely not. All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun in All Japan Pro Wrestling, where Mr. Amasawa Kanakabashi captured the All Japan Real World Tag League Tournament for the third consecutive year, beating Toshiko Kawada and Kiritawe on December 9th at Tokyo Budokan Hall before selling 16,300. Kabashi pinned Tawe in 2404 to Moonsault to win what was said to be a great match, I'll say. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> <laughs> in a similar storyline, the previous matches between the two teams, during the match, Kawada kicked Masawa in the eye, and Masawa sold the move lying on his back outside the ring for 10 minutes while Kabashi had to face both men. Now, the two teams tied first place in round robin, which ended on December 7th when Kawada and Tawe earned a spot in the finals, beating Abdul to Butcher and Kamala, too. Both teams finished the tournament play with 16 points, 1.4 draw, 2 for a win, with Masawa and Kabashi going 8-1, and one, losing to Kawada and Tawe. Kawada and Tawe going 7-0-2. Oh, Draws with Stan Hansen and Gary Albright and Johnny Ace and the Patriots. The tag tournament is traditionally a major event of the year in all Japan. However, this year's had less interest in smaller crowds in the past because of the sameness of the All-Japan promotion. Traditionally, the PWF World International Double Crown Tag titles are at stake in the tournament, but this year was an exception. So Kawada and Tawe maintained the title, setting up a title rematch, probably for March the second at the Budokan. Now wait a minute. Sameness. I mean, I, 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 I mean, it's a foreigner, but Gary Albright is fresh off his, you know, UFI run, right? Kind of, sort of. But let, I mean, let's go over the list of the teams, and we'll see. All right. See. Okay. The remainder of the round robin standing saw Hanson Albright finish third, seven one and one, fifteen points, followed by the Patriot Johnny A, six two and one with thirteen. Giant Baba and Tabon Honda went five and four. Crawford and Furnace went three and six. Ooh. Junakiyama Takawamori went two and seven. Dory Fulton Jr. Masafuchi went two and seven. Butch Kamala two went two and seven. And Rob Van Dam and Johnny Smith went one and eight. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, what I mean, it's the same yeah. crew of guys. Yeah. I so mean, Albright's the only difference. <laughs> Albright's like the only guy that's not, you know, a regular, regular, regular. Yeah. So, I mean,. That's the thing. They're not bringing any outside foreign teams or nothing like that. And and that's what All Japan was in this era. They weren't going heavy on the, 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 the foreigners. They were the same crew of guys, pretty much, that was coming in and out. So I could see where it would be considered samey by the fans. But good God, look how awesome this shit was. Yeah. I mean, let's go to the results of this show. Masao Inoue over Monokea Mossman in your opener, Taikea. Johnny Swift and R. Van Dam over Star Sako and Kataru Shiga. Kamala 2 and Abby over the Can-Ams. Jumbo Sharuda, Mitsuo Moto and Rusha Kimura over Masafuchi, Mani Inoue and Haruka Egan. Patriot Johnny Ace over Yoshinari Gao and Shioshikaguchi. Baba, Hanson, and Dory over Ryokoku Zamita, Takawa Mori, and Junakayama. 
Gary Albright over to Mohanda. That was your semi-main event. And then Masao Kabashi over to Awe and Kawada in the finals. Now, you know, part of this, I think, though, is the fact that this is not a strong card other than the main event, too. Yeah. Very well, weak Budokan undercard. But, you know, you, you I mean, Albright and Honda were obviously matched up because they had such strong amateur backgrounds. That's yeah, really yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, it, I mean, this tag match is, like we talked about last week's 96 match, this is even better. This is one of the greatest tag matches in the history of wrestling. Easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is out there on YouTube. I actually saw a friend of the show, uh, Daniel uh, Maccabe, like retweeted it out. So look it up on YouTube. It's definitely worth watching. Oh, uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, like most major notable All Japan matches are on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, yes. Um, so about last week, yeah. Yes. Oh, other thing I was going to say, too, is that, um, you know, Dave mentioned it's being, you know, a recent kind of trope in some major All Japan tags to have one of the baby faces and usually the senior baby face kind of knocked out on the floor for 10 minutes. That's not even just a recent thing, though. Kawada's breakout match, the finals in 88. Team with Tenru against Hanson and Gordy. They do the same thing. Yeah. So um, that is one fact, of the bigger, fact, like, in-match in, patterns they had. Go ahead. In fact, real quick, just to give you guys the gist of how great this match was, this was the number two All-Japan match in the 90s, according to the old Death Valley Driver list. Oh, wow. From uh, back in the day. So what so, was number guessing, one was the June yeah. 94 singles. Of course. Yes. And yes, then, yes, okay, so where did where did the June 95 tag and the 96 tag leave final finish? All right. Um, the 96 finals was third. And wow. <laughs> June 995 was what, fourth, fifth? Oh, wait a minute. June 995 was second. Sorry. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, Sorry. that's the one everyone always talks up, so I was surprised. I did not remember this one finishing that high. No, this did not finish that high, actually. So, okay. actually, it finished, um, let me look at that list, 23, 26, 29. While you're doing that, uh, 30, 30, 36th? Well, remember, though, this was not done the way the 80 sets and stuff were done. The 80s. And, yeah, this this was done in, like, 2000. So, right. it's, but still, it was one, one of the best tag matches of the, of the era. Right. Um, one thing I want to mention is I'm curious about the time link because it's 24 minutes. Now, that might be intentional because the All Japan TV show in this period was a 30-minute television show. Yes. So, because a lot of the time you would watch even this period and be like a 35, 40-minute match for these big matches to be cut down. I'm going, I wonder if that's on purpose that it's a 24-minute tag because that doesn't seem that long for something like this. No. Um that said, though, you know, remember, you know, especially in this era, but even going back into the 80s and maybe even the 70s, the Nippon TV production people are easily the best in the history of the wrestling business for editing oh matches down seamlessly. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, like, God, yeah. Unless they, unless they lay down a visual transition effect, usually you can't tell where they cut the match. Yeah. No. Unless you knew, unless you had seen the full match already, yeah, yeah. I was just curious because it just seemed like not that long of a time for such a big match. You know, I was like, it's only it's under a half hour. I was kind of surprised seeing the time here, the twenty four minutes five, uh, four seconds. Filling up, filling up the TV time. So yeah, 
There you go. All right, Baba announced after the show that Daughter Death, what, Steve Williams may return in the spring. Return from Yeah, that what? was a big name missing. <laughs> big name missing on here. I'm like, where's Dr. Death? I'm like, oh, I'm like, which bust was this? In this was to number like, oh, no. two? Second <laughs> overall, first in Japan, right? Yeah. It, is, is this the famous marijuana one where he got in the country quicker than Paul McCartney? Yes, because this is <laughs> the one where he comes back quickest, I think. All right. Right, because he okay. comes back quicker here than he does from the second one, doesn't he? Yeah, because he ends up going to WWF and stuff. Yeah, the first one yeah. was in Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Which I don't. Did he get end up being charged with anything, or just like cited or something? He wasn't charged or nothing in Dallas. No, yeah. Wow, you? it's you think it's in Oklahoma with him not being charged for something like that? You know what I mean? Well, My gosh. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to lot. try to say this as tactfully as po- I possibly can. Okay. It really is amazing, and it shows how powerful Baba and, I guess, Crockett, too, even Crockett and Dallas were, that his career wasn't remotely derailed by repeatedly being, at least, like, three times that we know of, caught with drugs at customs, twice in a foreign country— one of them including marijuana in probably the most anti-cannabis strict modernized country in the world and yet it really didn't derail his career that much despite him having let's just say quantities much larger than would serve him (laughs) well said Bix mm-hmm yeah I mean, I've probably right. been more blunt about it in the past, but you get the idea. It's it. Re- I mean, it really is something because also, like, we think of anyone else it happened to. I mean, Matt Seidel was just trying to sneak his personal cannabis in for his own use, and he's probably never going back to Japan. Yeah. All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling, December tip in the Goya before set of eleven thousand. Saw so, Kejimuto beat Hiroshi Tenzo in the figure four, and Masahiro Chono avenged his loss last month to Yoji Anjo for making an instrument 539. While Shiro Koshinaka beat Yoshi Ohara, scored a non title win over Shion Shimoto and Junji Arata underneath. Oh, and underneath, Jusha Liger and Wild Pegasus, Chris Benoit, beat Koji Kanemoto and Shinjiro Otani. Now, real quick before we go through the full results, is this the loser must stop using the Moonsault match? Or was that I earlier in the year? I don't remember. Okay. All right, so um, full results: Black Cat now Mexicano over Demolinko and Sabu. That's what a foursome that is! Liger and Pegasus over Kanemoto and Otani. Takamichi Isazawa over Kazushi Sakuraba. <laughs> Yuji Nagata over Kenichi Yamamoto. Kensuke Sasaki and Riki Choshu over Akito Seido and Kingo Kamura. Mitsushi Ohara and Shoko Shinaka over Junji Arata and Shiyashimoto. Kazuo Yamazaki over Sama Nishimura, Masahiro Chono over Yajanjo, and Keijimuto over Hiroshi Tenzan in your main event. Very short wow. matches on the show, show for the most part, too. Yeah, well, it's part of a doubleheader. I next know, but the day, main event goes nine minutes. Yeah, well, the next day, they were um, in Osaka, Osaka Professional Gym on December 11th for a cell 6650. Where Keijimuto retained the IWGP Heavyweight title, beating Shiro Koshinako with the figure four in 1422. Since Muto beat Takata with the hold, the hold, which at that point meant nothing in Japan, is now super over. That's all it takes, folks. 
In the semi-main event, Shiyashimoto and Junji Rada retained now WGB Tag Toss beating Masahiro Chono and Hiroshi Tenzon 1808 when Tenzon accidentally hit Chono, who was then pinned by Harada using a Liger Bomb. Chono and Tenzon first broke up on December 3rd at Cork and Hall, but were together the rest of the week when the storyline being they had a tag title match. They broke up again after this match. <laughs> that didn't last long. The other key result in the show was a non-title match where Koji Kanemoto surprisingly pinned Jushin Thunder Liger. All right, our uh, results. Tokamichi Isazawa over Tetsuya Takeiwa. Osama Kido over Tao Yasuda. El Samurai and Shinjiro Tani over Black Cat and El Mexicano. Hiro Saito and Sabu over Dimalinko and Wild Pegasus. That's a match. Sabu suddenly Ka- being booked as part of Murder, Inc. again, too. Yeah. <laughs> Kazuya Mazaki and Takashi Azuka over Kensuke Sasaki and Yuji Nagata. Kanemoto over Liger. Akira Nagami and Samu Nishimura and Riki Choshu over Akatur Saito, King Kimura and Michoshi Ohara. Hiran and Hashimoto retaining the tag titles over Chono and Tenzan, and Emuda retaining the WGB title over Shira Kaishinaka. All right, Taro, what are your thoughts on these two shows here? I'm surprised seeing that this uh, IWG title match is 14 minutes. I'm like, that's just boom, just do our stuff, get it all in. But my question is, is this El Meikano Angola Azteca? It's it the, has to be. It's the, yeah, and the, well, the AAA Mexicano is on Angloteca, right? Yeah, because it's yeah. Angloteca, right? Okay, because I'm like, yes. why, why, really? Angloteca, of all people being flown to New Japan for wrestling in 1995, like, that just seemed like the most random bookie, but he's with Black Cat, so, I don't uh, know. Yeah. Well, well, also, they're still working some with AAA at this time. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, I, actually, no, it's go- not, no, that's not a, whatchamacallit. No, Mexicano is Halcon 78. That's even worse. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Because I thought Mexicano in Mexico was Angola Azteca after he got tombstone by the Piazzas and they said he was paralyzed. No, that... No, 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 that was the third uh, folklore. He was Charo. He was Charo de Jalisco. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. You're close. Yes, and Solar was... Galar's Mariachi and Mariachi. 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 but Charlie Lisco was uh, Okay, I'm sorry. But oh, how, oh my gosh, how cold 78 was May Kano? Ugh. Why is he getting a new Japan pretty... booking in 1995? Good here. Oh well, well I, no, wait a second. We're, we're, we're being stupid. He and Black Cat are. are family. Oh, they're related. Okay. Right? All right. Because isn't Shuggy Sito I... part of that family? Or because he's You're... his father in law. You're asking me to try to explain a Lucha family okay, yes, timeline, yes, yes, yes. how hard that is? Okay, so yes. <laughs> Mexicano married Shuggy Sito's daughter. Shuggy Sito is the uncle of uh, Ponico, Habato, and Black Cat. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Bix. Thank you. This is why I listen to this show for for quality, like putting family lines together in Lucha, which can be so confusing. Well, thank God for Lucha Wiki. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so there's that. Which, um, low key, one of the best wrestling resources on the internet for a long time. Oh Absolutely. yeah. All right. Uh, you know, thoughts, Bix, on your end on uh, these uh, two shows. Japan shows. Those junior tags all look really interesting. I'm not yeah. sure what all of them would look like, especially <laughs> Black Hat and Mexicano versus Dean Malenko and Sabu. That's so weird. But it, 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 they're interesting looking shows, you know, and all the all the big matches are pretty 
intriguing on paper. You know, Mudo and Tenzan had their issue. Mudo and Koshinaka always worked great together, probably more so as a team, but also against each other. You know, lots of interesting stuff happening with the junior heavyweights. Got a really attractive tag title match. These are some really nice cards. You know, it's mm. mid-90s New Japan. They are on fire in every way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, Antonio Noki announced a house show in conjunction with the Los Angeles Marathon. Well, yeah! I doubt there's anyone on this show that was Woo! at that show either. <laughs> so I'm excited. My home, my L.A., all right, I'm ready. Oh, well, it gets better. It's remember the show took place on March the 3rd, 1996 at the Great what? Western Forum. What? Well, neither of those it, happen. <laughs> and Anoki's idea is to have a show with all Japan, New Japan, CMLL, AAA, WCW, and WF all in the same bill. Obviously, not everyone's going to cooperate. Anoki Muhammad Ali would be the torch carriers for the marathon that same weekend. Steve Nakata, the executive director of the Japan U.S. Sports Federation, was at the AAA show over the weekend. More on that later. And AAA seemed excited about the prospect of being involved in the show. So wait a second. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. I did not remember this part. Anoki had created a fake, like, NGO for Steve Nakata to run? Because <laughs> Steve Nakata was, like, his American business manager, right? You're something telling like me Anoki would not do something like this? Come on. <laughs> what do you well actually no wait. I think based on the filings I saw it couldn't be. I was about to say, I wonder if this becomes UFO, which becomes uh you know, Anoki Sports Management or whatever. No. But probably not. Um It's still a little early for that. The Japan US Sports Federation. <laughs> <laughs> now, to Anoki's credit though. He gets all those promotions except for all Japan and WWF. Yeah. And WWF was committed at one point. They pulled out. But, yeah. Yeah, that blew my mind. Because I was there at that show and I was like, I I can't believe this is actually happening. Even in whatever form it was in, I'm like, this is really happening? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, wait, wait. Oh, I googled in quotes Japan U.S. Sports Federation. Um, and the first things that are coming up are, you know, you know, aggregators of business filings, date of incorporation, September 1st, 94, domestic nonprofit, California, registered agent name, Steve Nakata. Mm-hmm. Oh, very interesting. So this is just some Anoki Steve Nakata thing that they're trying to make sound like a bigger deal than it is or like an ngo or an ioc type of thing well i guess the ioc is kind of an ngo you get what i'm saying uh don't you don't you just love anoki (laughs) and everyone is orbit you know and he's a treasure i'm sad that we're not going to be talking about director Uwe. it's a shame that anoki you know is not younger and doing his shit could you imagine anoki doing his shit in the social media age <laughs> oh my him Onita Anoki. Oh my god. I mean Onita's doing enough lately. I know, but I mean like like when I was doing the shit back in the two thousands when I was doing the, the news and stuff for Defy Driver, I mean Onita would pop up like once a week, you know, doing interviews with the press, talking shit on Anoki, challenging Anoki to a match. No, Anoki would have a crazy story in the media every day. Anoki would have his bullshit going on because that's when Pride was was rolling and he was heavily involved in all that. And Onita talking about he's going to go WWE. I mean, just so much shit that was going on in that era. It was crazy. I just imagine him in 
this, them in the social media age pulling their shit. Oh, my yeah. God. My favorite one is the one where Anoki wasn't bullshitting, and he was the first one to be like, oh, yeah, WWF's probably going to buy WCW. Yeah. <laughs> Anoki just not giving a shit right there. <laughs> and, hey, you know what? Let's give Anoki credit, though. He's about the only guy ever who actually stuck to his retirement. <laughs> I for that. Like of all, the last person I would thought was stuck in retirement was Anoki, and he actually did. Yeah, you know? Gogeta retired thirty years ago, and he's still going, despite having two new knees. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, speaking of retirement, Hiroshi Hase will have one match for his retirement match on January fourth. It's up here in the Anoki show on December thirtieth in Osaka. Facing Yoji Anja. And I'm sure the re- reasons for his retirement, although not on his part, were entirely just non-suspicious and run-of-the-mill. He's going into politics, Bix. Come on. What are you implying? I mean, it's it's not like he promised to the parents of a skittish amateur wrestler that he'd make sure to take care of him and that he doesn't get hurt and then he died in training. Nothing yeah, like that happened. You know. No. Well, Big Van Vader's only going to do two shots in Japan at this point, the Tokyo Dome and then the major show in March. He's still an episode this week of the TV series Boy Meets World, where he plays the father of a school bully. In the TV series, his name is Francis. Dave thinks that's his first name, but there's a gimmick that he has a pussy first name. No. <laughs> it was it the, says, don't call me Francis. No, I know, but no, I remember this specifically. Francis is the son played by Ethan Suplee. There you go. Vader's name, according to Mr. Feeney, who had been his teacher when he was in junior high, was Leslie. Les, there you go. But still a, a pussy first name, according to Dave. There you go. Um, Vader, uh, his name is Francis Vader, is what Dave said. <laughs> and he plays the World Heavyweight Champion wrestler, basically doing his wrestling Vader gimmick, but being scared of the principal of the school because the principal knows his real first name. It's his second guest spot on the show. Right, I was about to say, yeah, it's his second because the... the Yeah, actually, no, yeah, the Leslie thing is in the first episode. But it's he was in WCW and he had the U.S. belt when he shot the first one. Yeah. And then this one... I'm kind of blown away by this. Because I thought this was like when he's in WWF. I'm like, what was his connection when he was in WCW to get this booking? Is it Baywatch? Probably. I, I, th- I guess, no, no, I think it's specific. I think it's probably just that they wanted a pro wrestler, and they felt like he was the best fit. I, I'm just like, does he have an agent? Was he in SAG? Because it's just like, well, you know, like, hey, the, give me a big wrestler. Who do I call? He was you know? in the live action Fist of the North Star, so he may very well have had a SAG card already. Yeah, because that usually back then would be to get a SAG card, you'd have to get um, three SAG vouchers. Would be um, three days on a set where you get the SAG voucher, from what I recall. Then you have to pay the SAG fees, which when I joined SAG in like 2000, it was like $1,300. But, you know, it was like, oh, it was, pro- you know, a lot of money back then. But I'm like, oh, you know what? If you're working to film for a couple of days, you're making a profit. So who knows? Right. And this is all before the signatory rule that changed everything, where if you're a SAG, well, now SAG after member, you have to be right. working for SAG after signatories, whereas before mm-hmm. you could join SAG based on work on non non SAG productions. Yeah, you Cause, know? yeah. Because um, 
You know, the example I always think of is that Tommy Wiseau got his SAG card by shooting an, an I believed, unused commercial for his weird, sketchy um, <laughs> Levi's outlet store. And uh, Fist of the North Star actually came out first in 95, so okay. all the stuff wow. he's doing is fairly close together between wow. that Baywatch and Boy Meets World. Yeah, that, that so he must have made a connection somewhere because in Hollywood, it's, it's, you know, it's where it's who you know, you know, for sure. And um, so to ask, so the Tokyo Dome show is the Noki match, but I don't remember doing another show in March. In no, Hong- I, I yeah, believe I though he had, I think he had gotten permission as part of signing the WWF deal that he'd be able to work the March show. But actually, wait, is he back from the injury yet? By the time the March show, I, oh, that's probably why. Yeah, he's out. Because remember, the the gimmick suspension was because he was hurt. Right. Yes. Wait, Malcolm McDowell is in that live action Fist of the North Star. What? Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, that's, here are some of the madness. notable names that are in that movie. Gary Daniels, Malcolm McDowell, Costas Mandalore, Downtown Julie Brown, <laughs> Julie Brown, Melvin Van Peebles, Clint oh Howard, uh, anyone else? Oh, no, okay, I wasn't scrolling. Uh, Chris Penn, uh, anyone else I recognize here? <laughs> Nils Allen Stewart, who would play... Uh, Jesse Ventura in the NBC movie. Oh my gosh. And of course, Tony Holma. Wow. Apparently I may need to watch this film at some point. I didn't think I would, but that's an amazing cast. <laughs> I never did. It used to be on HBO all the time though. Um, I, I think thought that... it would just be terrible, but with that cast, I'm like, that might be a fun watch at least with some it weird sound... people in there. Yeah. It sounds interesting. I didn't, I had not realized that was the cast. I knew Vader was in it. And I knew that it was not really considered close to as good as the anime was supposed to be. But mm. that's interesting. <laughs> and he, of course, he's billed as Leon Vader White. Of, in of the course. tradition of every wrestler who did, acted in this era. Well, that's the thing, too, because you you're use a screen name so that way you have the rights to your name, you know. Because mm. that's whatever you sign up with SAG is that's what's going to be your name. Right. Yeah, like how uh, when Sting was on Thunder of Paradise, he had to be Steve Borden because Gordon Sumner yeah. was already a, a SAG member as Sting. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly. All right, well, let's go to Muga now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a show this is. Hakata Star Lanes on December 13th in front of 2110. We have Black Cat over Alan Sullivan. Any guess on who Alan Sullivan is? Uh, the fact that you're saying that means it is actually someone else. Um, let me ask you, though. Um, is he a Florida guy or a British guy? Neither. Is that is that Alan Sarvin? You are correct! It's yeah! Alan. Oh! I, I thought he worked some uh, Amuga show, and that's what made me think about that. Wow. Al Snow. Yep. So actually, Al wait. Snow. Is he working as Alan Sullivan, or was he billed as Alan Sarvin? Uh, you know what? It probably is Sarvin. And it's they probably, probably Sarvin and the translate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But is yep, this the it only is, time it, he would have worked under his real name? Uh, Possibly, yes. Because he was Al Snow when he was doing jobs on Wrestling at the Chase, right? <laughs> yes, he was. All right, and, Shane Rigby over Charlton Jenkins. What a great name that is. 
Osama Nishimura over Darren Malonis. And then our main event, Tesman Fujinami over Joe Malenko. Okay. So wait a second, though. Why is Al Snow doing a Moog tour while he's in the WWF? Dave had in the Observer that him and Joe went to Japan. But then who are these other random guys? Are they stupid? Al and Joe? Brit, Brits. Oh, they're Brits. Okay, because I'm like, well, Joe Shane and Rigby Al were training guys. Yeah, Charlton Jenkins and Darren Malonis, I think, are both. Uh, Malonis, I think that was a Brit. And, okay. uh, yeah, because Fujinami bring in these... He bring in these guys you'd never heard of before, so... Uh, yeah. And I'm sure they're appreciative because they're like, well, my gosh, we go to Japan and work? Oh, yeah, we will. And, you yeah. know, they'll probably get paid very little and just like, oh, let's get a chance to wrestle in Japan. Exactly. Well, it is at this point kind of a New Japan offshoot, so I got to think the pay is pretty good. It's probably Even decent. It's and, and for a one-off with 2,000 people, this can't be that bad. But still, a flight from England isn't cheap from England to Japan. Well, flying anywhere almost to Japan, you know, is not going to be that cheap of a flight. Yes, and this is the uh, Muga Forever card. So, yeah. And actually, Alan Sullivan, no one made the connection on Cage Match either. So Because his thing wow. is linked. No link for Charlton Jenkins or even Shane Rigby. No link for Darren Malonis. <laughs> it's crazy, though, that that is the opening match is, is Alan against Black Cat. Well, yeah. Like, yeah, wait a second. That. I just realized your opener is a full-time WWF wrestler against <laughs> me- a member of the office of WCW's closest business partner. Oh, wow. Are we sure I'm right about that Alan Sarvin guest then? <laughs> yeah, that's no, what Dave had. Yeah. Okay, all right. Dave no, that's crazy. But, you know, this is so off the radar that probably no one had any idea. And Alan and, you know, Black Cat like, well, it's a booking. We want our money, you know? <laughs> he, yeah, I'm sure he probably wasn't, you know, doing anything in WWF. He's on the house show loop, so. Yeah, what? and he's probably on a per-night deal if he's in WWF. Yeah, 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 and, and we, yeah, we'll talk about that later, too, with well, those contrast. it's not, it's per-night in the sense you don't have a guaranteed minimum. Right. There's no, um, whatchamacallit, there's no downside guarantee yet, probably, for him. But he's still, you know, under a bullshit exclusive contract. So I'm curious if this was booked before he signed or what. Yeah. And, well, you know what? It's, it's Mooga. They're one-offs. Maybe maybe they were booked really far in advance. Yeah, possibly. Because, my gosh, because when was he doing the – when did he do the match as Avatar? Is that September? Doing, yeah, I think September. That sounds right. And then he wasn't really even on TV till he came back as Leaf Cassidy. That was a few months later, right? He was on the B shows a bit as Avatar and teaming. Yeah, but still his house show. He's not even on TV, so no. I mean, like, hey, I can make some extra money. Like, hey, I make a couple grand if I do this one match in Japan, and they're not going to care, you know. And Rayuma Go, an indie wrestler with phenomenal cold appeal as a comedy figure, unless you were at the Tokyo Dome in April, you can't even conceive of how well known he is and the kind of bizarre reaction he gets. Who hasn't lost a match in several years will work a few with Tetsumi Fujinami and Fujinami's promotion next year. Which which also has backstory to it because Ryuma Go was pretty much Fujinami's first Japanese native rival as junior heavyweight champion. Yeah. And if you've never seen those, if you only know Ryuma Go as the aging comedy wrestler, you have no clue how good he was. Those matches are incredible. 
I need to see Ruba go against Fujinami then. Because I'm like, wait, you're telling me aliens are going to invade Muga? That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, th- 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 yeah, that's that the 1995 Ryuma Go, but the 1978 yeah. Ryuma Go was a worker. There you go. Yeah, a worker so. because he had to pay off bills? Do you get all serious? Well, yeah, well, he definitely had to pay off some things. Yeah, he did. He, he, he did. He did some. He had to do what he had to do to pay off things, as we will find out. Yes, and I presume that his gambling issues were also the root of his various jumps and disappearances in earlier years. Yes, which it's, it's which is a shame, but and he wasn't the only one. So, well, yeah. he was the only one that had to do what he did to that we know what that we that, that, we know that did on film. Yeah, that we know. <laughs> now let's go to maybe the most important show in Japan during our week. Just on the Lager captured the second Super J Cup on December 13th for a solo of 11,500 fans at Sumo Hall Tokyo before a show sold out several days in advance. Lager pin wars Gato in 1547 with a fisherman buster to win the championship match of a tournament that involved wrestlers from seven different Japanese promotions. The show was described as being very good, with virtually every match on the card good, but it's also said to not have been near the level of the first Jacobs show in April 94, won by Wild Pegasus, Chris Benoit. Most accounts were the best match on the show was a non-tournament match where Harry Mysterio Jr. beat Sikosis in 939. Both men received two standing ovations after the match, and fans threw money in the ring. The match took place between the semifinals and the championship match. The best tournament matches were to be the finals, and the semifinal were Ultimate Dragon. Ultimate Dragon put the tournament together, put Liger over in the longest match on the show, lasting 17 19. And Liger reverse dragons attempted Mahistral into an inside cradle. In the first round, Grand Naniwa of Michinoku Pro beat Damiase Seisei of FMW slash AAA in 636 with a Kodakan Rana. of New Japan beat Masaki Mochizuki of Katao Dojo in four minutes with a Nilak submission. Ultimo Dragon of War in CMLO, Ben Shreech Funaki with Lahme Strong in 652. Funaki this time, Michinoku Pro, but other places. Gato beat Masayoshi Motegi of Wrestle Dream Factory in 656 with the War Special. Well, Chris, it's a mid 90s junior heavyweight tournament. <laughs> of course, Masayoshi well, Motegi's in it. He's for he's, he's Who did Motegi like? Yeah, was he? Was he? He had something on somebody to get in all these things. I mean, he was he friends with Michael. He's in everything. He's in the he's you know friends. the uh, skydiving J. Yeah, one of the eight belts. It's great. He was friends. He was friends with Liger. He yeah. even gets in. I think it's in '97. He even gets just a regular J Crown title shot at Liger on a New Japan show. Yeah. So yeah, yeah they were they're clearly friends. He he must yeah. be a very nice man. It pays off to have, to be friendly. Wrestling, the wrestling business has had that for many years. The Dos Caras of CMLO Michinoku Pro beat El Samurai in New Japan in seven minutes with a flying body press. And Lionheart Chris Jericho of CMLO in War beat Hanzo Nakajima of Michinoku Pro at 648 after a moonsault. Second round saw Liger over 91, 913 with Fisherman Buster. Dragon over Otani in 1330 with La Maestra. Gate over Dos Caras in 654 with a Gato clutch. In a major upset. And while Pegasus Chris Benoit over Lionheart, Chris Jericho in 1343 with a tombstone pile and driver off the middle rope. 
Liger over Dragon the Semis with a small package of 1719. And Gato Pin, last year's champion, winner, Pegasus is 921 headbutt on top rope. And I take it so there was Gato- no Dave review of the show in the coming weeks? Um, I didn't go all the way that far. So, okay. because his TV reviews and stuff would be mu- a month later. Well, it I wouldn't think. be a TV review, though, because yeah. it's a war show. I don't think any it, of this aired on New all, Japan TV. Nope, it was all commercial tape, because I, I think it, that commercial tape, I don't remember getting it until at least two, three months later. Yeah. Get my hands on that. And if I remember right, there's a Chris Avisa column in The Torch at the time where he more or less says that Liger having war host the show was basically a magnanimous gesture for them to be able to make the money on the sumo hall sellout and be able to have the rights to the commercial tape. Hmm. That's something I've really been curious about as you went through this, because there have been different organizations that have super, different Super J Cups. I'm just like wondering, like, does New Japan own the copyright to that, or is there really maybe even not a copyright to it? Because, you know, I think it was Michinoku was – I think Michinoku was involved in one. We War, obviously. New Japan's done some. It's been an interesting mix, the way they've done these shows over the last almost 30 years now. Yeah. Well, Liger, I was thinking Liger, but, Liger, but Liger was in charge of this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, I'm pretty sure he had a – Dave said Ultimo had, was, though. But <laughs> this show. Yeah. I mean, still, you know. If I were to guess, uh, Liger had the name, owns the name, yes, if anyone. I mean, Dra- Dragon put it together, probably, but let's say Dragon put it together, then necessarily it said he booked it. Nice. Yes. Okay. He put it together. I, I get what you're saying. Okay, so. But, I mean, he could he could have because Liger won it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know if Liger would have booked this stuff as a winner. That's a good point, because. But Liger, but Liger may have had input as well, because why would, I mean. Look at like, some of these Liger results. did well. Also, Liger needed something like this to show that he's back from the broken ankle, too. And, and and look at some of the results. You know, that's another thing too. It's always pretty political the way they put it together. You know, definitely with these junior tournaments, every group's got to look good. Unless if you're muscle, you know, Wrestle Dream Factory. <laughs> but I mean, look, Gato beat fucking. Dos Carter said Chris Benoit. I mean, that's a, yeah. in 1995. I mean, that's huge for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this is this is definitely during the the Dos, uh, you know, kind of revival because he did the uh, the Massman tournament was that summer, you know. So he was definitely getting a lot of steam in, you know, in New- in Japan for sure at that period. But how do you think those guys felt that Ray and Sakosis went out there in a non-tournament match and blew them out of the water? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, had they to- had to know. <laughs> That that something like that could happen, they're clearly well, maybe, on the show to but, do that. Yeah, but still, well, these guys have egos too. Well, I get to at this point because this is the first time, really. You know, they had the ECW match, but that wasn't the ECW matches. But I wouldn't necessarily say those are among their very best matches. Whereas this is the first time, and then Bash at the Beach is the second time where it becomes clear that if you put Ray versus Psychosis in, like, a showcase spot, they're going to try to have the best match they've ever had with each other. And this is Japan, too, so that's yep. another, ca- another right, thing to add to. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember where, if they were on that New Japan AAA. Oh, they were. Yeah. yeah. Yes. One of them was. It's not their first. It's not their first. It's their run. first trip okay. though, as being brought in as foreigners to a Japanese company, as opposed to right. that, which was basically what Fantastic Mania would become, the AAA New Japan mm-hmm. tour. So, for the yeah. record, your host promotions: ninety four is New Japan, ninety five is War, two thousand is Mishinoku Pro, and you know two thousand also won by Liger during the Black Liger heavyweight run thing unfortunately uh 04 is osaka pro won by marafuji and then 09 is new japan won by marafuji okay 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 okay, real quick they both of them were not on the lucha world tour in 94 so this is it this is their debut okay this is their first Thank you for checking because I wasn't too sure on it. I was pretty sure this was Ray's first well, time. Well, Sakosis was. Yeah, okay, Sakosis was. I missed him. Oh, okay. This, this is Ray's. This is Ray's. Okay. Yes. After I asked, I, I was like, I'm pretty sure this is Ray's first match. And that was like the big hype behind it. Yeah, this I is looking enough to have. I was lucky enough to have the magazine of this. That's the only way I kind of knew what happened because where I live, I'm lucky enough here in the LA area. Got to the store the week after and there's like, you know, about a group of like four or five photos for like four or five different moves and throughout the match. Like I know he did one of the, is David the Rana over the guardrail. I'm trying to remember. No, no, no. It's the, it's the, fa- I saw someone tweet the clip and someone reply with the famous photo. It's yeah. the one you're thinking of is Ray going to the top turn rock buckle and diving mm-hmm. over the post into a Rana okay. on the floor. There you go. That's that's what. Yeah. And it's one of those things where if you ever saw the Japanese magazine for the periods, it literally be like five or six shots of the entire thing happening. It, oh, of the spot. It's yeah. Beautiful. It's beautiful the way they used to do that. And in yeah. full color, too. I would say, though, honestly, of that era, I would say that's maybe, you know, to Western fans, at least seeing stuff online, all that. That's got to be one of the most iconic Japanese magazine photos. Because I feel like I've seen that one everywhere for years and years, and and that's one I'm so sad that I that it somehow disappeared over the course of time. Because I had it, and when I went to the Peace Festival, I had several of the guys on the cover sign it, including oh. like Jericho, Benoit, Liger, um, Sasuke kayfabe all of us. That was really hilarious. He, we see this guy get up the suit on, and we're like, Sasuke's like. Oh, I'm not Sasuke, and he just ran away from all of us. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like man. four or five fans, and then like all the guys just hanging out, like Ray just hanging out without his mask on, Sakosis, the parka. You know, I was like, all right, what is happening here? I'm like, all right. But unfortunately, that magazine got lost somewhere over the course of time. Yeah. I have um, no idea what that noise is. Now, <laughs> I want to ask about uh, something when you read Funaki's name. Wasn't Funaki originally a PWFG? Yes, he, he was may Fujiwara. technically be a Fujiwara Gumi guy at this time. Okay. Well, okay. no, because he's he's kind of working different places, but he's working Michinoku Pro, and yeah, he's still kind of PWFG. So it's okay. kind of, you know, it, 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 he's freelance, so to speak. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. And, and I see that about Hanzo because I'm like, I don't know what happened to Hanzo after a few years later. It's just like he just disappeared off the face of the earth. You know, I don't know if he got hurt or what. I think he was in Osaka Pro at the beginning, right? He oh, he, he he had worked. He he, he worked in uh, you know a little bit here, a little bit there. I mean, he, he really wants something. Supposedly, he just worked uh, a couple weeks ago. This can't be right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that that's not right. But he's he has worked in recent years. Uh, 
Wow. Okay. He worked at he worked at 2020 um, on the wow. Kichimuto Pro Wrestling Masters. You had they oh, had wow. that was high station gun against uh, Michinoku Pro All Stars. Oh, cool. That's it was Akira, Akira, Tercedo, Oyagi, and Koshinaka over Togo, Hanzo, Jensei, and Sasuke. Okay, I was remembering wrong. He does not go to Osaka Pro. He took almost four years off between uh, August '97 and June '01. Then he comes back to Mishinoku, and not long, not for long at all, though. And then just kind of takes another, you know, not necessarily a few years off, but well, very, a regular schedule. Yeah, and then eventually, that's his promotion, I think, too. Yeah, and then from starting in 06, he's working a semi-regular schedule again. Okay. Yeah, WrestleGate was Hanzo's, is Hanzo's promotion. He's still going today. So, there you go. Yes, and also to close the loop, by the way, on the other J-Cups, the rest were New Japan, and then the winners were, who was it? Uh, Marfuji, Kushida, and then back-to-back the last two, two years were Fantasma. In 2020. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I do remember people being disappointed with this one compared to the first. America. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> that first one, you know, that was so new and people were just so excited to see it, you know. But those top yeah. two matches were incredible. Those two beat anything on this show. And again, I mean, people are going to say how great a Ray match is, but still, they can only do so much in nine minutes, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well... War had another show during our week that was part of their uh, their thing. They had a one-night tag tournament, which took place on December the 8th at Oda Ward Gym in Tokyo before a sellout of 4,200 fans. Well, Tenugitaro and Osmo Dragon beat Ghetto and Jado in the finals. It was a first-round match that drew the house. Here, <laughs> for Yuki, the group's top heel, picked women's star Shinobu Kandori as his secret partner in the tournament. The idea of Kandori, who was believed to be by the fans, the true toughest woman wrestler in Japan. She took second in the L1 tournament and the women's UFC style event in an octagon earlier this year, losing to a 317-pound Soviet former judo silver medalist mm-hmm. against the legendary Tenru had intrigue. Kandori tagged in against Tenru, tried a judo throw, but with Tenru having probably 110 pounds on her, he stood there. But you could then close line Tenru from behind and Kandori executed the throw and put Tenru in a submission hole but Tenry got up out of it. Earlier in the match, Kandori executed a bat suplex on Ultimo Dragon, who isn't all that much larger than her, and the two also traded flying maneuvers. Finishing the match, Yuki asked Mr. Pogo, who was at ringside, to help out, but Pogo just sat there, and while the two argued, Dragon pinned Fuyuki. <laughs> Elliot Gante, who went AWOL from WCW last month, showed up for this tournament as the partner of Koji Katao. Oh and, and in a match that absolutely was scary, Eligante and Koji Katao lost the first round to Typhoon and Shinja when Higante was counted out of the ring. Yes. This is, this is so war. This is like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so war. Oh and my gosh. Shinja's a Kiyosato. All right, here's our tournament. Uh, quarterfinals. Nobukazu Araya, Nobutaka Araya over Arashi and Daitoko. Daitoko. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, Gato and Jado. Over Kokitahara and Masaki Mochizuki. Shinjin Typhoon over Eligante and Koji Katao by Countout. Yes. Tenru and Dragon over Fuyuki and Kandori. And then we get to the semis. Gato and Jado over Harai and Araya. Tenru and Dragon over Shinjin Typhoon. Non tournament match. 
Thrill Seekers Collide is Lance Storm beat Lionheart Chris Jericho, and then the finals, Tenru and Dragon over Gato and Jado. Wow. Is Get- is this was this a commercial tape? Yes, it ever- was in the match oh. in the match you're thinking of is on Daily Motion. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this, yeah, this song, He's getting this ready song? to load up right now. <laughs> oh no! Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh man! Um, I do Jorge... like it. Super heavy war. <laughs> and Jorge Gonzalez does not look good here. He looks like he has to hold on to the ropes as much as possible. Because I mean, what Dave means by going AWOL with WCW was he was supposed to be the, the Yeti. You mean the Yeti? Yeti. <laughs> Also, Akio Sato is not even bothering with the face paint here. He's just Akio Sato wearing all white. <laughs> so weird. Oh, okay. it's I, I love it. Edited. This is edited even. <laughs> they only clipped a couple minutes out, though, which is a little yeah, weird. Yeah, that's true. Um, wow. Oh, we have Katow going for a cross-arm breaker on Fred Otman. <laughs> Otman, by the way, has gotten himself back into excellent shape here, too. I wonder if he knows that, uh, you know, Typhoon's partner is his old friend, uh, John Tenta. That's a, I, I gotta think that's part of why they booked this in the first round. <laughs> gotta have some part of that. This is so... Why is this happening? It's war. That's why it's happening. I know. That's why. That's why, that's all why exactly why. Also, how yep. much are they paying Higante here that he was happy to fly you know 15 hours to japan and back <laughs> after after ducking out on wcw who knows all right well let's move on let's move on to fmw all right they open their tour at cork and hall on december the 10th with combat toyota winning the wwa and independent women's title beating shark shishuya the main event was a 10-man street fight with the wing team of Mr. Matsunaga, Mr. Danger, yeah. Wing Kanemura, and Super Leather, Mike Kirshner, with Bad Boy Hino, and a mystery partner, turning to be the return of Jason the Terrible, Roberto Rodriguez, meeting FNW's team of Horace Boulder, Tetsuya Kuroda, Koji Nakagawa, Masato Tanaka, and Hayabusa. Gladiator still out of action after blowing out his knee. A new masked man named Gecko made his big debut on the undercard, beating Mak Kayato. Now, what sounds like an angle, Shoshoshoya of FMW disappeared after the first night of the tour on, at Cork and Hall, where she lost the title of Combat Toyota. After no show in every card the past week, it was said that if she doesn't show up for her December 22nd barbed wire match with Megumi Kudo at Cork and Hall, she'll be fired. Well, she showed up. All right, uh, December 10th, we have Miwa Sato over Yuki Nabeno, Katsutoshi Niyama over Gosaka Goshigawara, Gekko over Hayato Nanjo. Megumi Kudo over Bad Nurse Nakamura. Kusakatsu <laughs> Oya and Riki Fuji over Daisuke Akeda and Masada Tanaka. And Toyota winning the belts from Shishuya and then the Street Fight main event. I'm curious why Tanaka is on the card twice. I wonder if that was if that was booked that way or what? Because that, that's the only guy I see wrestling twice, right? Yeah. Yeah. This guy is he got stuck working twice on this show. All the other FW guys, you know. <laughs> And and Mifai's the one who probably got pinned in the end because he's like almost like young boy at this point. He's a, he's a, you know younger, yeah. you know on the pole. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? How about but, how about how there were always bigger promotions wanting to use Ikeda, pretty much from the beginning too. Yeah, 
He's got his time here. He's got the All Japan run. And, you know, Noah eventually goes to full time. But he always had that thing where he was this indie guy who either the bigger indies or big promotions. Something. I mean, he's a great wrestler, but still, like, there, it, you didn't always see guys at the, like, battle arts level with this kind of demand in bigger promotions. Like, there's something about him that really appealed to the bigger groups. Yeah. All right, IWA Japan. They had a tournament to crown the new NWA World Tag Team Champions, won by Tarzan Goto and Mr. Ganesuke, beating Cactus Jack and Tiger Jeet Singh in the championship match on October wow. the 9th in Toda before 1,800 fans, when Goto pinned Jack after a brain buster. Singh attacked Jack after the match for losing, and the two traded chair shots brawled to the back after the match. Umanaseki Ueda... Singh's all-time tag partner showed up the night before as Singh's manager, helping Singh and Jack beat Goto and Ganesuke in Osaka. It'll probably be him in his 1996 feud against Cactus. Well, about that. Uh, going into the final show, Goto and Ganesuke went first place, while Singh and Cactus retired with Terry Funk and Keisuke Yamada and beat them early in the show to go to the finals. All right, uh, let's go to the December 8th in Osaka show first at Osaka Professional Gym number 2, 2100 fans. June Kikazawa... Kikutaro and Tudor the Turtle over Takeshi Sato and Daisuke Tawe. Yoko Ichiki over Amy Minokawa. Boogeyman! Or him in a minute. Over Shinobi. <laughs> and then we had the tournament match, the tactile tournament match. Terry Funk, Keisuke Yamada over Miguel Perez Jr. and Flank Ichihara. The Headhunters over Shoji Nakamaki, aka Lama Namanumi for Shigamania and Katsumi Hirano. Non tournament match, Leatherface over Freddy Krueger. Terry Gordy and Keizo Matsuda over Terry Funk, Keisuke Yamada in a tournament match. And then Tiger and Cactus over Koto and Ganesuke. And then Corkin Hall the next day. Tudor and Kikazawa over Daisuke Tawe and Shitoru Shiga. Funk and Yamada over Kruger and Boogeyman. Gordy and Matsuda over Leatherface and Nakamaki. Headhunters over Miguel Perez Jr. and Akira Chihara. Cactus and Tiger over Terry Funk and Keisuke Yamada. Great Kabuki and Takakuba Benke over Shoji Nakamaki and Kasumi Hirano. And then Goto and Ganesuke over Katniss and Tiger to win the belts. And yes, the boogeyman who teamed with Freddy Krueger and Doug Gilbert in the tournament was IWA regular Bob Barragale <laughs> under a hood. Or <laughs> how about that ass? <laughs> <It's> just, uh... <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so it was only like, what, a year before this when, you know, the whole... Eddie Gilbert getting blamed for, you know, Doug, you know. <laughs> well, actually, well, that was in wing, technically, I guess. But he's yeah, able to, you know, that, that's right. It wasn't wing, and then he just jumped over. And, of course, no problem just taking the name and the gimmicks with him. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. And I'm assuming Leatherface is uh, Rip Patterson, right? Um, Super Leather's in. Uh, yeah. Because Mike Kirshner, Super Leather, yes. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, because a bunch of names here I'm going, oh, my gosh, I've not seen – or thought some of these people in a long time. I I, I didn't know that was that was Kikutaro. It's because June, I know it's not his first name, but I'm guessing maybe that's just the name he used when he first started wrestling. It was. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Mitsunobu is his real is, is his real first name. Right. Which, also yeah, the other which name he, he would go as a wrestler. Yeah. Which yeah. he would go to. But yep. Yeah, that's yeah. why it threw me off when it said June. I'm like, is it? I don't know if it was. That's God, he's really young there then. Yeah, oh, he yeah. is I think he's 18 or 19, right? Yeah. I was going to say, because I knew he's only like 40-ish now. Yeah, he's it's, very dumb. Yeah. 
And it's weird because like some of these guys, I don't remember them really doing much. Like a Keisuke Yamada, it's like I don't know. Well, I don't remember him doing much else a few years later after this. They were the, they were IWA guys. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. and they just stayed in IWA. And then when IWA closed up, they didn't do anything. But Keisuke yeah. Yamada, though, you know, you know who Keisuke Yamada is. He's Black Buffalo. Oh, that's right. My gosh, see, see, like. <laughs> I shouldn't. I'm like, well, I'm going. I'm gonna refresh my memory on this, you know. <laughs> yeah, the guys who stuck around mainly ended up in Osaka Pro, and yeah. you know, Keizo Matsuda, you know, mm-hmm. was a guy who you know who stayed around. Um, of course, Satoru Shiga, you know that is yeah, Big Boss Magma. Mm-hmm. Shadow WX. Oh, that's right. No, that's right. I always lose track. No. Of some oh, there of you go. And suit. So- I can Sukioka, who's not here, but that's Kishiba Common. Mm-hmm. Um, Daisuke Tawe didn't do anything. Uh, um, I'm guessing, uh, was it uh, Ono must have been hurt or something because he's not anywhere on these shows. Hiroshi Ono? Uh, is it uh, Takeshi Ono? In that, is that the name? No, Hiroshi Ono is the. Hiroshi Ono, yeah, because he was the other major, like, like Japanese deathmatch guy, I thought with uh, Nakamaki around this time period. Yeah, he's not here. Yeah, I don't yeah. see him at all. So he must be hurt or something. Oh, that's right. Magnitude yeah. Kishawad is Big Boss Magma. Yes. All right, I mentioned a good pro wrestling now, and they ran two shows we can talk about here. Nakamura Sports Center in Nagoya on December 11th. We're at 1564. We have Terry Boy, Minstail and Shiru, Kaseyashi, over near Hiroshikawa and Masato Yokosuji. Grand Naniwa went to a double kendo with Yoni Genjin. Takamas 4 over Takamichinoku, and Grace Sasuke and Hanzo Nakajima over Super Delpin and Shuichi Funaki. And then Hakata Star Lanes on December 14th from the 2000. Terry Boy over Yarsuji. Wellington Wilkes Jr. went to a double count with Yoni Genjin. Taka and Funaki over Nahiro Hoshikawa and Takamas 4. Super Delpin and Grand Naniwa over Shiru and Kendo. And then a British Commonwealth Junior Boy title match. Great Sasuke retained over Hanzo Nakajima. That's kind of odd that Wilkins and Kendo are all of a sudden at this other show at Akata, not on the show in, you know, in, in uh, Nagoya, like three days later. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they maybe they were a little banged up. Who knows? But, yeah, that stuff happens, especially when they had, you know, you had these promotions that it, it, they had deep rosters at the yeah, time. Yeah. And because uh, New Japan used to do that, where there would be shows where guys would take shows off. You know, they would alternate the, the undercard guys. Yeah, because the all would be Kendo, because Kendo would come in occasionally and do like a tour or something like that. Maybe he just got in and now he's in for like a month or so. Who knows? Because I, I doubt Kendo would just be flown in for one show. So I'm sure he found some other bookings around the area or something. Possible, you know. But that's a good uh, solid time for that time period for sure. Oh yes, oh yeah, they have some, they have some talent. Absolutely. All right, Pancrase. Besides Super Jacob, the biggest show of the week was Pancrase on December 14th at Sporu before 4860. It wasn't considered a major show, although the main event was surprised, and that champion Boz Rutten took 27-35 before catching Ryushi Anagasawa in the choke sleeper. Ken Shamrock beat Kasumi Inagaki, and Frank Shamrock beat Vernon Tiger White. While in a strange result, Guy Metzger went to a no contest with Minoru Suzuki. Mesker apparently really took it to Suzuki, but inadvertently kicked him low when they stopped the match. It was announced after the show that the winner Rutin's Frank Shamrock's title match on January 28th would defend against Suzuki at the Budokan in May. All right, results. Osama Shibuya defeated Leon Dyke by majority decision. 
Uh, Jason Delusha over Takafumi Ito by submission. Masakatsu Fanaki over Takakafuke by submission. Shamrock over Nagaki. Ken. Frank Shamrock over Vernon Tucker White by submission. Monor Suzuki says here by TKO. Yeah, that's weird. That's... Over Guy Masker. And then Boz Rudin over Rushiana Gasawa by submission at 27.35. That's, that's crazy for anything to go that long in that time period. You know, people said, like, you know, sometimes, you know, Boss wouldn't be re- boss wasn't realizing that, you know, guys have got to work with them, you know. But I almost wonder, you know, with this sudden all of a sudden stoppage, I wonder if maybe, you know, maybe guy ha- was like beating up on Minoru and it's like, shoot, it's not what we want. And also, oh, I got kicked low. How convenient, you know. So let's stop this it fight. Is, it is pancreas. Yeah, exactly. It is pancreas where things happened. So. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, also, isn't the famous uh, Root and Delucia fight, isn't that also what really heats it up? I think it's the one where he allegedly breaks Delucia's liver in half with a palm strike. Is that Delucia faked a low blow? Oh, gosh, I'd have to look that I, up. Yeah, I don't remember. So, but it makes you wonder, like, yeah, some of those things. Is that something that the guy who was fighting boss or whoever was supposed to do because i don't know i mean what do you guys think i don't know we talked about it a little before do you think at least with rudin do you think he ever had any idea that people were carrying no or jobbing to him no, no i doubt it no but it's clearly I, I have a feeling he was, he's one of those types who i think would be would really take offense to it you know yes. I think so. But it's, at this point, I'd be shocked if it wasn't happening. Yeah, it's possible. And the big the big thing is just how, how quickly in his run that he starts being able to submit people, I think is the biggest evidence that people are throwing fights to him. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, Suzuki, Funaki, and, you know, we've been doing, like, you know, the shoot-style matches for several years at this point. So it's like, oh, yeah, really? This guy all of a sudden from Europe who's a striker? Because admit that? Yeah, no. <laughs> Definitely suspicious. Yes. My favorite part of the whole thing, though, is that Chris Dolman was secretly the one booking the Dutch guys into Pancras, even though he was also booking the Dutch guys into rings for works. <laughs> my whole it's thing in the, yeah, my whole thing in the 90s was the fact that there were two Chris Dolmans. There was the Chris Dolman that was working, uh, you know, rings and stuff, and there was Chris Dolman, the NFL player. Oh yeah. Even though they spoke their names differently, but still. Yeah. And as Wooden uh, tells girls. it, the rings guys in this era, the Dutch rings guys, would piss off the Dutch Pancrase guys by swearing that their matches were real and talking about how they won <laughs> these tough fights. Hilarious! What a bunch of marks. Uh, all right, UWFI. After beating Patrick Smith on the December 9th K1 show in Nagoya, Kyoshi Tamara said it was only a, a K1 show he'd be doing, and he was a pro wrestler. <laughs> Yuko Miyato won the three heads of UWFI before it fell apart, was Tamara's trainer and cornerman for the USC Rules match. After the match, Tamara said if he had lost the match, he'd lost face for UWFI and retired, so he put a lot of pressure on himself. Both Nomiko Takata and Ekosano were also at ringside for the show. The impression given was that Tamara would not return to UWFI in the New Japan feud, but with the win, now has added tremendous credibility to himself to be a top star in the feud. <laughs> well, that never fucking happens. Nope. Yeah, which is a, one of the biggest shames ever, the fact that he was not involved in that feud and not involved in any real proper pro wrestling 
until you style. You know, yeah. ten years later. I gotta well, think too that if if he goes to New Japan in the feud, he's probably slotted as a junior heavyweight. Yeah. Which means they that, have to have to. Which yeah. means that Liger is the one booking him and he's probably fine. <laughs> yeah. You know? Wait, I don't think he wanted to be a junior. Proceed yeah. that. I guess, but you get what I'm saying though, like the UWF guys were protected fine on the junior heavyweight side of things. Like they did not get the treatment that the heavyweights yeah, the did that were getting booked. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, what's the <laughs> what's the biggest win the UWFI guys get on the first Tokyo Dome show? It's Sano beating Liger. Yeah. Which I mean, now, granted, that's the natural match, so of course he's going to be at least the first one to re- feud with Liger in the feud. But still, it's it's a big what if, and then for a while he seems to really want to stick with pro wrestling even though the fact that he is a gifted shooter and it's either probably him or Sakuraba that's the best shooter in UWFI at this point that he just doesn't seem to have a real interest in it at the time so it doesn't happen until he's a little older so he wasn't in Kingdom? I think he went to Rings first he went to Rings yeah because I know that was the Kingdom group that started in like he went to Rings he went to Rings Okay, I was trying to remember if he was in that group or not, because I know that was the next UWFI, like, offshoot, quote-unquote. Okay. Yeah, and when he went to the rings, it wasn't long before they went full shoot, too. So I think that was a thing, too, that played into that. Yes, and then, of course, you have all the Meltzer stuff lamenting that he's being booked in shoots he shouldn't be booked in, and blah, blah, blah. All right, let's go to Joshi, All Japan Women. Kyoko Inoue and Tomoko Watanabe won the AJW tournament on December 10th at Corken Hall before Saw 2250, beating Manami Toyota and Kara Ito in the finals in 2201 when Kyoko pinned Toyota. This finish sets up Kyoko's challenge to Toyota's title, which takes place on January or more likely March 31st at Yokohama Bunker Arena. Um, both teams finished a round robin tie with 10 points. Or excuse me, Yokohama Arena, not New Bunker Arena, the big building. Consolation round match also took place on the show as Yumiko Hota and Reggie Bennett beat Takako Inoue and Naja Khan when Bennett pinned uh, Inoue, making up for Inoue beating Bennett for the other way title on December 4th in 1654. Both teams finished with nine points in the round robin. Remainder standing saw Akira Hokuto and Mimishimoto, the current Triple WA Tag Champions, finished fifth with eight points, followed by Esko Mita and Toshi Yamato with six, Sakai Shigawa and Mariko Yoshida with four, and Chaprita Sari and y- Yushiko Tamara was zero. All right, let's go to the results here. Mari Mogami over Kayonomi in your opener. Oh, yes. Mina Taniyama and Nobu Endo over Masai Watanabe and Yukashina. Tanny Mouse and Masai Genki Bix here in an early match here on the show. I'm sorry. Yumi Fukawa, Yuki, Yumi Fukawa and Sakashigawa over Rie Tamada and Mariko Yoshida. Yoshiko Tamura, Mima Shimoda, and Nakira Hokuto over Eskomina, Toshiya Mata, and Linus Asuka. Then we had Bennett and Hota over Aja Kaga, Takai And in the finals, Gokumanto, Kiko Inoue, and Tomoko Watanabe over Manami Teona Karito in the main event. And instead of here to Sakashigawa of All Japan Women announced her retirement this past week. Ashigawa, 25, was bothered by a recurring neck injury. Early retirements on the flip side of the AJW Fantastic Work Rate. She'll rush to the end of March and have her final match at the Yokohama Arena. Wow, she's 25. Because I remember, you know, 
a year before this, right at the uh, the Tokyo Dome show in November '94, one of the biggest things in the show was debuting her Blizzard Yuki thing. You know, yeah. I'm sure they were looking to something really big with her with that. Oh, it's a shame. She was really great. Is she and she's ret- she stays retired until uh, 2001. Yeah, she comes back for a match against Michiko, Michiko Omakai, and then retires again. Doesn't come back again until 2010, when she showed up working. The 10th anniversary of Neo, oh. where, where she worked as Blizzard Yuki, teaming with Mima Shimoda and Tani Mouse to be Atsuko Emoto, Kyoko Kimura, and Tomoko, Tomoko Nakagawa in 22-22, Bix. Mm. Oof. <laughs> I, we got to cover that week eventually, because uh, the, the 10th anniversary of Neo, are you kidding me right now? It's a shame, though, that Masai Genki isn't working the show. Well, sure. Vix now has the match to watch after he watches the Shinjo Typhoon against Gigante. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is sad, though, because 95 really was her breakout year. You know, the Blizzard Yuki thing wasn't necessarily clicking, but she started to get more of a push regardless, and then she gets hurt. And it's not just the style, though, that was causing all these injuries. It's that... As we mentioned sometimes before, all Japan women had by far the roughest schedule of any major Japanese promotion. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, they, those girls are working like 300 matches a year. And we're not doing the Hulk Hogan version. It's actually legitimate, like 300 dates a year, which seems crazy that they're nonstop touring. Like, I don't remember seeing that many results even reading the observers back in this time period. It's like, wow. And how they work, too. Right. Oh, they yeah. never took a night off. No. Yeah. From that stuff, you know, from doing the hard go 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 style. Okay, let me look real quick. If I were to pick a year, so let's just say, let's say 1994 then, because of the injury. I'm typing 1994 into the search in her cage match profile. And, okay. and this is arguably the the last, you know, the the peak of them in that time period for sure with the dome. So Hasegawa, who let's assume this was a longer running injury, maybe even too. Hasegawa, at least on Cage Match, has 167 matches in 94. Jeez. <laughs> so that mm. is, yeah, that, I mean, that's averages out to more than three a week. Yeah. Which, you know, on a Japanese touring schedule is kind of a lot anyway. Right. And then <laughs> let me throw in someone else. So let's see Toyota then, who, all things considered, has held up quite well with injuries. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. amazingly. So, let's should I pick ninety four or ninety five for it? Let's just do ninety four for the direct comparison. She, I mean, suppose it's possible we're missing some. She has one seventy one. Okay. You know, we, they, but we've heard this so many times. They were running so many dates. I gotta think that there's stuff we just don't have results for too. Even though the majors usually had good coverage in terms of you know, how much results we have. Mm-hmm. All right, JWP, they ran a major show in the seminar life at Yokama Punka Gym with Karu and Hikari Fukuoka, who make a great cohesive tag team, in Dave's eyes, win the JWP tag titles, beating Dynamite Kansai and Kyuji Suzuki. In the main event, Devil Masami doing her Undertaker gimmick as super heel Devil Masami, <laughs> beat Queen of the Street Fights, Mayumi Ozaki, in the Street Fight which lasted 30 minutes and 38 seconds. So she's the female equivalent of Marco Huas. Yes. Great. Yes. I love it. All right. Hiromi Shugo and Kanaka Matoya over Keiro Nakayama and Yukari Shikura. 
Plum Mariko and Command Bolshoi over Fusai Onochi and Saburo. Hiromi Yagi and Yumifakawa over Rie Tamana and Yukushina. Reko Amano, Tomoko Kazumi and Tomoko Miyaguchi team with Yuki Miyazaki to beat Meiko Satomura, Sonoko Kato, Chikayo Nagashima, and Chihiro Nakano. Then we had the Dress Up Wild Yokohama Nightmare Street Fight that Dove Masami won over Mayumi Miyazaki in 3038 and tagged automatic Kari over Donamai Kansai and Kyu Suzuki in 26-21. That paper looks like a really big upset, too. You know, with the Fukuoka and Kaoru winning like that. I was like, wow, that's a pretty big win there. But you got to love that street fight name. That's such a Japanese thing where you just put random, put these words together and just, just sound tremendous. <laughs> Dress up wild Yokohama nightmare street fight. <laughs> yeah, I think people in the West usually called it like wild dress up fight, but same difference. And I don't know if I've ever seen this one. I remember hearing it was supposed to be really good, but... As much of an Ozaki fan as I am, you know, I'm glad I got to see her live ones, even if it, she was kind of washed by then. Um, some of these street fights of hers went way too long. No, you don't say. Oh. It's all oh, about hey, the game went, and how you play. Tag title. <laughs> yeah, like thirty minutes for any street fight sounds too long. Yeah. All right, uh, that's it for Japan. Well, we got some Germany here too. So let's talk about Germany and Auto Vox, oh, yeah. CWA. Two shows at the Stadthall in Bremen, Germany on December 9th. Jojo Lee, Kojima over Dan Collins. August Schmeisel over Big Titan. Victor Kruger over Fit Finley. Tony St. Clair over Jimmy Allen Nightheart. Rugged Rod Price over Tuco Scorpio by disqualification. And then a steel cage, Ice Train, and Rambo, Luke Poirier, over Cannonball Grizzly, Yo Baby, Yo Baby, Yo PN News, and John Hawk, John Lafey. Wow. Wow. There's some big man action on this show, top to bottom. Oh, my gosh. And, and there's one more show. <laughs> the 14th at Stat Hall in Bremen. We have JoJo Lee of a Rod Price by DQ. Tuco Scorpio beat Jim the Evil Nightheart in a street fight. Well, that's so what it, it would be in a real, well. By disqualification in a street fight. Well. <laughs> Is that right? Been, so you got to yes. remember, though. <laughs> and no. And because I'm not, that, I'm not, that happens. I know. I know. Especially, <laughs> like, if you watch old Mid-South and Memphis. Street fights are not necessarily no DQ. False count anywhere is not necessarily no DQ. Even something like a dog collar match is not necessarily no DQ. There are ways they make sense of it in that era, but I'm not sure if they did that here. Probably not. Jimmy Einhardt was not going to put two gold over. No, no. (laughs) Then we had a a chain match. Tony St. Clair over Dan Collins. Texas Bull Rope match. John Hawk over Victor Kruger, and then another steel cage where Big Titan, Cannonball Grizzly, and Fit Finley beat August Schmeisel, Ice Train, and Rambo. Um, I do have one so question. Much. Is that Dan Collins, Danny Boy Collins? Yes. Yes. It is. Wow, okay. So he, all right, cool. Good to see. Because it's weird seeing Dan Collins. I've never seen it just written like that. Yeah, usually he's Danny or Danny Boy. It's not yeah. usually Dan. You know? So I get that. Um, also, is it me or is John Hawk versus Victor Kruger kind of like the Spider-Man pointing at himself meme? 
<laughs> at least in 1995. In, in that era, yes. They, they had uh, very similar looks at the time. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a crew. And what a crew. Uh, I guess we're, what, about a week out from Eurocatch Festival? Something like that. Biggest show of the year, so all leading up to that. Yeah. All right, well, it's halftime. So after some great 1995 commercials, we'll pivot to halftime. And we'll come back and talk about the Patreon show, which we've recorded as we record this. Then we'll uh, hit the plugs, come back. Taro will join us as we go to other North America, where we have uh, some notes about the Stu Hart show. And then we have Star Def, AAA, plus so much more in the Lucha section. Come back with us after the break. Where are you? Right here. Look what Kmart's got, an RCA CD audio system. How much? Only 137 bucks. Let's hear it. Kmart is my favorite store. Listen up, they got bargains galore. Kmart, yeah, I like it a lot. A Kmart, oh, go girl, K to the F. Save the more than $50 on, on this three CD system with remote. This week at today's Kmart. I say what? The Kmart. This holiday season, MGM and United Artists present the very best in action-adventure excitement. The very words I live by. GoldenEye is the number one Bond film of all time. My letters! And coming soon, from the director of Cliffhanger and Die Hard 2, is the motion picture event critics are calling the blockbuster of the year. Cutthroat Island, ready PG-13, starts Friday, December 22nd, and GoldenEye, ready PG-13, now playing. From the people at Game Players Magazine, a letter to Santa. And uh, Santa, don't screw it up. Get the right one. Only two ninety nine. Sunday on an all-new Mad About You. It's their first New Year's apart. And Paul drops the ball in Times Square. The cable's going to slip. What are you kidding me? The one year I decide to stay home. And a Hope and Gloria meet Dennis's ex-wives. Yeah. Your family. Family this. All-new NBC Sunday. Hi, I'm Madeline Kahn, and I'm hosting Saturday Night Live this week. Oh, joy. Christmas has arrived a bit early. Oh, thank you, Santa. <laughs> Drink what tastes good Because television can make anything look delicious I like a man who doesn't tell you everything he knows. Who takes it slow. Don't say a word. Available at fine department and specialty stores near you. From a land of snow and ice. Rosie, we can get that medicine through. Comes a story of courage and triumph. Mush! Celebrate this holiday with Balto. You're a hero! Rated G. Starts Friday, December 22nd. You're watching Friends on NBC. 
When he saw her, he had to have her. You stay away from my daughter. No cop could stop him. We've got no grounds for arrest. No court could convict him. How do you predict what a crazy man can do next? One mother is left with no choice. Joanna Cassidy in the story of how one family ended a nightmare. I am the stalker, NBC Monday. All right, we're back. And I hope you enjoyed those great 1995 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We'll begin to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we finished recording part two of the series on John Collins' main event championship wrestling with the King of King Sport, Bo James. And uh, if you love part one, part two is going to blow your mind. And you definitely uh, want to listen to this. If you have listened to part one, miss a part one, then listen to this. Five dollars a month. You got to get in on this. This is an amazing show. The stories that Bo tells in this show are just wow. You get a you get a big lesson on some things on this show, especially how to promote towns. Yes, <laughs> a big. He lesson. ends up giving like a forty minute. I mean, I haven't edited it yet, but he gives like a forty minute lesson in promoting towns locally. Yes, <laughs> yes. Which you know, wow. I just I was just sitting there listening, like wow. This is just. You know, you're not going to learn any better than that about how to pr- properly promote small towns or even big towns. Like he tells a story about what he did with TNA. So you definitely need to listen to this show. If you haven't listened to any of our Patreon shows yet, you need to listen to this one. You need to listen to this one. And, and the fact that, I mean, Bo's got a lot of health issues right now that he's going through. He talks about it on the show. This could be the last time he records with us for a while. So, well, definitely going to be the last time he records with us for a little while because he's got he's got to have some procedures done. But you need to listen to this show because Bo's an amazing storyteller and he does an amazing job on this show telling stories about his involvement in John Collins' main event championship wrestling. Plus, like I said, the long tutorial on how to promote wrestling. And that's not but even I'm- getting into the stuff that we have in the coverage and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. John, John, the insanity of John Collins. You know the the uh, you know postscript of the ECW show, and boy, that turned quick. The ECW Arena show, and then um, how how many of the championship fell apart in just a matter of weeks. Yes, and yeah. also the fact that I guess because it was like a year removed from everything else. The fact that no one even remembers that the thing that John Collins went to federal prison for was this. Yes, and we go into that story on who his backer was, who his secret backer was as well, and um, yeah, just so much stuff. And and John Collins starting another wrestling company after it, and wow, it's it's just craziness, total insanity. Five dollars, folks. Put it down. You won't regret it. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. The uh, highly regarded Patreon.com slash between the sheets. A lot of uh, people lately have been coming to me and talking about how much they love the show. And uh, yeah, a lot of people that you might not expect listen, listen. So uh, definitely check that out. And uh, hell, we we got so many shows up now. I mean, we're well over five years in the archive, and uh, so much great audio. You can't beat it. You're five dollars. You can you can you can listen to 
You can listen to so much great audio content for cheaper than you can buy a combo meal at a fast food restaurant. And believe me, our audio content will, uh, will uh, you know, ease your hunger pains much better than a meal from McDonald's or Wendy's. Go ahead. <laughs> well, two other things to add to. One, as a reminder, we now have the pay one year in advance for a discount option, which is 16% off. So you can do a year for 50-40, which someone else did this week, as we'll talk about. And uh, also, we decided that since the part two of MECW ended up being long enough, we're just going to try to record, we're going to try to put the show out ASAP and then record the stuff with the people we're going to try to record supplementary stuff with and just upload that separately as an additional bonus page. And, and being so close to the holidays, it may be January before that, that gets done, but it will be done. And yeah, I mean, we'll have that up. So that will be definitely some extras for everybody on uh, the Patreon. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a hell of a time here. And we've already, you know, got one show booked for, uh, next year so far. We're trying to figure out some, a couple other things. So yes, you definitely want to be part of the Patreon and as uh, 2022 moves on. Yes. All right. And also just the John Collins stuff in general is just so much more insane on part two. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah, absolutely. We've got him, we've got him harassing message board posters. Well, a message board poster on AOL Instant Messenger. We've got him having to do a four-way conference call with Todd Gordon, Dave Shearer, and Bob Ryder. Yeah, which is where he says that I know, but I'm where he makes some very interesting comments. Um, I don't want to get too much away. No, I know. I'm not giving anything away. But there's that. There's uh, just everything completely fall falling apart. Got some other startups that are bullshit mixed in, including one that also sent someone else to prison. <laughs> um, well, there was one big thing for getting some names that if you have were not have, are not well versed in this story, you will be very surprised to see here, or in one case, actually not that surprised when you really think about it. But there's just so much here, so much, and also. Um, we should start plugging to the show that they're doing as a benefit for Bo as well, I think, right? Since this is the first yes. time we're recording anything since he uh, sent us the poster and stuff. Do you have that in front of you, or should I try to grab it? Yeah, let me let me pull it up real quick. Um, you know, Bo does a um, has been doing a charity show every year um, before Christmas for the uh, Hunger First charity that his mom was invo- involved with. And um, this show is that as well, but they are doing a benefit show for Bo on uh, December 26th at the Model City Event Center in Kingsport, Tennessee, where, um, you know, Ricky Morton's son, Carrie, is going to be working this show. Dr. Tom Pritchard is going to be working this show. Um, Brian Logan, some of you may know him, working the show. A lot of other local uh, favorites from East Tennessee in that area. And um, yeah, it's it's a beneficial for Bo. A, a thank you to Bo for all the hard work he's done for all these years in the wrestling business. Some thirty-two years, basically now in the wrestling business. So, uh, everybody, go check that out um, if you're in the area on December twenty-six. And uh, if you want to donate to uh, Hunger First, that's hunger-first.org. 
that Bo would definitely appreciate that. So um, just check his Twitter, check his social media. He'll have more about that there. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, help Bo if you can through this tough time. Yes, of course, and also Southern uh, States Wrestling Network and all the other stuff he's got going on. So. Patreon.com slash King of Kings port for him as well with his audio on there. Yeah, so. All right, so yeah, that's $5 a month for that. $25, well, $1 gets you thanks to this segment, which do uh, in just a sec- second, plus access to the Discord. $25 lets you pick a show for the week. Make sure that you pick a show that we haven't done already. If we did, or somebody else may have picked, and make sure you have backup choice handy. Believe me, you need to be prepared because you never know. And um, get the information in the bigs through the Patreon protocol on the website. 30 day rules in effect. Get the information before 30 days. 10 year rules in effect Wednesday to Tuesday. So, and if you have any questions, just notify Bix or myself, and then uh, we'll get you straightened out on that regard. Fifty dollars uh, for a segment of that show, and a hundred for the whole show if you choose. So that's Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. Bix, who have to this week is our new and/or returning patrons. Uh, real quick, just to give an idea of what kind of things are going on in the Discord right now. By the way, before we get to that, as I'm catching up myself, we have Ian Riccoboni and Dave Prezak discussing, uh, trying to figure out why Dave Meltzer would send them a Hall of Fame ballot and then not the next year. So. That's the kind of things you can look forward to in the Between the Sheets Discord. They didn't get one this year? Prezak said he got one eight, like eight years ago, and then they stopped, and Ian said, I think he got one, and then it, and then he didn't, but that it's been a coin flip. It's weird. I mean, who, I, who can explain it? You know, I mean, I mean it is I what it is. I never stopped getting one, even when Dave and I weren't getting along. <laughs> I, I know he sometimes stops sending them if you don't vote, though. That's the one thing he's been pretty consistent in, I believe. Yeah, I, all, I, all I know is what I know. So and that's what I get about. And I've vouched for a couple people, and they haven't gotten ballots. So yes. it is what it is. See, you're probably better at remembering to suggest that Matt Griffin get a ballot than I am. <laughs> I didn't name any names. <laughs> I knew who you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so who got this week as our new and or returning patrons? And we'll also include, I mean, we've been doing it, but from here on, uh, we'll include people who went to the annual payment, too. So we would like to thank Dean H. Thanks, Dean. Joe Larson. Thanks, Joe. Michael Hogan of TV's The Hogan Family. (laughs) Thank you, Michael Hogan. Ryan Piggini. Thanks, Ryan. Jeff Pop, with two with Thanks. two P's at the end, went to uh, annual. Thanks, Jeff. And then we've got Brad Steyer. Brad. <laughs> this is my new favorite pa- patron. ROH's tribal tattoo logo. <laughs> Thank you, ROH's Travel Tattoo logo, and their last show is running as we record this, so there you go. He, well, the last show of the contract era, I guess, is the way to call it. Unless, of course, they end up just filming, which I feel like if I feel like if they were, they'd be selling the tape library. So I, I do believe they're, con- they're at least planning to continue as of right now. Well, let's hope so. That way, uh, our friends that do work at Ring of Honor can maybe get 
get to come back to work at Ring of Honor. Yeah. Uh, who else? Who else we got to think? That was the last one? That was the last one? Yes. Oh, I didn't know. Well, anyway. Well, I think I said, and finally, my new fa- favorite patron. Oh, oh, I didn't get the finally part. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. Maybe I didn't. Uh, I don't know. All right. So we think on you new patrons, returning patrons, patrons from the beginning, and patrons that have come along the way for supporting us at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. IWTV, Bix. What's going on there? Well, at least as we record this last night, there was a new uh, West Coast Pro Wrestling show live stream uh, that included a main event of front of the show, AJ Gray, in a uh, street fight of sorts against Jacob Fatu. And let me pull up the match list again to refresh my memory. I did not see the whole thing. Uh, but what I saw, I saw from the second half of the show, was really good after the intermission, which was uh, also friends of the show, Vinny Massaro versus Daniel Garcia, plus Alex Shelley versus Kevin Blackwood, and Ray Horus versus ACH. Plus the show also has, uh, let's see, Dark Sheik and Tristadora versus Nicole Savoy and Janai Kai, West Coast Wrecking Crew versus Birdie King and Carl Fredericks, Alex Hammerstone versus Juicy Finau, Titus Alexander, Rocky Romero, and uh, opening four-way elimination match of uh, two people I'm familiar with and two people not so much, Midas Creed versus Yoya versus Nick Wayne versus D-Rogue. So a very nice-looking card from them, and like I said, what I saw from the second half of the show was really quite good. Uh, You know, West Coast Pro always has, you know, very nice production values and stuff too, which is nice to see. So they've been putting on some pretty consistently entertaining shows lately. So... Definitely something worth checking out on IWTV. Let's see, what else do we have as far as uh, additions, as far as the on-demand? We've got some Demand Lucha shows. We've got some new Deathmatch Down Under. We've got... I saw IWW, and I was thinking, wait, I- Irish Rip Wrestling's not in there. There And it's, no, it's uh, Brooklyn's Industrial World Wrestling. They're one of their latest shows from October is up. New South, of course, has the new Action Clash. And, of course, the new Beyond shows, including their return for... uh, That would probably be the last thing to talk about here. Their big show from last week, their return to FET Music Hall in Providence after several years away and various political bullshit that I still don't quite understand. They ran. I have not seen the whole show. I saw part of it live. But it includes uh, Megan Bain versus Tasha Steele's. Uh, Alex Reynolds and John Silver versus Mark Sterling and BSK, Masha Slamovich, Kimberly, Willer Yuta, Tracy Williams, Slade and Ricky Shane Page. Very good-looking show there. So going to try to check out the rest of that when I can. Oh, Blake Christian versus Alec Price at all, as well, which I did see on the live stream one was really good. Um, Blake Christian, one of those guys who, even though he didn't get much ring time on tapings, seems like he really improved at the Performance Center. Yeah, I mean, that's what they were supposed to be there for, to improve, so... Yeah, that's a good, but... good sign. Given his lack of matches on tapings in front of crowds, you never know. Because he had, really, he wrestled so few times while he was in WWE. But I remember when he had that TV match with Kushida. Like, you could tell he had gotten a lot better. You know, like, obviously, athletically and all that, he was already there, but... He has gotten dramatically better between the spots. Like, ridiculously so. So, you know, especially over the course of a year where he's having so few matches. So, that's cool to see. And, you know, he's 
he's one of the guys who, when they got released, you knew that they would go back to where they were on the indies before things got shitty with the pandemic. So he seems to be thriving, and that's great to say. Yeah, and I want to put out a call to IWTV and to um, Bill Barons or whoever. Uh, let's get some new Wild Side up. It's we're, been a bit, uh, yeah. A little bit, a little and bit and we're, we're getting to the point. We're about to record the next Exile, and uh, that ends in December, basically. So, uh, yeah, let, let's, let's get some stuff up. You know, this up in other places, but I'd like to have it up on IWTV just to help IWTV out. Well, yes. So, uh, so yeah, let's 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 get it together and uh, let's get some some new stuff up for January and February, at least. So um, yeah, do that and we'll all be happy. But if you haven't watched the stuff, go ahead and watch this stuff up there now because um, well, I mean, I'll go ahead and transition this into the plugs. Um, well, we'll I recording. didn't give the uh, code yet, though. Chris. Go ahead. So go ahead. If you do sign up for IWTV, it's. Uh, code BTS pod to help support us as we get a referral fee for each month that you stay a paid subscriber when you do that. That's code BTS pod. And as always, all the stuff we talk about in this segment is in the show notes. Yeah. And so I'm, the show is not, I mean, I haven't even set a date yet, but I've been almost finished watching everything. And um, yeah, you, we're doing three months, the last three months of 2001. October, November, December, and this is some amazing wrestling television, folks. You need to watch this. It's, I mean, it is just flat out amazing. This is some of the best stuff that, that Waltz has ever put out. So if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it because everything is just grooving. I cannot wait to do this show with Jeff and Dan as they're so prominent in it as well. So, yes, definitely. Everybody check out Wildside IWT, IWTV. Yes. All right. Well, also as well. That's the peak of my wild side fandom, because that's when they got on TV in New York. And uh, as we made reference to on the Patreon show, but we should mention here, uh, that's the next Exile is going to serve in some weird ways as a little bit of a companion piece to the John Collins Patreon stuff. Yeah, because Big Business Brown was doing a John Collins tribute gimmick. And um, Jeff and Dan were basically booking a lot of this stuff. Yes. With help from others, but they're but they're part of the main crew booking. So we'll definitely get into that discussion as well. So well, yeah, they will go. <laughs> not just that, but at the same time, as you'll hear about on the Patreon show, and I hope you mention on the Exile too. John Collins briefly did a heel manager gimmick on Burke Prentice's TV that Bill had just stopped syndicating recently as well as another Nashville indie that Bill was about to start syndicating at the same time that he had a John Collins parody gimmick in his own promotion. Yeah, it'll probably come up. <laughs> it's on the notes right now, but it'll probably come up in conversation. <laughs> that's amazing. But anyway, yeah, so that's coming soon. Um, I don't think I have any specific plugs this Well, I'm not done. <laughs> yeah, well, go ahead. Well, you didn't do Twitter plugs yet anyway, I don't think. so. Yeah. So, um, I did a show with uh, my friend Jonathan Hood of ESPN Chicago on his Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday podcast uh, about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And everybody can go check that out. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was his first year of getting the ballot. So, he was excited about that. He's been around a long time. And uh, he was very happy in that, at getting that. But, um yeah, go check that out. 
their Twitter handles at wrestling TWT, but the podcast is all over your normal podcast outlets. So, um, Jay hood's been around a long time. In fact, uh, talking to, uh, our friend, Rich Kreish from voice of wrestling, he said that Jonathan hood was his inspiration to get into podcasting. So yeah. And so it's, uh, good times when I talk to Jonathan, so go check that out. Um, and, of course, I did the show with Voices on their Patreon. So same subject, but a little bit shorter. But, yeah, go check that out if you want to listen to Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame stuff. Um, but, yeah, and, of course, next week on this show, uh, we go back to 1990. It'll be a Patreon requested show with our friend Joe Blair. And um, we'll be talking about Starcade 90. A lot of stuff going on there. A heavy WCW show, folks. Heavy WCW show. It takes up uh, almost the entire notes. Japan's off, so ain't nothing going on there, really. Yeah, um, WWF greatly w- slows down at this time of year back then. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot of WWF stuff. Mexico's slowing down, so it's basically WCW and everything else. So uh should be quite the show. And a lot of WCW everybody moments as they're in limbo at this time because we're in the Barry Windham booking era of WCW. As Dusty isn't firmly on board yet, Oli's been removed from power. So, yeah, we're in the Barry Windham era. So we'll talk about that and all kind of other stuff with Joe. Yes, so including, that, well, I'm sure we're going to talk about and watch the clip of the wildest WCW, like, ridiculousness moment that I guess because it's not Nitro era doesn't get talked about enough. And that is Ric Flair is the Black Scorpion coming out of a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. So so much to talk about next week in WCW. Alright, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner. K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. David Bix at David Bix. And since you ain't got nothing to plug on your own end, we haven't plugged I, uh, Viper VPN yet, so go ahead and pop that out. Yes. Well, I did realize I'll probably be recording uh, an episode of Menschwarmers, the noted Jewish wrestling, excuse me, Jewish sports podcast this week. I don't know when oh, it'll come out though. Nice. Menschwarmers. Yeah, they had they had been yes they had been they had been getting at me for coming on for a while, and at first I was going to do this week, and then I realized like, no, I'm not I love doing that more. Name. No, it's a great name. But I I was, they were going to do it this past Thursday, but I was like, you know what? We're doing so much this week. I need to take Thursday off. So, uh, oh God, yes, yeah, we, yeah, we recorded the, like hell this past week. Yes, yeah, so uh, probably within the next week or two, I'll be on there. And yes, Viper VPN. Go to tinyurl.com/slash/btsvpn for the best deal, and also the one that really helps support us. Viper VPN. That the best deal they have there: sixty bucks for three years, less than a dollar sixty-seven a month. Helps encrypt your traffic if you're, you know, browsing on public Wi-Fi and the like. Let's you switch the country you're showing so you can get around geoblocks. All sorts of good stuff like that. Has other security features too. They have an Android TV app to make it easier to watch these streaming services from other countries. Just all around good stuff. So tinyurl.com slash ptsvpn for Viper VPN. Also, when I brought them up on Twitter in the past, endorsed by... Uh, Tim Burke, formerly of Deadspin, and he does so much like video and tech stuff and all that, that if he's endorsing it, you know it's good. They may know, well, I mean, his Twitter handle's at Bubba Prog. Yes, they might know him better as Bubba Prog. Yeah. So, uh, yes. 
the guy who tweets, the guy who used to be a Deadspin and Daily Beast that tweets the sports clips with the different radio and audio tracks and stuff. That guy. Yeah, and also, as you know, I've been uh, joining him in this lately, complaining about the sorriness of some of the supposed HD uh, video of some of these football games and events lately that especially Disney has been putting out uh, on ESPN. That's been a sad excuse for HD. So, uh, yeah, he's a very entertaining Twitter account for people that's uh, fans of television. So Yes, and yeah. he has, you know, he's has his methods for ripping the streams of everything so i'm sure he's able to say like down to the bit rate and exact resolution of everything what they're serving everyone oh god it's been terrible this college football season oh horrible and this is all through what this is through espn plus or oh regular espn abc and, and it's mainly been like west coast feeds but yeah i mean there's oh, so this sh- is on tv this is not just in the app on television yeah i mean it, it, it's caught it's them being cheap fix that's what it is. It's them being cheap. They're cost cutting. So they're sending. Is it Disney? Disney's cost cutting. So what exactly are they doing though that's making it look worse? It looks like an HD feed from two thousand and six. Okay. I mean, it's old equipment. It's not up to date. I mean, they just they're cost. So it's, it's cost- oh, so it's the cameras and the on-site broadcasting equipment. It's not. It's not the transmission. Yeah, it's okay. it's what the yeah it's just ridiculous. They're cost cutting. Disney, that's not good. Well, that's what I said. If everybody complaining about WWE using cost cuts and excuse, here's fucking Disney doing it on why their shit don't look that great anymore on national on television. Football broadcasts. Yeah, so it's ridiculous, man. It's utterly ridiculous. But anyway, I digress. All right, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, we're back, and let's go to North America, and we begin with some stampede news. Brian Pillman was confirmed for the Stu Hart show on December 15th in Calgary, as was W.S. Rad Radford. Vince McMahon mentioned on Raw this week that Stu would be celebrating his 80th birthday on Friday, but actually Stu's 80th birthday was this past May. <laughs> Pillman started his career in stampede wrestling in a tag team called Bad Company with Bruce Hart. Dave's not sure what Radford's connection is to Calgary, other than he's friends with Bowen Hart. But then it's good enough. Yes. And he ends up being in the straight up WWF versus WCW match on the show against Chris Benoit, which for some reason is not considered a remotely big story in the newsletters. Which is insane because of the the, the situation. Yes. And And the WWF guy lost clean, too. (laughs) So I can tell you a fun fact about this. Um... If you ever seen the handheld footage, that is a friend of mine who does live here in Southern California who filmed that. I don't know if I've ever oh, seen wow. the handheld. I think I've seen the two different pro shot versions. I don't think I've ever seen. Okay, that yeah, because I because I know a friend of mine went up with uh, later uh, pro star Matt Sinister because Matt actually did train at the Hart School and they decided to take a road trip and just go up to see the show and and I think Matt was going to try to you know make some connections and my friend was one of the people who always would film shows in the LA area and so. He filmed it. I don't never ever seen the footage, but you know, if everybody's seen any handheld footage from out there, I forgot it was pro shot, but they actually did a road trip to Calgary to film that show. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a pretty big show for this time as far as, yeah. Bud. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Are we All going right. to talk about that same friend in a minute too? Yes. Okay. So here we go. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's go to Los Angeles 
proper first. Triple-A Los Angeles, a match that on paper looked to be one of the worst main events of the year, ended up setting a new standard for high-risk maneuvers. Triple-A's return to the Los Angeles Sports Arena on December 9th before 4,000 fans was headlined by what was billed as a UFC Rules Star of Death cage match with Conan, Pedro Aguayo, going against Cibernetico and Cien Carlos. This morning, but not surprise the crowd, roughly half of the smallest crowd AAA has drawn a date at the sports arena was due to a number of factors. One, it's third consecutive Saturday night that a major Lucha Libre event was held in Los Angeles. Two, local television has cut back just one hour per week, and the shows that air are four weeks out of date, which means only two matches air, so new storylines and new characters are hit and miss. It's even air on a delayed basis, and the angles into the show never air on local television. Three, on paper, the show didn't look as attractive as previous major shows. Four, currently all the promotions in Mexico seem to work harder at hurting each other than doing this themselves. But the second point is going to make it hard for this trend to reverse itself. In Mexico, AAA gets three hours per week, and even then, it's hard to keep track of the storylines. With one hour, it's impossible. The show lasted nearly four hours. It was one of the better shows AAA's put on in the United States, although not at the level of the Wind Worlds Collide show. Well, one of the people that's at this show is on this call right now. Believe it or not, yes, I was actually there for this. All right, so so Tara, let's let's run down the factors. Um, the third consecutive Saturday night of Lucha Libre event was held in Los Angeles. Did that have an effect on this? First off, I can't even think of a a third show. But the only thing I'm assuming is the week before, two weeks before, would have been the uh, the Ron Scholar CMLL show at the at the Forum which I think would have drawn a little bit more than this. I want to say it drew around 7,000 or so, and that had uh, Santo against Negro Costa as the main event, if I remember correctly. And Eddie Guerrero on the show as well. The, the Eddie was on the show, but I don't know how much 4, Eddie was a draw. Like, Eddie was just in a casual six-man. I'm going to hate to say it like that. You, you, I mean, I think the semi, the semi was like the headhunters defending the tag belts against, what, Dan Puro and Atlantis? Am I really remembering that right, or am I mixing my matches up? I'm trying to remember. It was just weird, you know, but but I don't know how much of it is that because it seemed like I think maybe the TV factor would be more of a factor than anything else because uh, Mix and I talked about the fact that Galavision was one thing, but the local channel here, Channel 22, KWHY, it was a weird show. There'd be points where it'd be half AAA, half CMLL, be three hours one week, and then all of a sudden, like this period, saying it's an hour. And I can tell you, there's been points I'll watch the show and I won't see any advertising. <laughs> so, you know, on these for these shows, sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. And I like how it says you're billed as a UFC rules. Honestly, yeah, I don't know how much of the Hispanic population will even know what UFC is. You know? <laughs> yeah, that time exactly. Yeah, um, it probably just said "Estrella de la Muerte, Lucha de de Huala." You know what I mean? That's probably what it said on whatever advertisement they probably had. And like uh, the local uh, newspaper be called La Pinion. But I don't know how much advertising is. Lucha, you never know, <laughs> as you know, bit as you know, guys. Lucha's always like, oh, they advertise, no one shows up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. All right. So for the record, the CMLL lineup at the forum was. La Migra, don't know which version, versus Mexican. I want, it was a, uh, it was Mike Modest. I'm sorry, it was uh, Mike Diamond, and I want to say it was Mike Modest. Okay, well, I know that for makes sure Mike Diamond is one of them. Well, that makes sense because they're facing Mexican Blanco and Super Diablo, who's 
Aaron O'Grady, Crush Holly, Mike Lockwood. Oh, okay, uh, it's Aaron O'Grady. Because I was the first thing that I was going to be Matt Heisen. AKA, you know, but maybe it was Aaron. Wow, Aaron would have been pretty young here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Los Brazos versus Apollo Dantes, Pirata Morgan, and El Satanico. Silver King, e Vampiro, Casanova, Canadiense versus Los Headhunters. Theoretically, for the CML tag titles, but according Bye. to Lucha DB, CML had told IWC they'd get them back by the time of this match. It was promoted as a title match, but the Headhunters did not win the belts back. But they brought them to the ring and it was presented as a title match. And then Silver King and Vampiro won by DQ due to a right. foul and were announced as new champions. So, yeah. Uh, Atlantis, Hector Garza, and Pantera versus Eddie Guerrero, Emilio, Charles Jr., and Felino. Mascara Año Dos Mil versus Rio de Jalisco Jr. for the IWC heavyweight title. Oh, and a main oh event that's of, the match I blacked out on. That's the match I didn't want to remember. <laughs> and a main event of uh, Santo Casas. I want to say I had a stiff, like it was like an I quit match or something like that, I want to say. That's, but it drew a pretty good crowd. It drew like around 7,000 or so, I want to say, like a half, you know. Maybe it wasn't good enough to where they came back, but still, that, that doesn't seem half bad. It's better than this show. No, and cage cage match has forty four hundred, so I'm guessing that's what's in the observers. Oh. Oh. Okay, and, well, the, the less than I thought. Okay, and because it's a Ron Scholar show, I'm assuming that's accurate, and Dave's getting it directly mm-hmm. from him. Yeah, because usually likely. he, I think he got fairly close numbers for those, and so he's and, but to be fair, to be fair to you, the the form was never a venue used for Lucha Libre. No, that's the only time I've ever know of a Lucha show being there. Do so you think that is a reasonable excuse on Scholar's part? Even if it's still I mean, obviously uh, his mistake. A little bit, but but Lucha in general is down by this point. You know what I mean? Lucha mm-hmm. peaked in 93-94. And you know, and there is still the you know the the, the you know diminishing returns on each show, even like when Worlds Collide didn't sell out, you know, it didn't sell out the sports arena. So it just progressively a little bit further further and down and that's why I think the local TV might be the biggest factor here, because I don't even think CMLL TV would have been on locally. So they're mostly probably just doing local advertising and advertising, you know, these names on flyers or in whatever ads they were using on Mexican radio and uh, Mexican newspapers. Yeah. All right, and then you had like um, the, the, the the lineup itself. Yeah. Com- compared to the other lineups that they had run there, I mean, did you think For it was sure. weaker? Yeah, because I mean, it's 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 really when we go through the results, you'll see it's a one match show. You know, we'll talk about, you know, the the quote unquote mask match, which, yeah, come on. When we we go through live, you'll see there's a a quote unquote mask versus mask match, which I'll explain when we go through the results. That that was not going to draw anybody. Yeah. Now, I forget, though, was this the first non-scholar show or the second or what? That I do not know off the top of my head. At the most, it's two, but I don't. But that could be a big difference too. You have a different promoter. I don't even know who have been doing the promoting at this point. I don't know who they got to take over for Scholar. That's a very valid point because this is obviously the worst crowd they've drawn. So whatever advertising they're doing must not have been doing as well. Yeah, I forget if a Rezzy is involved at this point or what, because he he had some involvement I think earlier in the year, but I'm not sure a if he's in Rezzy the next year. did. Resi did his own show out in uh, San Bernardino, which is about an hour east of LA, depending on tra- ninety minutes depending on traffic. He did, a, but it wasn't a full show. Like he had like Conan, Sikosis, Ray, Sabu. It wasn't like a straight lucha show. 
And it only drew maybe like not even a thousand people at the National Orange Show, which where WF used to run. Okay. So, and the, okay, I don't there think was a July show, by the way, which was I don't know if that's with Skull or not. I don't remember if they had split yet, but that's the one headlined by uh, Lucien Caras, Conan, Paraguayo, three way cage hair match oh, where Seattle loses his okay. hair. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember if I was at that show, but. Yeah, and then you look at this show after, and, and plus, it's been, you know, you said July, this is, you know, four and a half months later, that's a long time to do a return, you know? Yeah. All right. I so, want to know what the third show was. You know, this is th- three straight weeks. I want to know what the third show was, because, you know, sure, those weekly shows going on around LA, but when, like, those are drawing, like, more than 500 people, because these venues couldn't hold that many. Yeah, for yeah. him to call it a major show, it has to be something that was at the Olympic, I would think. Yeah, the Olympics are the only thing I can think of. There's probably some, like, indie—I I, I can't say indie, but, you know, just some promoter was running a show and just brought in some guys, most likely. Or a WPW or WW—well, maybe not WPW. I don't think they ever ran the Olympic, but maybe, like, a WWE no, or no, no, no. WWO or something, you know. Probably. All right, so the—we'll start out as a four-man street fight in the main event, ended up as ten men setting new standards for danger and insanity. With a post-mortem in the dressing room looking more like the aftermath of the battle in New Orleans. The real one, not the Eddie Gilbert angle. <laughs> Conan, Pero Gallo, Pero Gallo Jr., Supercolo, and Rey Mysterio Jr. ended up in a 16-sided cage, shaped like an eight-point star, with Cibernetico, Sicosis, Ubuntu Guerrero, who'll be the best wrestler in the world in three years, if not sooner, as a younger version of Crispin Wall right now, Dave said. Oh, my gosh. Halloween <laughs> a- 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 and Damian. Besides the requisite broken tables and multitude of chair shots came all kinds of stunts from numerous dives on top of the cage and numerous dangerous stunts using a ladder. While the match wasn't as good as the WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels raised Ramon ladder match. It was better than any of their other ladder matches. Uh, I can get a test of that. Which is that also mean, Dave, it does not agree that the SummerSlam match was better? Obviously not. Yeah, obviously not, yeah. All right, among the stunts... With number one, with both Sikosis and Hoovy on the next to the top step of the ladder, ready for a double dive, Rain did either a fly cross off the cage or a shoulder block off the cage to the ladder, tipping the ladder over, and Sikosis did a Brian Pillman spot where he, on the way down, caught his throat or chin or face on top of the cage. Two, Sikosis did a Liger bomb on Pedro Sr. through a table. Three and four, Ray did Frankensteiners off the top of the ladder and on top of the cage. Five, Cologne did a leg drop off the very top of the ladder. Six and seven, with Sikosis on Conan's shoulders, Ray and Kolo both came up the next top step of the ladder with double clothesline, and he took a flip bump. Ray and Kolo then did the same thing, and saw on top of the cage, of the cage, on Tahuvi, who took an even better flip bump. Eight, Conan powerbombed Supernatica through a table, and part of the table was shot into his forehead, causing a very deep cut, which wound up with an incredible amount of blood because of the arterial damage. <laughs> nine, Dave's got eight twice, but nine... Kolo came off the top of the cage with a chair under his butt and did a somersault like a Nakano somersault leg drop. Both off the top of the cage with the chair underneath him on the psychosis. Jesus Ten. Christ. Psychosis might I... be the most trusting wrestler in the history of the business. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm still waiting. Where's the CN car spot? Hold on. on. Ten. Pero <laughs> Jr. did a splash on top of the cage, as did both psychosis and Hoovy. 11, Hoovy did a drop kick off the top of the cage. 12, Sibirinico did a Keijimuto handspring elbow into the corner, but Conan <laughs> caught him around the waist 
and gave him a German <laughs> suplex, Cajun Muto Rick Steiner spot. <sighs> there are a lot more, but those were the highlights, and you get the picture. Anyway, after 14 20 of this carnage, the Technicos climbed the cage and escaped the win. See, Medico was left in ring dead doing a Shawn Michaels gimmick. And Conan was legitimately taken to the hospital and needed 33 stitches, 18 inside his head to repair the opened-up artery. Oh, oh my everyone, God. Everyone except Pero, Pero, Perito and Hoovy were hobbling around with knee and hip and ankle problems. Cien Carlos was long gone before he had the Conan set the entire match with his regular Tijuana crew, changing it from a UFC-style match as it had been planned to a match combining all the crazy spots he's seen on ECW and Sabu tapes, minus the cage dive through three tables at once. And any twists that had been done before in ECW because this crew is small and more versatile and skillful. Four and three-quarter stars. <laughs> well, I'd love to see a videotape of this. Well... We do have somebody that was there to talk about this. So, Taro, give us your memories of this insanity. Is, it, so, because Bix mentioned this, I'll tell you why this is not filmed, and it's it's a shame. Let me tell you why. So, my my around this time period, um, this is around the time when if Ron Rivera started taping shows, we'll talk about later. There's actually a show he filmed that we're going to talk about later. So Ron, this is around the time Ron started filming, but my other friend who was mainly filming anything around here, around Southern California, and I mentioned that Calgary show, and he would regularly trade with Mr. JL up in uh, Western Pennsylvania. So we were at this, we, we he's eyeing the line, and we're getting ready to go inside, and we see security, like, frisking people, and he's just like, ah, oh, fuck. And we're like, there's no way we're going to get a camera in. And we're like, ah, oh, shit, all right. And it's fine. And we're just like, oh, oh well, it's whatever. And so, of course, when my friend goes in through the line, I'm in front of him. I turn around, I'm looking, and he doesn't, he's barely, he, he realizes the way they, they like barely even touched him. He, I just see this look at his face like, fuck, I could have got my camera in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I could just see the disgust on his face like, oh, Fuck. And Wait, I'm, I'm confused. Like, oh Why gosh. was he concerned and decided not to, though? Because he thought for sure he was going to get caught and then have to, like, put the camera away. And, you know, you know, he, he thought, you know, I know. Because it, it's, it's happened, I think, before. I, I know it happened to him or Ron before at some other show, I think, where they got frisked, they found the camera, they may have put it back in his car, you know, so. And it I guess he wants he's more like a red flag he saw, I guess. Yeah, well, we we were eyeing we were eyeing the security before we went in. I think that'd been a thing he's learned is to eye to see, you know, if people are searching. Can I get in? Because he he doesn't want to risk not getting inside the show. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And so there you go. That's why that is not on film. Well, that's and- half of it. So, according to Bob Barnett, this is his claim. I yeah. feel like I asked Conan about it once, and he couldn't remember. Bob claims that he was going to maybe shoot the show, but then talked to Conan after finding out that he had an opportunity to meet Howard Stern in Las Vegas and asked Conan if there was anything special planned that it was worth him making sure to go to the show and film it. And Conan said, no, not really. Go go meet Howard Stern. Wow. Which, okay. you know what? Reading what they wrote here. Yeah, it's mostly UFC style, yeah. I'm thinking that's what happened. That Bob talked to him when this is supposed to be whatever clusterfuck that would have been. 
with those guys. And also, you know, this is the first time they did anything like this, where they had all these Romans from guys not in the match. Well, no, they did, maybe it was in Chicago. They did at least one or two other things in the next year or so where they had all these, you know, mid-card guys running in and doing all these crazy spots. But this is the first one. So I'm guessing that's what happened. That when you have no idea that all those guys are going to do run-ins and you think this is some weird UFC-inspired match featuring... So wait, it's officially Conan... And yeah, Aguayo Sr. versus Cibernetico yeah. and who? Ciancaras. Oh, That's right. And it was just a four-man tag, right? Yes. On pa- yeah, a straight tag. And believe me, I, if I didn't remember, I, I, we, I don't think we were definitely not expecting what, what it was going to be. That might be part of the factor, too. Because we're looking at the main event going, oh, my gosh. We more or less were, more, were way more excited to see the younger guys. When we go through the, the results, you'll see there's some hot action on the undercard for sure. They got some really hungry young guys. And also hot moves. There's hot, a hot moves. Move. Hot yeah. moves, brother. You know, and then all of a sudden we're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> we're just seeing like all the mayhem that, you know, Chris described. And we're and I think at the end, I'm thinking I'm seeing my friend going, fuck, I wish I would have shot this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm guessing that's what happened. I'm, I'm skeptical of some stuff Bob used to say now. But now that I see what Dave wrote here, which obviously came from Conan. Yes. I'm I'm guessing that's what happened, that whenever Conan decided, you know what, this is a terrible idea, I'm curious if the cage it and was. the MMA thing it was. was his idea originally, who knows, but he realizes it's a terrible idea, it seems like, and then it's like, okay, how can we salvage this? Well, we have this crazy big cage, all right, let's have all the flyers on the undercard do run-ins. And, and, let's, just, and let's just do every single ECW sp- spot we can think of because obviously these guys are so heavily inspired by that as you'll definitely see if you know if you if people have seen what happened in tijuana the next like three four months after this i guess this is more or less the, the you know i guess the first inkling of conan what he wanted to do you know what i mean with ecw extreme lucha yes although here it seems like it works better because what ends up really being the problem is that at the time, I don't think he had a good grasp on how to fit that stuff in. So you just end up having, you know, like these straight lucha matches that all of a sudden in the third fall turn into huge clusters, you know, with run-ins and stuff. And I don't, I don't, Mm -hmm. I never thought that really clicked. This is different because he's trying to salvage something. And that was clearly a bad idea, but I, it's more or less. This is like just like a crazy stunt show, you know what I mean? Because you know we're all watching this. Like I said, me, Ron, my other friend, and um, like I said, I I wish I could remember if Dragon was with me or not, but I do not know because I, I it's very possible he could be with me. And we're just watching all this, going, "What the fuck is going on here?" Because we're you know we're popping because it's like they're doing the, some of the craziest shit, and we're just like, "What is happening here?" Because. I, I funny because you know when you said CN we did note it I forgot I mean, we were watching well my memories come back to me is like where'd CN go and we noticed he was long gone because that's the thing apparently this is an escape the rules cage match <laughs> even though it's UFC style rules they still escape the cage and I guess that means the whole, the whole team had to escape so I guess so that ends up being what CN cars against eight people you know what I mean out of here. 
I mean, Sikosi's came to help them, you know. Sikosi's in Hoovy, and it might forget anybody else. It was Sikosi's, Hoovy, and Paper Daddy go gets like six people. No, Damien and Halloween, too. Okay, yeah. Halloween. Yeah, there you go. That's definitely the the extreme AAA guys for sure. That's that whole crew right there. Yes. Now, before we get to the full card, though. Yes. The rings in the cage. Okay. We have the Japanese magazine photos. There's not yeah. a lot. There's no wide shot. Um, I'm. I had always had trouble envisioning what this was supposed to it be. It was, if I remember right, but it's and still there a is little a photo. Difference. Go ahead. Yes. If I remember right, it was just a regular ring, and what they did was they just had extra pieces that they just attached on. If you see the photo of Ray giving, uh, she goes to a, a Rana with the ladder. It, you, if you look in the the left corner, it looks like you see like an indent in the ring, and so that would be a corner that they added. So they would add little like triangular pieces on different sides to make it look like a star, if I remember correctly. Now, was that stuff there during the undercard, or was it only there for no, the event? No, no, that's that's what I was gonna say. They did a lot of work on the ring in between, and see, there's in between the mass versus mass match and this match. So you had a long intermission while they were setting this up, and and also you could, if you look in the photo, that same photo, you could see like the a chain coming from the ceiling. So they actually dropped the cage down. To try to save time, probably. I don't remember how long. Show. <laughs> yes. So yeah, for a house show, yeah. So I I don't remember how long it took, but it's, if I it had to be at least like twenty minutes or so to set this up, you know. Okay, so because yeah, th- okay, that helps explain it. Because if you look at that, le- uh, well, no, excuse me, the first photo that we have, and Chris, yes. look at this too. It looks oh, almost yeah, the cage in the air. Or well, also the last one too. Also the last one too. The two were the cages in there. Yeah. It looks almost like they put two rings together, corner to corner, almost. But it's not that you're saying they had like little pieces they added on. Yeah, because so be in the photo with the five of them with the cage up in the air, if you look in the the upper, like the I, I say the right side of that photo, you can almost see like you see where the rings differ because you can see it's a different canvas. Yes. Also, no ropes. Which yeah, Dave that's right. Not that. here, yeah, no ropes at all. Yeah. Because there's no way they can connect all that together. I guess is one thing. No, yes. it, would, it would look it would look odd to have a, like ropes inside a 16 sided foot ring. <laughs> you know. Yes. Also, and of course, <laughs> we should note that Rey Mysterio Jr. is wearing an ECF and W shirt the whole time. Yep. And yeah. and, and and like and like Tara said, the chain you could. You, I mean, the cage is held by chains to the ceiling. Yeah, it, it did get lowered. Yeah. Oh, so, so it's a little while to set this up because they were just, I, you know, they were trying to figure this out. You know what I mean? It's the first time they ever did it. And, the and I'm guessing, I doubt those guys bumped anywhere near those extra pieces, you know? Oh, I love I hope not. I love Sakosis wearing his Pink Floyd shirt. I was just about to mention yeah, that. Yeah, that, that was outstanding. An, he's wearing an all-over print Pink Floyd shirt. Yes. But, yeah, people must have enjoyed themselves. I, you know, in that photo, I see a lot of garbage on, uh, around the ring. So there you go. And this is a regular stuff in the ring too in that photo. It's a regular ring too. This is not a six-sided ring. It's a regular. Yeah, no, that's, was, that's exactly what I was saying. This is, I mean, AAA didn't start doing six-sided rings until after TNA did it. I'm assuming. Yeah, no, they did so it first. No, they did they were first. first. They were first. Oh, they were first. TNA took okay. it from them. Yeah, TNA took okay. it from them. Gotcha. But, yeah, no, this is a regular four-sided ring, and they took the ropes down, add some pieces, and you know, 
you know, in that last row, you could see like an extra piece next to see Kelsey's on the right. You know, hopefully, you have we have a way to like send these photos out where people can see them. Yeah. But there's a stage here too. I mean, where they, yes. I mean, on platform where they walk to the ring like you know, yeah. eat up this guy. Yep, exactly. Makes you so, weird. <laughs> yeah. It's it's wild. It's still hard to even envision what it is, and also just the idea that they did this on a house show, and it's the only time they ever did it, and it's just weird. It, like it, I remember Bahari bringing it didn't up. Draw. Like, well, that too, but also I remember Brahari yeah. bringing up, like, there must have been some guy who had made this cage that, yeah, uh, that in in California that uh, that went to Pena or someone, because yeah, it doesn't make I, any sense otherwise. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, you know, maybe they went to Brian Alvarez's dad, because I know he makes fences, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's my there's my jeep there's my deep cut there but yeah i mean who knows they, they may just had a guy who makes it's literally they're just putting some fencing together just shape shaping a different alteration obviously i mean obviously this was planned ahead of time it's like and somehow they got the right guy to make it work i don't know who was supplying the triple a rings for these guys you know i don't know if they had their own rings that they i doubt they bring their own ring up but who knows i mean yeah. we know for a fact that Mer- Mer- with merch, they were leaving stuff at a warehouse in LA because that's how the whole thing happened. Where they found, you know, all of those cases and cases of the AAA action figures. Was that which I can tell you, I never there. saw that anywhere. I never saw that in in the US. Never. The only well, time I ever got a couple of those was in TJ. The first time I went to TJ in like 1994. I I wish I still had them. I think I got the Sikosi figure signed. And I don't remember the other two I got. There was like three figures I found that day. Oh, so you don't remember even seeing them at the sports arena, ever? No, 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 no. Okay, because they were definitely they were definitely at Memorial to Collide because Bob Burnett's video has. Okay, then I must have missed that. I, you know what? I probably didn't go to the merch table that day. Then I I apologize for that. Well, no, you don't have to. But yeah, it was. You can see pictures of the merch stand of those being. Okay. So. Oh, is that on the hardcore overload tape? Yes, which is on YouTube. Okay. Oh, good. Good to know. I haven't seen that in a long time. All right. So let's go over uh, the show here. Uh, from start to finish. On the concito, Masqueria Sagrada, Team of Super Muñequito, to beat Jerito Jerito Estorada and Los Espertitos 1 and 2 in 1931, when Otoconcito pinned Estorada in the third fall with a moonsault. In a three and a quarter star match, and I believe Espectrito two here is the future La Parquita, right? Okay. Yeah. What was it like watching the Manny's live at this time? This is the tail end of everything, but gosh, they were so much fun to watch. Like the one thing I'm really bummed about is I, I didn't get to see the heralded match in '94 between uh, Mascarita and uh, Espectrito. I wasn't at that show. The March show, and I was. Uh, yeah, the match that was the match with that was the show where Masker jumped off the cage on the Jake. Yeah, and they did a mask match, and I'm like, and they did that in LA. I'm like, oh my gosh, if that if I could go imagine how great the Mascarita, uh, especially the mask match is going to be, but it wasn't that good because and they were doing more of a they're doing more of a story as opposed to just doing like every single thing that they can do in the ring together. And it was it was pretty disappointing actually. But these guys were so much fun. And what a great way to start a show. I mean, if you watch one world till I will tell you, like, what a great way to watch. So you watch these minis come out and the casual fans like, oh, my gosh, what is this? And all of a sudden you watch and you're like, these guys are amazing. Absolutely. And something else that's interesting about it, too, is 
you watch, especially outside of WWF, WWF, you watch some old touring, like, you know, quote-unquote midget wrestling matches. There are places that try to de-emphasize the comedy and push them as work-rate wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you'll see it sometimes, like, in Houston and... Yeah, the, uh, what was that guy's name? Co- Coconut Willie? Is that his name? I'm trying to remember, like, who would have been... Coach Stampede's guy. Yeah, because I've never seen a match on the, when the NWA on demand surface. Yeah, like this coconut guy. I'm like, well, who's this guy? He was really fun, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they're doing a little more serious. I'm trying to think who else. Like, um, of the ones who would work WWF, Dana Carpenter was very good. Mm-hmm. I feel like I forget who the heel that worked with him was. So the, it wasn't unprecedented to have, you know, it, to have minis pushed as athletes, but. Pena was the first to actually be like, I am going to seek out athletic dwarves or athletic, very short non-dwarves mm-hmm. to who I can do this style in a really high level. And, and But not just that, make him a mini version of the regular character yes, like that. Well, that was an, that, what a genius idea that was. Yeah. Such a great idea. I was really bummed that I didn't take off in WWF. When I saw like Mini Vader and Mini Mankind, like, oh my God, this is, I was so, I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> you know, oh, but yeah. it, it didn't pick up, it didn't take a steam, unfortunately. Yeah. And I can't think of any time anyone did that even as a one off outside of the thing where Little Tokyo did, was Mini Kabuki teaming with Kabuki as a kid. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't know about that. That's great. <laughs> Um, I can tell you about one for myself in the United States. Um, the very first Revolution Pro show, the main event of the show was me as a mini, all five foot seven of me, wrestling a guy from Vegas called The Little Show. Oh, wow. The Little Show, yes. Good Not Lord. Dragon, I, Ultra, mini Ultra Trial Junior is the main event against The Little Show. And of course, Little Show won, and he won with a choke slam. Because of course, you know? Naturally. Yep. All right, in an elimination rules match, it was supposed to be Los Cadetes de Espacio against Ahamatal, Mr. Condor, Marapunto, Alamine, and Damian. However, Venom, Thunderbird, and Luxor were all stopped at the border because they didn't have working visas. So, so they put Frisbee in the Thunderbird costume <laughs> and Jerito Ger- Estrada in the Venom costume and did eight man. Halloween <sighs> didn't arrive until late, so he missed his match. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Who's carrying the gear that they were able oh. to do this? I don't know. Condor. Yeah, honestly, you know what? I bet you at the board, it probably happened at the border. They probably said, your stuff's, hey, hey, give us your gear and we'll take it up. Yeah, I guess yeah. I would not be surprised that's what happened. So Condor pinned Team Captain Boomerang in 1219 with a cross-arm belly suplex to capture the win. Los Diabolicos, particularly Barabuta, look also carry the match. And Los Cadetes did some great flying moves, including a simultaneous assigned moonsault by two of them. Four stars. And that is Bo- such an awesome, tr- like, Rudo team. I, I hear that Rudo team like, oh, my gosh. Like, those, those Diabolicos were so awesome in this time period. Love those guys. Oh, God, yes. And teaming also with Halloween and Damien. Jeez. And yeah. also uh, Boomerang, of course, is Skydive. In his first yeah, right. really big role, you know, in a major company. Yeah, and obviously, I would never have had an idea that was Jorito. And I was like, God, I, I, I would love to just see this again to see Jorito working as a, you know, as a technico because 
he obviously barely was under the minimum because Minis is like five foot tall and under. You know what I mean? Well, the tallest it, Minis it, would have been uh, Dorito and like Ultimate Dragoncito would be like the tallest Minis back then. Well, you know? like the alleged official rule was that they took Super Astro being five foot, one half inch, and everyone shorter was a mini. In practice, <laughs> more so more so in CMLL than AAA, yeah. you had a lot of guys who were taller than that. Like v says, you know, as Damian Cito El Guerrero in the second Piratita Morgan, for example. But, but you got to love that they just figured those guys probably got across the board before. I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll get them across. No problem. You know, and... It doesn't always work out that way because, you know, in the sidebar that because of someone on their working visa is why I became a professional wrestler. I told them for a minute you could not get across the border. And that's how I started my, my wrestling career. Well, there you go. Well, also, go. Venom Black was not a short guy, particularly. So I got to think that Dorito must have been swimming in his gear, too. <laughs> Yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah, because Venom was a—I don't know how tall he was, but he was probably. I felt like he's like six foot or anything, but he. A lot of those guys are like the five seven range, so that's still a you know that's still a few inches on Dorito. I mean, Dorito, sure. I think, was the five feet even that they built him as. That, five or five that, one, yeah, because he's right there with the top rope. Yeah. Yeah. So the build height for Venom Black is five eight. Okay, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, next match: Rey Mysterio Jr., Paraguayo Jr., and Frisbee beat Pacudo, Junta Guerrero, and Sacosa seventeen oh eight. So he worked back to back matches and had to run and well, change but think about gear. This. Well, that's that was the most puzzling thing for me is that Jarito worked the first match and then somehow went to the back, oh, so changed another gear, yes, in- and came back out to do a, another match right right away. It's just like. You know, and that was a twenty-minute match. The that first match you said, and then he's doing a second the match. Same was, thing. Yeah, which is crazy because I'm like, I don't, you know, obviously I don't remember because you know it's twenty-six years ago, or whatever. But I'm like, I don't remember there being a long break. But you figure they had to take a, like a five-minute break in between each match in order to do this. I mean, geez, that's not surprising. Lucha, that's for damn sure. You know, there's plenty of lucha shows you go to, and you're like waiting fifteen minutes in between matches sometimes for no reason. Yeah. Uh, lucha libre, todos. Bakudo lost his mask on December 3rd to Pedro Guaya Jr. Came out without his mask. It was announced as Arturo Hernandez, the son of the original Espectro. Ray came out wearing a Love Machine mask. And with all the guys in the ring, they asked the fans for a minute of cheering for Love Machine. Sakosas also wore a Love Machine ring jacket. Match is fantastic, but Frisbee, who wasn't over, was out of his league and really the only thing keeping him from being five stars. Hoovy stole the show here, although he wound up getting pinned in the third fall when Ray powerbombed on the top rope. Perrientos improved the incredible amount in the past month alone. Frisbee actually did the move of the match, though, and running dive over the top rope with a headbutt and Sakosa was laid out the floor. Four and three quarter stars. <laughs> four and three quarter stars. Wow. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm just I was like, that just seems like a crazy grade for a match. But, um, and this is Aguayo Jr., only about what? Six months off of when he's doing the amateur matches with Hoovy. He looks like a kid. I mean, he's, like, he's, like, he's a baby. He's a kid. Yeah. He's 15 Because yeah. it was earlier in the year when he did the Olympic rules match against uh, Hoovy at the, at the sports arena. 
So that was July, actually, and that's his first match. So, yeah, there you go. Or at least that week was his first match. I don't know if that Uh, was his first match. So, yeah, he's been wrestling like five months. And here he is getting getting thrown right into the fire. And, you know, and, you know, Frisbee, I'm just curious, like, was Frisbee originally going to be in this match? Because he was a cadete, wasn't he? Uh, no, no. He, he took the place. He took the place. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because I because I thought Frisbee was one of the Power Raiders, you know, and then they became the Cadets del Espacio. And trying to keep track of that is just going to make my head spin, you know. Yeah. Just don't even don't even try. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm no. Absolutely not. But, but again, it's like a hell of a fucking match, and with that with that crew in there, it should be. Well, yeah, yeah, you got these guys at their peak, absolutely their peak, you know. And Hoovy, you know, Hoovy was looking for something to prove, and and um, so hey, I'll, I'll, I'll here's a funny sidebar to I gotta tell you about Hoovy here. So, a friend of mine, because you all this praise of Hoovy, so this is I'm gonna go with this. There's a friend of mine who lives in Pennsylvania, middle of nowhere. He's not even known for being an internet fan at all. Like he doesn't even have internet. But he used to buy tapes, Lucha dates off of uh, Ron and Ron Rivera and Roy Lucier. And um, and we became friends and we still talk. And I was telling him what about the show this week. And he's like, dude, I got to tell you something. I'm like, what? And so he tells me he knew all about this show. And he went to go see Ray and Hoovy at the ECW Arena. Uh, what was it, March? It was in March of, 20, of 1996 or so. Yeah. So get ready for this. He actually gave Hoovy the copy of this observer because of all the praise for Hoovy. I get a good laugh out of that. Good so, <laughs> but Hoovy didn't my, even my speak English yet. It, did he? No, but 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 you know, I know no, not at all. Like he was using he more or less went and he was one of those fans who wanted to buy like Lucha Master these guys. And I think he knew Mayfield, so that was like his in, and he met. Ray and uh, Hoovy, and I think Ray was more or less translating for him, and and Hoovy was like his favorite guy, and somehow through all that, he gave the observer to, <laughs> to Hoovy, this very observer, and eventually I think he sent him some tapes too, and he'd send Ray tapes. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I thought you'd get a kick out of the fact that Hoovy Guerrero was given this observer. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd love to see him watch him read it. Yeah, I've been something. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm like, what's if 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 he translates for him is like, oh great, we're gonna start boosting Hoovy's ego. I'm like, that definitely got boosted over the years. Well, we go in reverse as we go from the sublime to the ridiculous. Oh, KGB, Tom Howard, the Killer, Pentagon, and Petoff beat La Parca Supercolo Octagon and Mascara Sagrado by disqualification in 2016 when Octagon and Mass Pentagon for the DQ. The uh, Russian dog with his bone and Barbara Blaze was at ringside interfering constantly. Yeah. Pedro Russo, the Russian dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. There was some great stuff. It's some missed stuff here. Pentagon carried the match on the heel side. A lot of brawling outside the ring. Octagon was a mess by Pentagon. Second fall and taken to the back. With a two outside the ring and was made five on two. At some point, Pedro, the only build Mexican, although KGB was really the only non-Mexican in the match, key letters built from New York and Pentagon from El Salvador. <laughs> was turned on by his partners and helped the technical team. But Pedro wound up turning on Sagrada, who he's feeding with two and a half stars. And because this is uh, still 1995, that is uh, Espanto Jr. as Pentagon, the original. Yes. Thank you. Because I wanted to ask, I was about to ask that question. Yes, yeah, so it's the original. Yes, yeah, the, 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 uh, the overdose or his heart stopping or whatever is in January. And then God, they drop God, the. Why not? 
yeah, they dropped the gimmick for a year, and that's when, uh, in January 97, is when the future Pentagon Black debuts as the new Pentagon. Because uh, what the first time I went to TJ, I, it was like the debut of Santo Negro in Tijuana, and I'm just watching this, and we're always like, oh my god, this is so much money. This is so good. It's so good. And then next thing you know, Santa Family Complains, and boom, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that right, because he was also Santo Negro. So yeah, that because... thing was great. So oh, okay, was so was the other was the rest of the family threatening legal action, or were they just complaining loudly enough that it wasn't worth it? Because uh, you know, Del Santo was I, the one owning who owned the gimmick. I think complaining loud enough. I don't think it went to court, but I think they, it, I think they probably got in his ear and they said this is probably not a good idea. And they were really putting Santo Negro over strong when he first came in. Yeah, and obviously this is one of Santo's favorite guys, is Santo Junior. You know, yes, an amazing wrestler. You know, just oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. If anybody's ever seen it, that match just that match is still on YouTube, right? The the mass match of the Santo Junior and uh, from '86. It should be yeah on probably yeah, more than one be. channel too. Yeah, I'd say look that up. That's some that's some great lucha from the '80s. Yes, you know because of his career getting cut off by the drug problems and the resulting health issues, like. He is a guy who never gets the credit he deserves for how good he was. No, absolutely. So how do you follow this up? Uh, Tina Atlas Jr. beat Chicano Power in a Muscular Coach of Muscular match in 1556. The idea of these two doing a singles match for 60 minutes sounds horrible. But it turns a decent match with excellent heat. Chicano won the first fall by submission. Second fall, referee Pepe Casas took two bumps and juiced heavy on the second bump. While he was out, put off at Chicano, destroyed Tina who also juiced. But Casas DQ Chicano before he's carried out the ring. Torrantes was put in as a sub ref and played Toro Rudo. After the two traded to pace, Torrantes attempted fast counts so Tenebos was down and counted slow when Chicano was down. Eventually, fans started throwing stuff in the ring, and when Chicano would be pinned, Torrantes would kick cups and debris out of the <laughs> ring and thus be distracted from counting. Then fans stopped throwing stuff, and Tenebos had Chicano down. At this point, Pedroff threw a cup in the ring. Torrantes saw it and kicked, out, kicked, him out, kicked it out of the ring. Valentin Eblis had Chicano on the banana split, and Torante still refused to count the pen. And Pepe Costa did a run in from the dressing room, counted the three. After a too long bit of posture to the crowd, Chicano finally unmasked, although they never said his name on the PA, two and a half stars. All right. So here's what I can add to this that Dave, that I got from my friend who spoke Spanish, that Dave wouldn't get in the translation. So he wasn't, he was playing to the crowd because he wasn't going to unmask because what I was told is that apparently, I don't think they said at the beginning, but they were saying after the match, it was a two out of three match stipulation for the mask versus masks. So it was mm-hmm. a total bait and switch. Wow. So, and he didn't unmask. Literally, he's walking around and people are pesting him after a long time. He finally just pulled up the mask for like about a second so people could see his face. He pulled down and he left. Wow. And see, yeah. this. Th- so you had the, the these last two matches we just talked about were the lead ends to star death. So yep. they, yeah. they they come in with these two matches which were not good. And, and, and then on paper, I'm yeah. looking going, Oh my god, this is this is such a you know, the show started so great, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be terrible, this main event. <laughs> yeah, and, so wow. Well also Lucha Wiki doesn't even consider this a ma- uh, a mask match for Chicano Power. So there you go. It's not even exactly. in his Lucha de Apuestas list. Yeah. 
That's what I mean, because they said it was a two out of three match, apparently. They said it. I don't know if they said it in the intro. But oh, they wait. Definitely got that no, after. it's the original Chicano power. Wait a second. Is there a – so – or is it the same guy? Because – It's got to be the one who was, in, who was quote, unquote, part of the Gringo Locos. It's like more or less like – I think Triple A more is like, like, hey, this guy said the Chicano. He's with you guys. And he is such the outcast of that group. It's like they did not want him being part of those Gringo Locos. Because the no. guy – okay. The guy on Lucha Wiki is the one who was also Invasor Two, Invasor Two, and well, okay. I guess Invasor Two and El Broncos. And his Lucha de Apuestas record, though, has he and Sangre Fria losing their masks to Ascharo and Gallo Tapado in '75. So wow. at, at Plaza okay. Mexico. So I, but why would the other? Why would this Chicano power not be on Lucha Wiki? So <laughs> this is weird because it's come on, it's Lucha Bix, you know, come on. <laughs> but again, it's like, I never, I, I, and I remember I'm like going, look, they're going, they never did the quote unquote second match of the series. Cause you know, it's not like Kenny Bluff Jr. is going to all of a sudden be like, Oh yeah, let me just expose my face. If I lose one of these matches, like, no, this is a total bait and switch. Wait, So what was the, so it was advertised as the first match in a best two of three. No, series, I, I, I didn't, my friend, I don't, if I remember correctly, we don't remember seeing that on the advertisements. So I don't remember, he told me after the match, he was telling me like, and, and I don't remember, so I don't know, maybe we didn't hear it during the intro, but he definitely heard them saying this during the posturing before he would, before he quote unquote unmasked where he just showed his face to the crowd, more or less to beat the crowd because the crowd was pissed. So I'm guessing that means you know, it's a total bait and switch where it's not really Masters of Mask, and it's like, oh, this is Dosa Tres Luchas. I'm like, really? That's ridiculous. Yeah, and looking at the pictures, it's... Which I've never mask. heard such a thing. It's I've ma- never heard that as a stipulation. Oh, yeah. It's the same mask design as the Gringos Locos guy, so I must, yeah. I'm assuming it's the same guy, and they just... It's gotta be. It is. But it's very it, out of the ordinary good... era to remask with the same gimmick, though. I don't know. But he, if, he's a pretty like big dude too, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's he, and obviously, if you're wrestling Tirantes Jr., you know Tirantes Jr. is such a big guy, you know, especially even the world of Lucha Libre. And this guy was, you know, jacked. Yeah, for sure. So it's got it's the same guy. Interesting. So they must have they must have assumed once he switched gimmicks that no one remembered, even though it was on a fairly major card. They must have just figured that no one remembered that he had lost his mask. Under the old yeah, no. after he had been no. in Broncos for however many years. Yeah, no. I mean, come on, wasn't uh, the killer? What was the killer's old gimmick? Siglo, uh, Siglo, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So, what was the thoughts after the show when when you you guys were leaving and stuff? What, what was your thoughts if you remember? Well, we were just just like watching this going. This is just fucking crazy. Like we didn't think it was like the greatest match you ever seen and. I think we were a little surprised when we saw how much like Dave Starkrave because because when we saw this very like well we gave this four and three quarters because it was like it was such an exciting thing to watch but it was just like it didn't make much sense to us you know what I mean I'm it just was like watching going on. exhibition because you have all these other guys running and doing all this stuff and then like I said you totally dropped my memory when I'm like wait where's CN and you're like oh CN left like that's right CN just totally bailed on all this stuff because he wanted nothing to do with this you know. 
And it's just like, in the grand scheme, they're like, what were they looking to get here? And in that photo where Ray has the microphone, he is chanting, and he's doing, he's trying to get a triple A chant. Of course. That's <laughs> one of the thing where they're totally trying to copy, copy ECW. Oh, yeah. And that was definitely a thing they start trying to do when they start doing the extreme stuff in uh, Tijuana, in the Tijuana, California area. And we were just walking out going, well, that was just some of the craziest shit we ever saw. And that's when my friend was just bummed that he didn't get the show on video. Speaking of. That's right. Triple A is <laughs> desperate looking for anyone who's videotaped of the most recent Los Angeles show, which wasn't taped. Particularly the main events is it was uh, so wild that they want to use some footage. It was definitely wild. I mean, you heard those highlights, you know, and that cage was, I mean, I guess it looked like it was a good, like, what, eight feet tall, I think. It's yeah. a pretty high cage. It's not It's not as high as some of their other cages. It doesn't look oh, like Oh, gosh, this. no. No, oh, gosh. They use some insanely tall cages. But the photos I'm seeing here, I'm guessing it's around eight feet. Because I'm guessing that's, like, two, actually, it might only be six that's either two, three foot sections put together, or two, four foot sections put together. Like on, you know, the way because I see the little like the bar in the middle separating the space. It might only be six feet. It doesn't. Like, well, like yeah, it doesn't even pattern. look. It doesn't even look like it's as tall as the When Worlds Collide cage, which is not the now, tallest cage at, they used, but tall. If you see the photo with the uh, the Rana, the ladder is tall. Is is looks yes. like it's even taller than this cage. Yep. So that might only be a six foot cage, and the ring in the the ladder might be an eight foot ladder. Mm. Hmm. It's either that or the ladder is ten foot, and the uh, the cage is eight. But I won't be surprised because it doesn't look like it's more than eight feet for the cage. And then in the next few months, they'd unveil that monster in Tijuana, oh, which geez, was yeah. like that's insane. <laughs> a legit on the apron, but a legit at least fifteen to twenty feet. Yeah, yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> but uh, Carlos, we love you. Maybe you should have called Bob Barnett back when you realized what you were going to do on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah call somebody. All right, well, let's go to Mexico proper now. AAA, the heavy metal turn has been dropped after all as on as their December 18th singles main event cage match against Rey Mysterio Jr. And Triple A's final show of the year in Leon was changed to Ray and Pedro Jr. against Juvi and Picudo. I'm going to guess this was Metal throwing one of the tantrums he threw in this era due to his issues and having the turn undone. Could be. I wouldn't be surprised. Because All right, they it ran was, the... uh, it was early, was it 95 or was it 94, the whole Jerry Estrada hair match drama? I think it was that... 95. That would have been, I think that was, I'm thinking May-ish of 95. I think, I think you might be right on that. Yeah, where sure. the whole thing where not right. he was supposed to lose his hair and he was going to get the payoff, yep. but it was kind of supposed to be a punishment for his issues. And then like he went into the corner of the locker room and just started bawling. And then later, Pena having seen this, like comes out during the match to try to change the finish. And it's just a mess. Yeah, it, it yeah, because um, actually, you know what? Uh, their hair match was 94. It was 94. Okay. It was 94. It was Triple Mania uh, 2A. That was the main event of Triple Mania 2A. 2A was Jerry Heavy. Was uh, 2B, was that the Black Cat Moscow Sagrada match? 
Yes, uh, which was actually the seven. And then QC was Jake and Conan and TJ in the hair match. Yeah. So there you go. This is, yeah. So 18 months later, still, you know, just such a shame because Heavy was so good and just so much potential there. And he did eventually get his shit together, though. But it it took a long time. He does. But, you know, but people are thinking he could have been as good as Negro, which is such crazy high praise to even think of, you know? Do you oh, think he had that, that potential? I think on physical talent, I think he was a, the most talented of the three brothers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, you watch that stuff when he's just Canelo Casas that's available, you know, from Japan and stuff. And he's incredible. Oh, yeah. All right, they ran into the border tour of the weekend with shows on December 8th in Mexicali, 3000. Double shot in Tijuana on, on, on December 10th, Tijuana 450, and Ensenada 3500 sellout. Wow, Tijuana. That's got to be a typo with the 450. 4500, probably. I well, think it's 4500. That Dave, a Cus fan, has got it left that too. Il no. Cus fan is, is citing the observer, though. Yeah, yeah. so who knows? I, I, I guess um, I have to see the footage, but we'll talk about it when we get to it. I mean, it's probably 4,500. So which of these oh, shows yeah. are you at before we get into them? I wasn't actually at these shows. Oh, but, you weren't at um, any. Okay. I, I, would, I wasn't at these three shows, but um, the triple – oh, you know, uh, I, uh, it says it's the Auditorio, so I don't see the drawing 450, but um, my friend who I mentioned earlier, he was telling me that Ron – that. Uh, you want to go through the results so we can talk about this? Sure. Yeah. Uh, he said Ron filmed this and he got the tape from Ron of this. But let's go All through right. May first. May Kali on the eighth, we had a uh, mini uh, match here to open up. Mascarilla Escarada, Alticocito, Subnikito, Espiritos, and Jerito Estrada. Then we had Boomerang Discovery, Luxor, Thunderbird, and Venom over uh, Anham Mortal, El Humilde, Marabunta, Mr. Condor, and Negro Azteca. So you get the Familia de Mexicali guys involved here. Yeah, Negro Azteca was was pretty solid. The couple times I saw him down there, and I never never seen El Humide. Then you had the future La Familia de Tijuana, Damian Cese, Saldomini Sicosis over Cholo Garcia, La Sombra, and Leo Negro. The future Sicosis too. Hey, my dad, my wrestling dad, Ultra Taro. Come on, that's right, that's right. Your wrestling father. (laughs) Then La Parca, Raymond Jr. and Tenebus Jr. over Chicano Power, the Kila Imperov, poor Ray. Oof. And poor Parker. Uh, and then Perito, Conan, and Pedro Sr. over Los Vianos in your main event. Wow, that's then, weird. And the Vianos didn't come up here. And um, in this in this uh, match with Damien Halloween Sikosis, the guy named Cholo, Cholo Garcia was on the opposing side. This had to be building up a match that Ron filmed later with Sikosis and Cholo. That was a hair match that I went to. A hair versus mask match. I think it was Damien. And the finish went over so badly that we literally had a riot in the in the building, and they literally stopped cutting the guy's hair because people were so living in the building that we were at. And that would have been in '96. I'm assuming this is building up the hair match with Cholo Garcia. Yeah, I can believe riots in, in those buildings. Absolutely. And, and believe me, when this was happening, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm actually in a riot in Mexico, and I'm like fearing for my life. Going, I'm a foreigner. I'm staying far away from this. Yeah. While Ron's right. getting ready to get the camera down there and film stuff, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Tijuana on the 10th. Uh, we had El Capatillo, Kid Nortino, and Sergio Lee over Las Catillas by DQ. 
Halloween, Los Pandeleros, Over Cheyenne, Leon Negro, Supercolor, Body Q. And then Rey Mysterio Jr. beat him to Guerrero in a WWE Welterweight title match, three and a half stars. And then Conan, La Parca, Dinamis Jr. over Cien Carlos, but off in psychosis. So I was trying to figure out who gave this three and a half star grade. And my friend was telling me that Ron filmed this show. So I'm guessing Ron might have been the one who submitted the grade there. So I'm like, oh, okay. Because I don't remember, I don't remember going to the show for sure. And I do have to put over the Los Panieros. I don't know if you guys ever would have saw them, but they're more or less like the Tijuana Baja California version of I would say Los Detectores. Sorry, not saying that very yeah. well. Because they were the basis for uh, Vagabundo, who ended up becoming Venom Black, Vagaman, who ended up being one of the Power Raiders as well. I don't remember which which Power Raider he was, or and I think he was in the Los Cadetes. Uh, it's a shame those guys didn't get a chance to wrestle more in front of a national audience because they were really good bases, kind of like that, like the those diabolicals we talked about earlier. Oh yeah, I've seen them, and yeah, they they were very very good. Yeah, wrestled Los Axmen a lot too. Guys who had a gang gimmick, good stuff. <laughs> oh, absolutely. All the local newspapers played at the big Antonio Noki show in Los Angeles for Pena, saying he had no problems in his wrestlers to work on a show where CMLL would also be sending talent. <laughs> well, good for him. Yep. All right. Speaking of, yeah. Speaking of CMLO, the next to last Rio Mexico show of the year on December the eighth, what was reported in the papers as a poor crowd for a non-stip singles match of Eta Garza and Satanico. Satanico bled heavily, and Garza bled as well. With the match going to Satanico and straight falls. Second fall being where he faked the foul, and the rest saw saw it and DQ'd Garza. After the match, Garza challenged Satanico for a CMLO middleweight title. To a potential headliner set up for December 15th, annual year in spectacular. Triple H running head to head against him and Gimnasio Wanda de Barrera. In the semi main event, Vampiro Canadiense, Dos Carros and Atlantis beat Lato Banda Jr., Emilio Chavez Jr., and Paul Dantes. When Vampiro pinned Apollo with a Uranagi and Banda with a powerbomb won the final fall. Vampiro, after the match, challenged Dantes for a CMLL title shot, heavyweight title shot. Early in the show, another trios match, Shocker and Quejos. Went at it and issued Mascara Culture Mascara matches back and forth. The match was originally set for the summer first, but it was moved back two weeks at the last minute when Shulker suffered from a severe case of strep throat. And he was ordered not to wrestle. On the results of this show, Princesa Blanca and Sushiyamada over La Diabolica and Lady Star, Atlantico, Mascara Magica and Oro 2 over Arcana de la Muerte, Guerrero Maya, and Arriba Cañero, El Dandi, Shulker, Silver King over Kehol, Scorpio Jr., and Shua Guerrero. Atlantis, Dos Caras, and Vampiro over Dantes, Wender, and Charles, and then Satanico over Hatta Garza, which they had the they had the match the week later. The, that was really Shoker good. and Chaos. I mean, well, yeah, yes, because I just checked Satanico and, Gar- Satanico and Garza. Okay, but yeah, I just yeah. checked though on Lucha Wiki that they end up doing the Shoker Chaos match the week later too. Yeah, but the Shaka Garza match is the one I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure. I mean, this is what made Hector Garza. Exactly, yes. It's what totally made Hector Garza. And at the same time, I don't remember... I guess the idea was to get Shocker at a similar level with the Cahals thing, but I don't remember that. It's to, so, get, him, it's to, get, him, it's to get him going. They're really they're just yeah. trying to push him. You know, and, and that's the thing. You had, I mean, they had three big you know matches on this show and still injured 6,000. Right. So it shows you they they were they were still having to work to get the people back. But I mean, yeah, this is Garza's big moment. We talked about this show on a past episode between the sheets. So uh, 
we, we go more in depth then, but yeah, th- this was the moment where he got on that next level. And it's and hey, how about those Karras? That... Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, how about those Karras? You know, him and like all these guys wrestling in Mexico, you know, and then Ray, and going to Japan, like you know, Ray and Sikosis working in Mexico, you know, L.A. in the United States, and then going to Japan all in like one week. It's like, wow, that's a what a week we got here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, because J Cup was the thirteenth. Yeah, you know that's a long flight. I can tell you, I've done it. That's a long flight from LA. I don't know if those. I'm assuming those flew out of Mexico City. That's an even longer flight, you know. Yeah. Now, do either of you remember uh, who Chaos's son is? Chaos Junior. <laughs> no. He wrote this Chaos Junior. <laughs> well, it, it, that's not listed on Lucha Wiki though. But Chaos is Astro, is Astro Ray, so yes, Astro Ray Junior. Mephisto is his son. Yeah. Okay. Look, okay, uh, Chaos Junior. I mean, you said Chaos is son, so Chaos Junior. <laughs> well, someone should yeah, add that to Lucha Wiki then, because it's not there. <laughs> Chaos Junior, uh, tag partner of Shibaba. In my many years of covering on Lucha, the WFS Tag Team Champions forever and ever and ever. So at the WFS okay, it's arena. in it's in Mephisto's profile, but when they give his different names in his dad's profile, they don't mention that for some reason. So there you go. Oh yeah, he was All also right. Sendero. Forgot about Paco, that one. Paco Alonso produced a demo tape from Rena Call Self around Scholar to shop around to Spanish language stations in the United States. So wait, he couldn't even use footage from Arena Mexico. He had to use the second arena. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, I, that's why I don't understand. I'm like you know, couldn't you use a demo tape? If you're using a demo tape, wouldn't you use, like, the anniversary show? That's show like a big, like, 17,000 crowd. He don't give a shit. I mean, he just, I mean, Skoller just asking for a tape, and he's like, all right, I'll do something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you know, so. He didn't care. Speaking of not caring, UWA. <laughs> still <laughs> exists. Still somehow. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're, they're tied with CML at this point in time still. Uh, December the 8th at Arena Nesa. Colt. And Estenito over Dientes de Sable and Guerrero Star. Nimigo Publico and Kid Guzman over Estenito and Hombre Lobo. Aguila Solitaria, Io de Huracan Ramirez and Huracan Ramirez Jr. went to a draw with Angel Satanico, Skeletor, and Spartaco. El Fantasma, Rico Mendoza, and Solar over Adrian Ezotico, Mr. Yak, and Araki Santana. And then a UWA title match, Connect. Naturally retained over Negro Navarro. Okay. Chris, your Spanish is tremendous. I wish I could roll my R's as well as you. This card is hilarious to me. I mean, I love and you know, we have public enemy. You know, you know that's great. You know, match number two, but <laughs> the match original number three is yeah. the, match number three. I'm like, come on, there's no way El Ilde Huracan Ramirez or Huracan Ramirez Jr. are actually the rare of the Huracan Ramirez. We know there's been like 25 different Huracan Ramirez juniors. Come on. Yes, and 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 regular Huracan Ramirez's. There's been a, a ton of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, really, who I, I'd love to know what is the actual end date? When do they stop running shows to start with? Because I know we're 90, almost there. This is close. Seven. Really? Oh really? my gosh! Wow. In '97 or '96, definitely '96, they were running. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, they got it's got to be, you know. Um, Wikipedia, for whatever it's worth, says 95. I would need to pull out the Francisco Flores bio and the Observer to probably get something well, I mean, a little more specific without just going I mean, to results week by week. I mean, look, it's once okay. we get Nesna. They're done. They're not even running El Torreo. El is done. Uh, it, it is 95. It is 95. So this is one wow, of the this very is one of the last. Codes. Yeah. The, the last, uh, uh, well, they were running just Arena Neza. So the last Arena Neza show was the 29th. Wow. And the last, wow. yeah, the last match was Principe Maya over Mr. Yak by, of course, the, squal- <laughs> the squalification. Oh, my God. Um, did you guys know, was Neza where they filmed the television show that was on in the 90s? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because when I watched the television shows from 92, they were never from El Torreo. They were from a little arena. So yeah, I'm assuming it was Arena Neza. Okay. It was. Yes. And Triple and- H there. Triple H ticked there many, many times over the years, too. So. Yes. Yeah. Although it doesn't, it doesn't have the look of the 80s stuff from Japan TV, though, because since then you know they start they painted over the roof so you didn't have the, the natural light coming in during the day mm-hmm. so there was and, that and go ahead and do you guys know who adrian Alexonico is i'd never heard this wrestler before uh, I he was just a guy, one of the guys that was around for yeah for, i'm like i've never heard the name but Vincent you know I, it's andy barrow okay oh it, it wow it's andy barrow wow <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the manager, Mr. Killer, or the killer. I'm sorry. Very good. Very good. I love it. Yes. And mm-hmm. really, it also just shows you two. Okay. Here of the core people that were on like every show for the previous couple of years, you know, they're down to basically Phantasma, <laughs> Solar. Well, no, Solar had jumped around, so I wouldn't even include Solar, even though so, we had Solar was a triple A. In '94, as uh, Mariachi, right? So I would say Fantasmo. I guess Adrian Alexodico, because Andy Barro had been a UWA guy. Mister Yak, Rocky Santana, Kanak, and Negro Navarro. That's it. Yeah, because it's weird Ringo Mendoza on the show because he was always a CMLL guy in this time period. Yeah, this is and Agnes Poitadia. Yeah. Mentioned him earlier, he was on CMLL in that time period as well. But I, that I think shows how even more, even if you didn't know, they're literally a few weeks away from closing. It shows how close to dead they are, though, because think about all the people who are not on this show. You know, no Black Terry, no Gran Hamada, no, you know, none of those people who had... Hey, hey whoa, whoa, you're telling me Enrique Vera is above working a show at Neza? Come on, where's Enrique Vera? <laughs> well, uh, well, I mean, as I look at the, the last shows, I, um, the last show you had... Um, Super crazy worked it. El Signo oh, wow. worked it. Um, looking at names that people would know. Uh, Luca Valentino, that's the second mascota of the Merced. So he worked that show. Uh, then there's this show we just talked about. The week before, Silver King was there. Oh, wow. Uh, um, that set up this match. Negro Navarro and Silver King beat connected Mr. Yak in a relatable, incredible match. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're not seeing those guys. No. More it's and, a lot of young guys. And we talked about the number two draw of UWA in the early nineties would have been Del Scaris, and he was on the CMLL show. He's work he works in November. He's on one of the November okay. shows. Okay. Grand Grandamana's on one of the November shows. Tejano. Oh, wow. 
So, so, okay, so some of those guys were still around, just not on this not show right necessarily. Nico Navarro, Signo, and Shua Guerrero. They, they said that the, uh, that crew was on here. So, yeah, they were around, but they weren't on these shows. It's just such a uh, shame. Sangre Chicana in October. Bronze de Oro in October. Ultimate Dragon in October. Ultimate, the show they were, they only drew 150 fans. Oh, wow. Fish man. So, yeah, I mean. It sounds like a high end indie almost. <laughs> yeah. Hey, has Basically. any other promotion ever had the kind of decline they had? Oh. Well, I mean, I don't know. I can't because, think of being right. Well, because especially, you know, in that era, for a lucha promotion to be so prominent on the international scene, on top of everything else, that. To go from being this premier organization that was, you know, you know, led the way with better treatment of the wrestlers and better pay and all this talent and helped, you know, boost the independent scene and all that, you know, and then for them to just go on this slow death march in the, I think it's eight years after Flores died. Dick, you know what I'm saying? They were like the biggest drawing company in the world on a week-to-week basis for a few years there in the 80s. I mean, El they Carreo, were like, I, El Carreo was insane what they El, were drawing in that time period. I mean, no no one will ever break the record for most tickets no. sold in the same venue in a year like Toreo. Because right. there were times where they were doing two shows a week and packing it. And that place holds like, what, 25,000 people? <laughs> it's crazy. Right. I don't know if they were sellouts, but still, they did, they would regularly draw well over 15,000. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good luck. <laughs> and they're working with New Japan and WWF, and it just it, you know, it's just yeah. yeah. If, did if no one's ever seen any of that footage, man, this, what little footage there is out there, like the stuff New Japan film is pristine quality, or even heck, just look up the Stan Hansen like promos of him talking about Wrestling Connect. That's a lot of fun. Just watching him running around the streets of Mexico City. <laughs> Choshu Ricky, you long-haired yeah, weirdo. You know, all that. You know, we played we played some of that several weeks back. But okay, right on. you know, there's it's basically all the stuff shot for Japanese TV, and I'd love to know if the stuff shot for World Pro Wrestling still exists because that stuff was all clipped on TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's basically just that and the you know, the few hours of handhelds we have from eighty four. That's about it. Oh, so there because okay, I've always seen the one match that was on the uh Mexico eighties Death Valley Driver best of. That's the, it. Like, that was a handheld. And it was uh, the, uh, Space Cadets versus Yeah, versus uh, Ola Lila, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is an incredible match, but it's so good. This is basically <laughs> the end of uh, this promotion, and this is also the end of the show for you this week. Yes, as uh, Taro will uh, leave us now, as he has other important things to take care of as we do the rest of the show. But we'd like to thank you for being with us for the first time. So go ahead and plug away. What's going on with you in the internet world? Well, first, it's great to finally be on the show because I feel like we've been talking about me coming on for a good year or two at least, you know, so it's good <laughs> to make this probably happen. Yeah, we made it happen. You know, because I'm like, oh, I'm always sending you guys info. I'm like, oh, this would be fun. Here, here's little tidbits that you guys might like. But um, 
if anybody wants to see whatever I'm getting into, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lock and Lol. That's L O K N L O L L. I regularly go to the PWG or, you know, when you after you hear this, I'm already going to be at the uh, New Japan Strong taping tomorrow. So I'll go to shows here and there and just doing whatever else I want to do for fun. And uh, the other thing I got to plug is. Um, you guys are aware of Disco Machine, of course, you know. Oh, of course, yes. I feel so, like an idiot, by the way, because when you were telling us about this earlier, you kept saying Disco, and in my head I kept thinking, well, I guess he could be friends with Glenn Gilberty. Yeah, Disco Machine, come on. I know, machine, I'm saying so. I feel like an idiot. It slipped my mind. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. I just casually say Disco. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, it's obviously the Disco Machine, not Disco Inferno. This is the so, Disco that matters. Machine, you know, that you know, one sixth of the original PWG ownership disco machine. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Well, so, um, no uh, the main thing I've been doing lately that be online is disco machine a few years ago started something called the beer baseball blog, and he actually found the website beerbaseball.com was available. Wow. So, we started a blog where we just catalog our adventures, just going to just breweries or anything baseball related. And then, because of COVID, we're like, what are we going to do? So, he decided to start doing a live show, primarily on YouTube and their platforms as well, where for now, for over a year and a half straight, we are live every Tuesday at 6, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, where we just talk about what beer we're drinking and we just talk baseball. And so if anybody is into something that sounds like that, look up beerbaseball.com and you can just slide down and just look at uh, our archives. We do a show every Tuesday where we just talk about this day in baseball history, we do a baseball card game called Baseball Card Sharks based off the old uh, 80s uh, game show. Card oh, Shark. Yeah. Uh, who plays Jim Perry on this? The host uh, I guess that would be Disco Machine would be Michael awesome. Bondag would, be, would be Jim Perry because awesome. he's the one who has the cards. So more or less, awesome. we laid the cards out. We have some baseball cards like this week. We did 1986 tops, Chris. I love your. Oh, yeah, and 86 Tops is one of those where, you know, we're in the card boom. I guess it's kind of still going on, but you, oh, can, still get 80, you can still get 86 Tops cheap as shit. <laughs> yeah, now you can. I couldn't believe it because I remember how much I, I'm like, I feel like I pay a lot for that as a kid, you know. And more or less what we do is we lay the cards out like the Card Sharks game board. And then we do either pitchers or position players. And then we pick a stat and we go high low on the players on the card. So, and then we oh, just have the, the host of the show. Yeah, exactly. And we interact with the audience who's watching and they, dealt, they, they try to help us up higher or lower. And it's like, hey, here's uh, Ryan Stamberg versus, uh, how many doubles does he have in his career? And it's like, okay, the next card is um, Jim Gantner. I'll just name the most random player <laughs> I can think of. You know, As, uh, or, or, or any great uh, like random Atlanta Braves, Gerald Perry. There you go. I didn't get a Gerald Perry card this week. We did have Jim Gantner card on the board this week. That's what made me think of Jim Gantner. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. The second baseman so, of the Milwaukee Brewers. He was a double yeah, exactly. play with, with uh, Robin Yao. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's just a fun thing. How to do sad is it? How sad is it that I can name right, Robin Yao with a second, Gantner's at first, Cecil Cooper. I mean, Gantner's at second, Cecil Cooper's at first, third, third, Molitor third. Paul Maltor third, yes. Catcher, I don't know who Catcher would have been. Catcher would have been uh, b- b- Charlie Moore. Wow, it would have been Charlie Moore then. Okay. Ben, ben, right. o- ben Ogilvy was one of the, the outfielders. Yeah. Gorman Thomas was one of the yeah. outfielders. 
and oh my god, I'm blanking on the other one. How sad Man, is it? Matt, Chris, I may, I may have to bug you to come on one of our shows one of these days. Because the other thing we do is sometimes is we do what's called a hoppy hour. Where we'll film a show on the weekends. And for the wrestling fans here, we actually had a um, friend of the show, and I met him through uh, listening to him on your show, Daniel uh, Bacave. Yes. So we actually had him and his friend, the bigger Alan Jepson, on one of our shows. We could show where we just talked beer, baseball, wrestling. And Dan was a drink, but he had a non-alcoholic IPA so he can join in the fun. And they had fun <laughs> playing the card chart game with us. Oh, interesting. So, you know, so so yeah, go to beerbaseball.com and you can just scroll down, find all the information there. But we're live every Tuesday on our page on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. All right. Well, we definitely appreciate you joining us. And uh, like I said, we'll have you back on in the future. But me and Bix have to finish this bitch out. So we'll be back after this. Let's move on to the indie scene now as we go to Newburgh, New York for Northeast Wrestling at the Avalon Recreation Center on December the 9th. We had a battle royal won by Tony DeVito. Yeah, that's Tony DeVito. Brutus Beefcake over J.L. Storm. Primo Carnero III over Tony DeVito. Half Nelson over Tiny the Terrible in your midgets match. NEW NWA Northeast Light Heavyweight Title Match. Johnny Handsome beat Supernova to win the title. Ray Odyssey over Mayhem. Fatu over Abuda Singh, which is uh, Boo Bradley Balsahoney. And our main event, Bam Bam Bigelow over Sir Mo. It's quite the interesting lineup here, Bix. Yeah, okay, so where do we start here? JL Storm, I am hoping, is Jerry Lynn doing a JW Storm gimmick, but probably not. Uh, uh, no. Let's see. Brutus Beefcake, because for those who don't know, Ed Leslie was taking tons of indie dates throughout pretty much his entire WCW run. Nobody was stopping him either. And... Many of them as Brutus Beefcake. So, okay, we're in December 95. He's still Zodiac. Yeah, we just talked about it yeah. earlier. So, yeah. Yes, no. Yes, no. He's just here being Brutus Beefcake. Mm-hmm. Tiny the Terrible is the guy from the New Jack Dark Side of the Ring who had been working the matches with his brother against Araculus. So, I'm guessing Half Nelson is probably his brother, right? Uh, I guess so. Uh, Mayhem, I w- is the do- is LIWF slash Doghouse open yet by this time? No idea. Because I would think that might be Mike Mayhem, but I'm not sure. And what a main of... I mean, both of the top two matches are interesting in weird ways. Because we've got Fatu, I guess, being booked out through WWF, taking on... So wait a second. Would would John Richter have taken this last second after Smokey closed? Because they've only been closed for like a week and a half, two weeks. He's also in WWF. Well, he was gone for Smokey by then, but he's in WWF now. That's Santa right. Claus. Yeah, that is right. Well, no. No, he's not. The pay-per-view hasn't happened yet. But he's there. He, he's. I think he's pretty much with them. Okay. He says it debuted. But still. They, they, I, have the, they have it set up. Sure. And I guess he's working as a Buddhist thing because it's the Northeast. Bigelow versus Sir Mo is just so strange. And Mabel is still with uh, WF at the time, too. But Mo has stopped working as his manager. For, 
Yeah, I think so. Okay. Strange. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, it's a, your average strange Northeast indie show. So there you go. Speaking of weird, let's go to ECW and all kinds of turmoil this week, which is not uncommon. Uh, Public Enemy, their final show will be January 5th at ECW Arena with a plan of them having a house party after the show in the building. Steve Austin is also most likely in for the UF. There's a ton of controversy this week regarding Nancy Sullivan. Mark Madden reported on the WCW hotline that Sullivan will be leaving ECW for WCW and go under the name Elizabeth and would manage Randy Savage. WCW actually taped over that message, and there was tremendous heat on Madden to, to the point his future with the company was questionable. With, Kevin, with Nancy Sullivan denying she's leaving ECW, and Kevin Sullivan wanting to replace her man on the hotline with himself and Paul Orndorff. Dave can say for sure there was a plan in WCW in serious discussion as to exactly what as to exactly that, although Sullivan has denied strongly she's going there. Dave's feeling is that because she's come out so strong in denial that it probably isn't going to happen. At least not right away. Because if it happened anytime soon, it'll wind up with some people having the kind of credibility Pat Patterson had coming out of the McMahon trial. <laughs> For well, those who don't know, by the way, Pat basically just, I don't remembered as much as possible. Even well, stuff he had testified to the grand jury about. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's another month before she goes there, so <laughs> it isn't right away, but yeah, she's going there. Um... The idea of bringing her in and making her Elizabeth? So, okay, this must be getting something confused, because I think the story that would be told in later years was the original idea was that she would be a heel, I think brought in by Flair, as the new Elizabeth, basically doing the Dawn Marie as Beulah gimmick. And then they bring in Elizabeth to be eventually with woman and rick flair yes which here's what i'm gonna guess happened someone gets the idea and given who the two bookers of these two companies are i'm at a loss for whose idea it was originally i'm guessing this was an idea that they had talked about in both light because obviously paul eventually does it so i think that's the idea at some point in this randy finds out you know, where Liz is and how she's doing makes... Well, no, she had made an overture, actually, right? I think so. I think, excuse me, I think it was a combination of both. Some sniffling here. Um, But either way, I'm guessing it's like somewhere in the middle of all this, she reaches out, or she reaches out and this is a backup plan. And then once the deal is made, maybe they had already made enough of an effort to bring in Nancy because... If you look at how that whole thing is booked, Nancy's role is very superfluous until the Benoit angle gets going. I mean, she's basically—I mean, she's woman with Ric Flair again, but Elizabeth is the one that's really getting all the. She's the, the character, heat. yeah. She's the heat, yeah. Like she's not really cutting promos, even though she's gotten so much better at them. To, you know, the point at this point, she's an actively good promo, if not better. So I got to think it's something like that, because if you really think about it, the I mean, a huge part of the reason why the Liz turn was so shocking when it happened was they had already done the woman turn. Yeah. 
like you didn't think they would do that. So I, I, I think it's some kind of weird plans change thing. Shocking in WCW that happened. Shocking. Yes. But anyway. All right, and Torch has more public enemy. They'll be seeing the send-off of greater magnitude than Eddie Guerrero and Dimalenko on the January East Day Arena card. Not really. Well, I guess you... Well, they had a little party with the fans, so there's yes. that. That's expected to starting on January 5th. East Day Arena ticket prices will be raised from 15 to 25 and 18 to 30. There's some complaining about the high prices, but you have to realize that it isn't as if these groups are making No, you profits. misread that. It'll be raised from 15 and 25 to 18 and 30. Oh, excuse me, 15 and 25, 18 and 30, sorry. There's some complaining about the high prices, but you have to realize that it isn't just as if these groups are making huge profits and gouging the fans. They're in a constant fight just for survival, and for those so vociferously backing them, they need to understand the realities of the wrestling business in 1996, that to be presented anything but a bare-bones level, and Smoky Mountain tried and failed that level, particularly running in small buildings with a small fan base, that ticket prices need to be high or the group won't last very long. Well, Dave is really uh, banging the drum for Paul Heyman here, isn't he? It's a fairly minor price increase, and we are talking about a company doing a decent number of fly-ins and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I understand it, but still, you know, you're, supp you're supposed to be a media person. Um, but he's explaining why it's not unreasonable. I don't think that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's not his job to be explaining, I don't think. So, and if fans are If fans are complaining and concerned that they're gouging them, I do think it, if he's hearing these complaints and he knows to a decent certainty that it's not just an effort to gouge people, and it's ECW, they're not making money, then I don't think, I don't think that's that bad at all. No. Anyway. All right. The December 9th show at East Arena Build, December Dismember, was described by all concerned as a flat show and well below the usual standard, although everyone worked hard. Wait, wait, so, wait, wait. There was a show named December to Dismember that was a bad flat show? Yeah. So this was the, was the original one. The talent wasn't there without Cactus Jack, Sabu, Tuco, Scorpio, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Psychosis. The future of using the Mexicans is questionable because WCW is making a play to get to work in agreement with Triple A. Since Conan, who is the Triple A international liaison, was promised a good spot in WCW. Sabu's in New Japan. Cactus Jack's on IWA. So they weren't there. Scorpio's in Austria, working with Otto. But all returning in the, the month. Because of the fire marshal, the crowd's below usual. Thanks, Bix. Either 899 or 1099, depending upon who you talk with. Although the people turned away, so it was a sellout. <laughs> Eight ninety nine or ten ninety nine, Vix, and they were turned away. Sellout. So in other words, it was a normal ECW arena sellout, and the file marshal just made sure that they didn't completely overstuff it, and were getting a legitimate ish number for once. That's oh, by I the way, that. well, by, well, by the way, Torch uh, claimed this as a twelve hundred attendance sellout. Super no vacancy or super no vacancy full house? <laughs> right, well, they, they said it's 1,200. So, and how many does the arena fit hold, Bix? We're under the impression it's really about, it was really about 900 to 1,000, right? Something like that. Because outside of the ECW shows, were there 
clearly just packing extra people into the building and putting fans in the crow's nest and stuff. I don't feel like the, you know, Chikara and CZW shows and stuff that drew what we believe was like a legit 900 or so looked that different from a packed ECW arena, do you? Not too different, but it wasn't 1,200 people. No. So let's go say that. All right, to answer turn, beating up with Otto Canyon in 326 and challenge anyone to come out. Fans chatted 911, but he didn't come out. Bruiser Mastino, the former Mantar, debuted the arena. He worked the spot show last weekend. He lost to Hat Myers. In the triangular match, Sandman came out as ECW champion. First, Steve Austin pinned Mikey Whipwreck in 1234, and then Sandman pinned Austin, who had a short crew cut, almost bald. So everyone speculated he was getting ready for a new WF role. He was in 7-Eleven, even though Austin has to be under the ropes. Sandman got the biggest pop of the show because nobody expected him to beat Austin. Even if Austin wasn't leaving, Paul Heyman's plan for this show was to, for Sandman to get out, to get the title out of the triangular match, not Austin. Um, if I remember right, he was not shaving his head for the ringmaster as much as he felt his hairline was receding enough that it was time to go with something of a shaved head look. Because remember, he doesn't shave his head completely bald at first. It's no. a little more, like, Bruce Willis and Pulp Fiction-y. And... But it's also blonde, so it kind of looks more baldy. Yeah. But I think it was just he felt like now's the time. My hair's starting to go a little bit. New promotion, new look, etc. Yeah. The first public enemy having bodies, bodies match saw public enemy win an A46 in a very good match. For whatever reason, the ultimate Jeopardy cage match with public enemy, the Pitbulls, and Tommy Jamer beating in the Eliminators, Heavenly Bodies, Raven, and Stevie Richards fell flat, even though there were lots of juice and gimmicks used. Lots of fans left during the match. Dreamer ended up pinning Richards, who was left alone with all five faces for five minutes. It wound up with Sandman, the most popular guy in the company right now. They even booed Mikey when he squared off with him, making the save for Richards and getting a baby face pop by caning all the baby faces. Sandman got Sandman got over huge when he danced. When he danced with Scorpio, that changed that changed everything. That was the beginning of the Sandman becoming the Sandman. You know what's insane? The vast majority of the big babyface ECW turns in this era are all because a heel started doing comedy dancing. Mostly, yeah. Bubba, Sandman, you can kind of say public enemy. Yeah. Um, and also inner Sandman. I mean, the fans were wanting want to sing with it, too. So as it became more established as his entrance music over the previous year. Yes. So because that's definitely. (laughs) Would you like to remind everyone what Sandman's previous entrance music was? Oh, my God. I can't remember. That would be Elton John's The Bitches Back. (laughs) Yes, it was. Which was more of a reference to woman becoming his manager, I believe, was the idea. But it did not fit. No. I mean, he used to come out to Mr. Sandman when he, you know, before, and he was doing that game. Mr. Sandman, yeah. Oh, Mr. Sandman, give me a dream. Ba, 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 ba. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So, um, Dave Shearer and the wrestling Lariat, I'm, I'm going to uh, go to some of his stuff he said. All right. Uh, thoughts on the show. Number one, 
Sandman's the most overgotten the promotion. All he has to do is walk out the back, and the crowd goes nuts. When Inner Sandman starts playing with the PA, the building comes alive. It's just that simple. Number two, Bubba Ray Dudley is also overhuge. The guy's become a phenomenon, and the crowd eats him up. This is the early days of the stuff. Number three, Public Enemy leaving is really going to hurt. It became obvious when in a downtime during the show, Public Enemy's interest fired the crowd up just by it happening. They are ECW, and they will leave a void that's hard to fill. There's no way it could be replaced. Shear's right. I mean, by this point in time, they were so fucking over in that company with that fan base that as far as a tag team goes, the Pitbulls, they, they tried to do that with them, but they, they didn't have a Bayface tag team for quite a while. That I mean, gangsters kind of turned into that in a way, but they didn't have a public enemy for a long time. No. Pitbulls, Pitbulls, I thought, did well as babyfaces, you know, as foils, like as, you know, the babyfaces to fight off Raven and Richards as. That was their, that was their, their spot. They weren't the number one babyface tag team, you know, for the no. heat and all that. Or even the babyface tag team to help get Francine over or to help they were, you know, to help get the eliminators over. Whatever. They're ECW. They were, they were, they were kind of like ECW's version of the road warriors. I don't know if and it's that. Well, in their stature though, in a way. I, I As get what e you're getting at though. The ECW version of the road warriors. Cause you know, in Crockett you had the midnight, you had the rock and roll express. Yeah. So you had that babyface tag yeah. team. And then you had the Road Warriors, who were baby faces, but they were, you know, fighting on the gimmicks, and they were doing all that type of stuff. Yeah. But they, yeah, it took a while to replace Public Enemy. All right, number four, people wanted Michael Whipper to lose the title. I thought that, I, I, I always thought that was a bad booking decision by Heyman, to put the belt on Mikey. It, it didn't work. Fans didn't want it. It didn't fit his character. Here's the thing, though. Once they did the Sandman angle, and I don't think you're necessarily saying they shouldn't have done the Sandman angle in the first place. Once they did that and it picked up steam, you had to put the belt on it. No, you're, in that way, yes, but they shouldn't have done it like that because Mikey basically was the cat. Beside the dancing, he was the callus for Sandman turning babyface because. Fans didn't want to accept Mikey in that role, and Sandman's beating the shit out of him. And then Austin's there doing Austin things. So Mikey's, you know, he, he's just there. He's lame duck as hell, you know, because look at how everything plays out. Austin and Sandman's the one that's had the beef. They're the one that's kind of feuding here. Mikey's a champion. He's like, hey, I'm over here. Well, you know you what know? I was going to say, though? I think it's not even just Mikey winning the belt, or that they really should have gotten off him probably even quicker than two months, but I think the Austin involvement turned the fans on him, because as he got more involved in that program, like, you look at, for example, excuse me, a Gangsta's Paradise, the fans are really into the Mikey and Public Enemy combo, they're 
into the post-match where they do the hey champ stuff with him but but well, they're into that, but they're not into the Sandman. He's not involved with Sandman and Austin, and and they get back into him when, and, with the Cactus stuff. So it's it's just the fact that he was the champion, and he's the third wheel in the Sandman Austin story. Yes, exactly. They they cooled him off way too much too quick by how Austin got worked into it, and I'll say this, and this is credit to Paul immediately then transitioning back to this new take on the cactus team was the perfect way to then rehab him from the crowd starting to turn on him. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So it's right, a five. really good course correction. Yeah. Props to Heyman in that regard. Yes. All right. Number five, Tommy Dreamer is also way over. Whenever he got on office, the building came alive. He also has no regard for his body. And personally, sure wishes he would just watch out for himself a little more. He's a good guy that they would really hate to see get seriously hurt. He's also a way tough son of a bitch. Yep, Tommy's starting to peak too at this time. Absolutely. Uh, number six, I was just pointing out the day by the one and only sign guy and the guy we took to the first of ECW show. We, as fans, are spoiled rotten. As sign guy said, even the worst Paul Heyman show is far better than anything anyone has to offer. And Cheer agreed. Thoughts? Anyone else, period, or locally? He says anyone else, period. Well, Public Enemy is the best tag team in the world, so. I mean, there you go. So, I mean, the, the fans are spoiled, Bix. They don't know how good they have it. All right, some stuff that we didn't uh, mention here uh, from The Observer. Cher said, I guess I should have known things were screwy when the show actually started up on time. The opener saw the Bad Crew make their arena debut versus D.W. and Bubba Ray Dudley. Bad Crew is managed by Damian Kane and have a valet named Lady Alexandra who comes up with a miracle bra, bikini shorts, and a cat of nine tails. Sometimes Sheer wonders if ECW has too many good-looking women. Then he tells himself he's an idiot. <laughs> also, isn't this the period where they start to gear up for the calendar idea that ends up not happening? Yeah. Although, of course, we should mention why Bad Crew, Damian Kane, and Lady Alexandra... <laughs> are there, which is that Ed Zahn's license got suspended over the fire incident at the end of October. Ed Zahn, mm -hmm. you know, of, uh, which is a weird thing that he was the promoter in the first place because he was really more of a Maryland guy, but I guess he held a PA license just in case. And obviously, I don't think he wanted to work with them again after that, even once he straightened things out. So they switched to Damian Kane, who had a license, and as a consequence of that, if you are using Damian Kane's license, I don't know if you're paying him as well, you have to book Bad Crew with Damian and his wife as their managers. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting gimmick and act for sure. Uh, oh, and real quick, uh, Cat of Nine Tails made me think about this. Uh, you know how we talked about on Capital Combat 90 about the Cat of Nine Tails being used in the uh, Corporal Punishment match with the Freebirds and Rock and Roll Express? That David Crockett bought for some well, reason. Well, here's, here's I saw story. you tweet about this, but go on. Robert Gibson, in the promo with Tony Schiavone earlier in the show, was holding a true leather strap. W a, a, a country whipping match type strap. At, well, a leather strap, absolutely, yes. WCW, everybody. All right, um, 
So the the, the Dudley's match ended uh, with Bubba hitting the Bubba bomb. And then he held his nose to Lady Alexandra, which, of course, elicited the crowd to chant Stinky. And Bubba danced and uh, blah, 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 blah. All right, is, so that t- is that uh, someone self-editing? Because I feel like ECW Arena fans in that context probably would have yeah, gone with a more vulgar that. version of that chant. That shares editing, I'm sure. Because I, I feel like the- I read a report in the Torch or something that they did say what you think they probably said here. Yeah, Sheer said the crowd got killed at with the Taz El Puerto match. Said total squash. Rocanio didn't get one offensive move in. That's okay, but then we get Taz over this badass. It makes sense. In fact, the crowd even chanted "Fuck you, Taz!" So he's over as a heel. Taz just did a ton of moves. Blah blah. blah. He choked him out. He stood in the ring along with Fonzie. Called anyone from ECW has the ball's face. And Fonzie took the mic and seconds that no one ever came out. People at the back, no one ever came. Whole thing went on forever. Finally, finally after what Shear said took about 10 minutes, Taz said, Have a miserable Christmas and a horrible fucking New Year. After this, the crowd was dead. They expected something to happen, and when it didn't, it blew a lot of people's minds. Shear still didn't know what they were trying to accomplish, but unless it was the border crowd, they did not accomplish it. If you're going to do that deal, where you're going to do the open challenge and then nobody comes out, don't go too long. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're going to kind of kill your locker room then. Big mistake. Um, we'll talk about Bruce Mastino in just a minute. Uh, they talk about um, the first match that would determine the coin flips for Ultimate Jeopardy was Eliminators beating the Pitbulls. Uh, lots of hot power moves and psycho violence as Feud has produced thus far. Francine was wearing an outfit that truly has to be seen to be appreciated. Uh, Pitbulls will go for Super Bomb. Jason came out of the chair and broke it up. In the shocking moments, the Eliminators actually made a tag. Sanders just a cool moves. Cronus just double handspring elbow. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Pitbull wins on the floor. Eliminators did total elimination on Pitbull 2. Got the pin. Had to match Francine, nailed Jason with three good chair shots. And then the Eliminators are going for total elimination when 911 came out and chose Slam both of them. Not that big of a pop, though. The crowd was really pretty dead during this match, even though the work was solid. Huh. And then you had the second advantage match, which was Raven against Tommy Dreamer. Obviously, everyone thought that Dreamer would win the third match meaningful. That was not what happened, however. <laughs> so, and at the best of three, the Teals won the first two matches. Uh, Raven won with Dreamer could no longer continue after Raven destroyed him on top of, on the top of the stage building. Lots of crazy stuff. Tommy uh, had a pie ate the pie, smashed Raven in the face, then spit the bits of pie in the air like Muda. Pretty funny. Broke a table, this, that, and the other. Raven broke a ball over Dreamer's head, causing him to be unable to continue. When Dreamer came out later, he was bandaged, still bleeding. So Sheer guessed it probably happened. Then we got JT Smith against Tony Stetson. No one cares about Stetson, so JT Russell, no one cares about him. JT still doing the Italian klutz gimmick, which is pretty funny since he's an athletic black guy. Smith missed spots, which is a gimmick, but the match was horrible. Smith won, but who cares how? And then they had the uh, three-way for the title. Uh, Austin was announced as hailing from CNN Towers for this match, by the way. Uh, fans were chanting Forrest Gump at him because of his haircut. <laughs> fans chanted Goldust also at Austin uh, because of his hair. Um uh, Sheridan says Sam has lost his 40 pounds. 
uh, in recent months as his new business in Utah is booming and keeping him very busy. Folks, if you want, if you were wondering why the Sandman was seen in Utah during the Chicago Bulls last dance, uh, documentary on ESPN last year is uh, celebrating in the hotel with the Bulls or whatever from 1998. That's why he had business in Utah. But what was uh, the business that resulted him getting in such good shape? Construction I guess going, stuff? I guess so. I don't know. Cause wasn't that like his main non wrestling thing in this era? Construction related stuff. Yeah. And he talks about the finish of the uh, Austin Sandman thing, blah blah blah. Public Enemy Heavenly Bodies was the final match of the of the coin of the uh, for the advantage of the coin flip. So public, so that's I mean they did a best of three to determine the winner of the coin flip or advantage of the coin flip. The call the call the coin toss. So uh, Public Enemy won that. Um, Bubba Ray. All right. So before this match, it was announced that fit the Jaren Fish should be Public Enemy's farewell card. Cher was curious how the crowd would react when they came out. They should be. They cheered. They danced in the crowd. Bubba Ray came out, danced in the ring. Uh, body attacked Bubba. So, uh, fans chant, please don't go. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Rocco asked Bubba, what was his name? My name's Bubba, Bubba, Bubba. And <clears throat> the crowd went nuts. Um, of course, they did that. What we talked about there in the finish in an ultimate jeopardy. Which we talked about that as well. So, there's that. So, um, there- there's the Lariat's the show. I forget if it's this show or House Party, but there's a Chris Forbes Torch report from one of these two shows that I believe talks about how it's the right time for Public Enemy to leave because of how much more Bubba is over, excuse me, Bubba is and the stuff they did together. Um, I mean, yeah, but they didn't do that much together, which was a good thing. But yeah, when they did interact... Yes. You saw it. So, yeah. I mean, that is a point to be made. All right, so we we stay with Alerta real quick. Over 300 fans were turned away from the arena, and there were many reacted very angrily, causing an ugly situation. This again brings up the question of when ECW will start running a bigger building in Philly. As much as Shearer loves the arena, the time has come to move to a bigger place. They never did. And at this point, it's just a... You know, now it's become something of a, like, mid-scale Philly concert venue after all the renovations and stuff. But at the time, it's basically just the warehouse where they keep the floats for the Mummers Parade that they also do bingo in at midnight with old ladies. So it's cheap as hell, I'm sure. Yeah, there's that, but... I mean, the main reason I stayed there is because... It was the ECW arena. You know, it was kind of going grandfathered in. Oh, so, you think if they hadn't start call, started calling it the ECW arena, then maybe they would have moved? I mean, it's possible. And, well, and plus, it, and it, became, it became as much of a you know, part of the ECW identity as anything else. Yeah, and also we do need to remember, too, that it would come out later, like a decade later with the documentaries and stuff, that... A lot of the alleged sellouts were not actual sellouts and had a ton of cops. Yeah. So, who knows exactly how many tickets they're selling to these. Yeah. 
right, uh, Torch. Nine one Paul Heyman had a confrontation in the locker room as nine one one was upset with how he was being used. Okay, so what had he last done at this point? Had well, he's said- on this show. Yeah, he choke slamming the eliminator, but he was supposed to ch- choke slam Bruiser Mastino. But during that point in time, that's when him and Heyman are having their problems. <laughs> oh, it was at that moment. It was in that time frame that they were having their problems, and obviously Heyman got everything straightened out and had him go out and do the eliminator spot instead. So, but the last, the last big nine one one thing. Probably was him uh, his his moment with uh, with double dog collars. When is that? September. Well, I was thinking about what comes after this, so I'm gonna guess the thing about how him at nine one one and Ray against the Eliminators is after this in January. That's what I was gonna say. I wonder if how I'm being used. That whole thing is that. He wants to try to be more of a wrestler. Because if we think about what comes next, it's the teaming with Ray against the Eliminators. And Okay, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, here's what 911 did. Uh he did not he had appeared at the Reading show on December the first, uh, as a guest referee with Taz in a Pitbull's Eliminators match. Alright? Mm-hmm. He wasn't at November to remember. Before then, his last appearance had been in Glen Olden on November the 4th, going to a WQ with Scorpio. Then he hadn't been, uh, he, he was at the Flagstaff, October 6th, team with Taz and Mikey going against the Eliminators and Jason. He hadn't been in the arena as, in a while, I guess. Unless I'm totally missing something, hmm. which I don't think I am. So. And I'm looking, as far as actual matches, he only has, like, one match a month most times. So, I gotta think it's something like that, because we go from this to teaming with Ray against the Eliminators to the whole mess with setting up the Taz program and not liking doing the job for him, right? Yeah. So, that's my best guess, without there being more details here. And uh, also, for those of you who don't know... 911 is the father of Game Changer Wrestling Foreman and sometimes wrestler Big Van. Well, there you go. How about that? Yes. Uh, Eddie, I believe he has wrestled as 411 on occasion. Now, Dave has a date wrong here, but when Bruce Pritchard attended ECW show in Reading on December 1st, he apparently never stepped foot in the locker room to avoid wrestlers approaching him about work and to avoid speculation of a WFECW relationship. Bruce was there partially to visit his brother, Dr. Tom Pritchard, who wrestled on the card. Funny, huh? funny, huh? He's just there to visit. It's just funny. He's just, just there to visit my brother. That's all it is. That's all that's going on here. Nothing else. Well, if he didn't set foot set foot in the locker room, well, Paul Heyman's office ain't in the locker room. Bitch. Well, okay. <laughs> that's where you're going with it. Well, he's also friends with Paul, but I guess people don't know that at this time. <laughs> Uh, back to the lariat. The rumors of Cactus Jack going to the WF have cooled, and now it appears he won't be until at least April at the earliest before he goes anywhere. Well, he doesn't start as a wrestler in, on the road until then, so kind of. Yeah, I mean, it basically ends up being right, in a way, so... Not exactly the way it's written, but more or less, yeah. Well, he's still working ECW in February. Yeah. So... 
Oh, it's a 1995 ECW show, so of course we have an update on this. ECW moves to Midnight Sundays on MSG Cable starting on January the 7th. Uh, one of my newsletter pit peeves of this era is when someone would give an ECW uh, MSG time slot, and they would never, and they would say something like Midnight Sunday, but no, that's not how you say that. You either say Midnight Sunday Night or Midnight Sunday Morning if you're saying that. If you say Midnight Sunday, I don't know which one you're talking about. <laughs> well, it's what it is. Uh, and the torch said the latest start date for ECW on Prime Network is Monday night, January the 1st at 1 a.m. Eastern Time. It will air weekly thereafter. Then the January 15th and 22nd programs will be delayed until 1.30. And ECW returns to the American Independent Network at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday nights starting on December the 12th. And this would then benefit them when, okay, did they get kicked off MSG or did they just pull from MSG to not pay when they realized that it would show up on the Prime feed? I forget. Probably the latter. Because, yeah, and I remember, like, watching, you know, because my cousin had MSG, he would tape it and then I would watch it. I would borrow it. Like, you would see once that happened... You would see it was not the MSG ECW. Like, it, you know, at this point, you're not really going to have that many local, you know, promos or anything. But you would see MSG flip over to the Prime feed, and you would see the Prime stuff coming in and out of the show. Yeah. So, ECW television, always a fun experience here in 1995. Yeah. All right, let's go to Mid-Atlantic Wrestling on December 8th in Greensboro for 100 fads. We had Johnny Capone, oh, over Nightbreed. Headbanger Mosh over Will of the Wisp. That's a match. That's Mosh over Jeff Hardy, of course. Venom over High Voltage. Jason Arndt over Matt Hardy. Uh, Dan Grundy and James Beasley over Frank Nelson and Bam Bam Colson by DQ. Buddy Landell over Timber to Lumberjack, and Buddy wins a battle royal. Did they ever have a version of the Cell Block match? Oh, no, wait, that was Shank's <laughs> specialty, sorry. Yes. But Timber was uh, just yes. Uh, now, I forget, is Frank Nelson an actual person, or is this a typo and it's Frank Melson? It's not Frank Melson. Okay. Where was Frank Melson it... from? Was he a Maryland guy? It's Chicago. Okay. All right, Southern States Wrestling. Uh, actually, real Southern quick, J I forgot something I was about to say. Is this the earliest we have for Jeff doing the Willow gimmick? Um, I don't know. I didn't realize he was doing this early, but anyway. Yeah, Southern States Wrestling, Bo James. They ran Ledger High School in Ledger, North Carolina on December the night. Super Mario over Iceman. Oh, my goodness. Well, with Mario uh, on the card, I can already tell who's going to be there later. Uh, the Equalizer over Freight Train Ford. Dan Cooley over Casey Thunder. Dan Cooley and David Jericho, not his real name, Dan over the beautiful blondes, Eddie Golden and Stan Lee, not the guy from Marvel. Alan Ward over Frank Parker. Oh, Jimmy Valiant over Major DeBeers. And so the stage tag titles, Bo James and Ricky Morton win the titles from Death and Destruction, Frank Parker and Roger Anderson. A very Southern States wrestling card here. Mm-hmm. So there's Bo's crew. What an underrated tag team Death and Destruction were, though. Because the thing with them that I think... They're guys who I think would actually do very well now because... They were very good, I would say almost, not exactly, but similar into, like, 
a Carnies or a J.D. Drake and Anthony Henry, where they were very good at bridging just straight Southern style with guys who wanted to do more of a, you know, modern, flashy junior heavyweight style, because they would work for Omega a good bit, and they always fit in fine. Yeah. All right, uh, now let's go to Pace, Florida for Independent Wrestling Show. Lightning Kid over Superstar. That's obviously not Sean Waltman. Uh, 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 Hachu, the Samoan, over Chris Cody. His name's Hachu. Terrible wait, 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 Chris Cody is not I Am Cody, is he? Or is he? What was What was I Am Cody's first name, real first name? Who's I am Cody? You don't remember this? The guy who did the amne the guy who did the American tourist amnesiac gimmick in Zipang? No. Alright, Terrible Ted went to double count with wrestling machine. Brad Armstrong over Norvell Austin. Okay. Wow. Yukon Jack over Highlander. Ken Lucas what? over Marcel Pringle. And then Scott and Steve Armstrong over Samu and Fatu, the Samoan SWAT team. Wow. That's a, that's that quite is a the lineup. That is a match, and that's a show. Yeah. I, the Armstrongs have got to be involved in this. I would think so. Also, Ken Lucas versus Marcel Pringle in December 1995. Yeah. Um, the, I, the only time I can think of in my life that I ever heard of Pace Florida other than this is the first season of Road Rules with the... Uh, Nudist Colony uh, Challenge. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. And in a thing that would never happen today, if I remember right, well, not only saying that people had to get naked to move forward in the competition, but also, if I remember right, to get the next clue thing, you had to grab a plastic bag that was sitting at the bottom of a pool or a hot tub in front of the junk of the old guy who ran the nudist company. I'm remembering this right, aren't I? I don't know. You don't remember that part. Okay. But I'm pretty sure that's what it was, and boy, would that not happen today. No. All right, USWA. USWA is attempting to get smoking about until television time slots in Knoxville and Hatcher, Kentucky, and potentially make a Knoxville weekly town to replace Evansville. Although the holder right now is that they don't want to pay the price that Jim Cornette was paying those stations. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, what's also interesting about this, though, wasn't the Tri-Cities the one station that he actually had a decent deal with that he wasn't paying that much? Yeah, something like that. And yet Jared and whoever are not going after that slot. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, well... Knoxville's a bigger market. Hazard uh, is, I guess it's not necessarily a smaller market, but Hazard covers a lot of surrounding areas, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as far as, like, not that Hazard is a big city or even the overall market is a big market, but if you have a good signal in Hazard, you cover a, a, a pretty decent amount of eastern Tennessee and Kentucky, right? Yeah. I, I see the logic, but they're not they're not gonna pay for TV. No. No, they're not. 
All right, there's another more of an ECW style attempt to get the fans back. On December 4th show in the main event, Wolfie D. Powell drove downtown Burner through a table, and he shot on television on the summer life in a wheelchair. Bob Armstrong poorly controls 50% of the promotion, then fired PG-13. Randy Hales came out, said that Armstrong never confirmed with him on the decision. He was rehiring them, and PG-13 started laughing at Armstrong. At this smoking out Massacre Randy Hales match last Monday, Hales threw powder and unmasked the massacre, but Massacre still came back to win. Armstrong booked the match for December 11th, a stretcher match, but told Hales if he was signed over 50% of the company, he called it a stretcher match. Hales said that he wouldn't, he wouldn't, and he, even if he wanted to, he didn't own 50%. He was just an employee of Jerry Jarrett. Then Masker chased Hales to the dressing room. All right, we got three uh, clips here playing off of this, so let's go in order to these clips. Sorry, my volume thing was not moving the way it should. How long are each of these approximately, would you say? Long, I'll, I'll tell you when to stop. Okay. Well, downtown Bruno still here. Ahmed Johnson, unified world champion. Some highlights right there. Bob Armstrong's back again. We would very much appreciate it when you leave this time if you would just take Bruno with you. Hey, Brown, why don't you show some pity? The man's injured. He wanted to watch the matches. He's not bothering anybody. He's an upstanding man, so leave him alone. He bothers us by being here. The first point I want to make is there's a referee running around here that's give us nothing but problems, Smoky Mountain boys especially, and we're not going to uh, show any favoritism like I've said on the Smoky Mountain half. So Bill Rush, today they say if you want a job done right, do it yourself. I'm going to take Bill Rush into that ring, give him the wrestling lesson of his life. So all you real wrestling fans, if you want to see a real professional wrestler, watch me and learn. Now, as far as Bruno is concerned, you know what PG-13 did to him. The most awful thing I've ever seen done in 30 years of professional wrestling. I've never seen a man done quite like that. And I think it was mighty unfair of PG-13. And I've got plans for them. I've got a special well, thing. Could I, could I point out he should not have been in there to begin with? Okay, Let, now go ahead. All right. Let, would you kindly not interrupt me when I'm rolling here? Also, can I sanction against PG-13? I've got a, a message for Mr. Randy Hales. I'm sure you're familiar with him. And if I could get Mr. Randy Hales to come out here just for a moment, I'd like to just say something to him, and I want everybody in the viewing audience, everybody in the auditorium to hear it. Let me give him some room. There comes Randy. That's just a special thing. Mr. Hales, I just wanted you out here for a few minutes because there's something that I want you to watch. You can come on now. I've got a man right here that you got away with murder with the last time you were in the ring with. You threw powder. You used illegal eagle objects. You did everything you could. Come on, Bob. He's 450 pounds. So what? Does that give you a right to be illegal? Yeah, watch this thing. There he is. Uh, the massacre has arrived. Uh, it, uh, this match that you... You pick knowing that he weighed 450 pounds to go against Randy, who's not even a wrestler. Yes, so Randy used all these foreign objects, so I want to show him. Go right ahead, son. Do your thing. Do exactly like I told you. I wanted Randy Hales to see this person because Randy Hales is coming back in a stretcher match, and I want him to see what he can do to two men twice the size of Randy. All right. Well, he missed both of them. Well, they both tried to. All right, so now the next clip is the finish of this. I didn't want to do the whole match, so now we're going to the, the what happens at the end, of the, the end of this match, and the mask on Randy Hales thing continues. Work either. What I'm hey, what? Is putting the matches that I know the people want to see. They know that I've got 30 years of experience, and they know that the matches I book are the matches they want to see. Now, Mr. Hale, Mr. Hale, come back here, please. Now, I have an offer for you, Randy Hales. 
Now, if you'll think, put on your thinking cap, I'm going to give you a chance to get out of this stretcher now. Now, I don't want this big man to have you hauled out on a stretcher. I'm, I'm an honest man, and I'm a peace-loving man. I don't want that to happen to you. So if you'll do one thing for me, I'll cancel the Smoky Mountain stretcher match with the Smoky Mountain match. If you'll sign over 50% of USWA wrestling, that'll give me 100%, and I can run this operation the way it should be. Can you do that, Randy? You are crazy. First of all, I don't own any part of the USWA. Couldn't do it if I wanted to. And absolutely, you're nuts. No, I won't do that. If the situation is that, that if I don't do the match, we forfeit 50%, I'll be there. You're that's that's it. You heard what he said. He is going to be there. All right, you heard him say it. The next time you see this man, he'll be staring at the ceiling, riding on canvas. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, please take Bruno with you if you don't mind. I think he needs a break. We do too, and we'll be back in just a moment. All right, next clip. All right, so next clip, PG-13 has a match, and then this is the post-match where Bob Armstrong confronts them about Padre and Bruno, and we go from there. And PG-13 put another one in the victory column right here today on USWA Championship Wrestling. That's right, Dave. And you know what made me really happy was watching that VTR on the monitor back there, watching downtown Bruno get put right through that table by my man, J.C. Ice. And if you'll notice... JC's sporting a new dude. That's because he's gone totally crazy, man. You tell him, Ice. You see, Dave Brown, JC Ice has always been told, man, you ain't right in the brain. Well, you're exactly right. Jesse James Armstrong, Tracy Smothers, you're exactly right. There's something missing up here, man. There's a lot of marbles rolling around that ain't right. But you see, this week, <laughs> J.C. Ice and Wolfie D don't need no marbles because we're coming to get our USWA titles. No time limit, no disqualification. If you want to get loco, let's get loco. LPG 13, they are set to go against anybody who wants to come after them. I think they proved it here today against Bob Armstrong. What? What did you say? I said get them back here right now because I told you earlier this uh, this morning that I have a special sanction for these gentlemen. I've checked with my lawyers. I'm within my legal right to do this, and I want to do this to their faces. Like I've told you before, I'm an honorable, I'm a peaceable man, and I don't like to do anything behind anybody's back. So what I'm going to do is tell them right to their face what I've got planned. Well, here they come. J.C. Ice, Wolfie D, PG-13 back again. He's got some sort of announcement here. Listen, I've got nothing but good things to say about you guys. You're one of the top teams in the country. You're fine young men. But what you did to downtown Bruno goes past the point of no return. We're going to do that to everybody that gets in our way, man. Well, I'm afraid you're not going to do that because it's within my power to fire you, and that's what I'm doing now. I'm firing both of them. Tell them who's the boss. I am the boss. I am your boss. I've got the right to do it. I've got 50% of this operation, and I can fire you. And you are fired. That's it. That's it. Here, wait, 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 we'll get a get more ruling. Here's here's Randy Hale. Do you hear what he just did? You know the deal. I hate it as much as you do. We have to work together, make decisions together. I wasn't a part of that decision. I didn't agree to it. So you're not fired. <laughs> yes, they are fired. No, they're not. Hey, thanks a lot, boss. 
They're not, they're not fired. PG-13 still with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Guys, you're really Here we go. Uh, Got a special challenge match. We How great is Bob Armstrong? <laughs> he is so great in this role. What so role fantastic. isn't he great in, though? <laughs> I know, but, I mean, this is the thing that, I mean, Bob Armstrong has all, you know, was a bay face for almost his entire career. He had a, a year in Alabama, 82 and 83, that he was a heel. And then this. And it's just like, we don't have a lot of the Alabama run of his heel time there. And what we do have is not in great video quality. But we have this. And... It, I mean, I, I was watching this every week at the, and back in the day at this time period, and it was like the highlight of my week. I was I was more excited to watch USWA television on most weeks than ECW television because it was so entertaining. And uh, Bob was one of the reasons why. He was so awesome in this character. And I forget, were you getting it on like a late era Pedicino block? My, no, America my, one, brother, my, bro- my brother was recording off of uh, America One on the satellite. Because, right, your brother had a big dish. Yeah, the big dish. So he was recording Smokey, ECW, and USWA for me. All off America One. Yeah. Okay. So Bob booked a match against Bayface referee Bill Rush. Rush jumped Armstrong at the bell. Armstrong made a comeback, had him in the figure four. Heel referee Gene Johnson then went and sent in a submission, so Armstrong kept the hold on. Randy Hales came out to try and break it up. Deck Gene Johnson. Massacre attacked Hales. Leg dropped him. Finally, PG-13 came out with a hubcap match save. Tracy Smothers then came out with a rubber flag. Hit J.C. Ice in the throat. Powerbomb Wolfie D to a table. We're going to play all this. So let's go to the clip. And it's Dave and Corey on commentary, so you know we'll get some good Corey stuff here. Oh, I think I forgot to grab that other YouTube clip. By mistake. What? There we go. <laughs> All right, give me one second. Well, you've got the timestamps. So it's not like you really need to do anything. Oh, look out. He picks up that leg. He's promised. He's made the threat uh, to put the figure four on. He's done it. Thank Bob Armstrong. Devastating figure four hole. He's got it clipped on him. He's probably going to have to give that up. I mean, there's just I, not many wrestlers. Bigger and stronger than, than uh, Bill Rush can break this hole. He's in pain. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, he, he said he gives. He said he gives. That's it. All right, Gene. He said he gave it. Up. The referee's ignoring. Hey, come on, Gene. Come on, Gene. Hey, Johnson. He gave it up. Oh, wandering around looking at the crowd. Bill Rush has submitted to that figure four leg run, and Gene Johnson refusing. And Randy Hales throws in the towel. Hey, come on, Gene! It, it should have been over long ago, as Bill Rush gave up on the submission. Bob Armstrong continues to apply the punishment. Oh, Gene Johnson grabbed Randy Hales, and Randy nailed him. Look out, look out, Randy. It's the massacre back behind him. Oh, my goodness. This could be trouble, Dave. And Armstrong still got the figure four on Bill Rush. Oh, yeah. And that's big smoke.
Pokemon Messenger drops down. That leg on Randy Hills. Here, Here comes PG. Up, gap it all. They go after the Pokemon Massacre. Selling away on the big guy. Oh, they continue to burn away. Here comes Tracy Smothers with that black ball. Jeff, BZ-13. Armstrong's got a table. Got a big old table that uh, he's bringing into the ring here. Oh, boy. He was... Uh, he was a victim of a table in a match not that long ago, just a few days ago. He got mashed in a corner by that table. Boy, Randy out on the concrete floor over there. Randy hit his head on the steps because he got nothing to flag. Is that yep. what uh, Jess uh, mm. Smothers did? Tracy Smothers, yep. Smothers got this oh. flagpole working over Wolfie now. Boy. They've got uh, Bill Rush, J.C. Ice. And Randy Hales out of the ring, just Wolfie in there. Bill Rush can't move after that figure ball oh, no. he took from Bob Armstrong. Smother setting up the table now in the ring. Oh, JC tried to get back in there, and Armstrong just hammered him with that uh, hubcap. Smothers with that flag. Hey, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Smothers and Armstrong, the USWA Tag Team Champion. Getting Wolfie and E set up here now. Smothers powerbombed him. Wow. <laughs> Power bombed him right on the table. It broke it right in half. Wolfie in, just lying there in the middle of the ring, and he continued to work him over. Smothers now out with a flag. He nailed somebody down. He nailed J.C. Ice down there. Oh boy. And now hit Randy get and stuff. Bill Rush. Come on, we're, we're not even going to let him hey, say a word. On, Let's take a break. Here. Let's get out of here. We're we'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, we got to right. uh, finally. Here you go. Add more fuel to the fire. Those flagpole shots from Tracy were a bit stiff. <laughs> Those hubcap shots in the massacre uh, weren't in light either. The P213 was laying in on him. Yeah. So, yep. Good shit. Good shit. So, Brian Christopher was scheduled for TV Magic's Moondog Cujo. But Cujo wasn't there because Manager Richard Lee said he was never informed of the match, so they said Lee would have to wrestle him instead. Well, I know referee Gene Johnson and Brian Christopher, who went back for the DQ. Tex Slashinger then attacked Christopher with a cowbell. Christopher then challenged Tex to a match live with no referee. During the match, Bruno came out in his wheelchair to distract Christopher to give Slashinger the advantage. Christopher made a comeback, and they brawled until the show went off the air. So, yes, another fun episode of USWA television. But at the second straight week of drawing the, in the range of 450 fans in Memphis on December 11th, they're trying uh, Wednesday again on December 27th and bring back Jimmy Vallant for his usual Christmas week appearance. 450 at the Mid-South Coliseum. Yeah, I was just about to say right before I scrolled down, I wasn't that I wasn't sure if this was the Coliseum or the big one, but still the Coliseum. For a little bit oh, longer. Oh, oh, that goes in deep in 96. Cut big ones until summer. Oh, okay. All right, so 450 fans came for smoking about Massacre beating Randy Hales. Doug Gilbert going to a double cutout on Moondog Cujo. Brian Christopher beating Tex Slashinger. 
Frank Morrell and Jerry Jarrett over Bob Armstrong and Gene Johnson when Morrell pinned Johnson. Tracy Smothers and Jesse James Armstrong over PG-13 when Tracy pinned JC after Robert Gibson interfered and hit JC with a boot to retain the tag titles. Then Jesse James Armstrong won a battle royal. Ahmed Johnson beat Jesse James Armstrong to retain the unified title when Smothers hit Ahmed with a flag. And Jesse James hit Ahmed to win the unified title. But the crowd told the ref what happened. The ref refers to decision. And again, this is with the show I'm watching, of course, is a syndicated show. So you don't know really what's going down at the Coliseum in added matches. We didn't know that Frank Morrell and Jerry Jarrett was wrestling Bob Armstrong and Gene Johnson. Right. You know? <laughs> That's one of those things that <laughs> if you watch a syndicated, you didn't get. And even with that, they still drew 450. They just showed you how, I mean, in Louisville and Nashville this time, they're doing very well. Yes. But Memphis can't do shit. And unfortunately, we don't have any coverage with attendance estimates of Louisville and Nashville at the time. No. And also, don't forget, not, not only did they bring back Jerry Jarrett against Bob Armstrong in a tag, they also have a push WWF wrestler in semi weekly or semi-weekly right now as the champion. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. All right. Evansville, not USWA, though. And it's on Wednesday night, but it's North American All-Star Wrestling. Burt Prentice. Yes, this is early in this name. This is early in the transition from Ozark Mountain to North American All-Star. Unlike the other Burt promotions, once he starts Ozark Mountain, they all kind of transfer into each other whereas before he was you know starting up different territories in different parts of the country and stuff and then shutting down and moving around here he's staying in the same basic region but not always running the same towns but it's the same basic promotion with tv in the same basic places so it was arc mountain becomes north go ahead yeah but now it's not too long before he's about to start working with uswa right they're about to come to a bit of a detente and Guy, USWA guys become allowed to take dates for Burt, which was it was it an AASW or I think they went with NAW on TV, didn't they? Uh, possibly, yeah. But the, it's interesting. I feel like at least when it comes to putting on a good show, this is really when Burt stuff kind of takes a turn in a more positive direction. Yeah, does that make sense? Probably thanks in large part to Bill. Dundee coming into book? Uh, yeah. Speaking of. All right, so Evansville, the 13th. JT Harley over Justin St. John. Gator McAllister over American Rider Brockus. It's the original Brockus. What? Uh, John, <laughs> what the yeah. hell is this? Giant Warrior over Scott Sandlin. Tommy Richard Bill Dundee over Bone Crusher Lewis and Rip Rogers by disqualification. And North American Heavyweight title, Colorado Kid. Of course, he's a champion. Retained defeating Rip Rogers. So there's Brockus. <laughs> All right, now let's go to the CWA, and these results come from the Lariat at the Sportatorium in front of 85, 85 fans on December the 8th. Mm. Johnny Mantel be Al Jackson, Bobby Luckham Jr. with Bull Payne, Vito Mussolini, oh, and Sam Houston with the double DQ. Mark Valiant beat Action Jackson in a second-round match at the CWA tournament. Bo Vegas and Devin Michaels beat the Kinsmen. Hector Guerrero over Alice the Pug Porto 
to uh, advance in the tournament. Best match of the night. And then our main event. What a main event this is. Gentleman Chris Adams beat Firebreaker Chip, a.k.a. Curtis Thompson, in an English rules match. The match broken down to a five, eight-minute round, so 30-second breaks between rounds. Winner of three rounds was declared the fifth during the match. Round with the time limit. Referee James Beard would declare the winner for that round. Chris Adams and Curtis Thompson in the English rules match picks. You know what, though? Curtis Thompson, based on how he worked with Conan and Stampede and other stuff, is probably much better in a chain wrestling setting than you're thinking. It's just funny, though. It is. It is. Also, good thing that rent at the Sportatorium is uh, usually a dollar per ticket sold in this era. 85 fans. Yeah, so at least at least it's $85 rent. So what do we think these tickets are? About $8? Possibly. So... Seven... So, who knows what they're considering operating expenses or whatever, so this is like, at most, $500 going to paying these wrestlers, right? Yeah. Not good. No, not at all. And you can also see why once CWA starts, excuse me, stops running in like late 96, early 97 or whenever it was, why eventually when then Gary Hart comes in and starts running World Class 2, the next generation, as it was called, that he is like, we need to, you know, we need to fix the issues with the building. We need to replace the water faucets in the bathrooms that don't work. Like, I almost, I feel like, yes, it's been the same wrestlers against each other for years. But it does feel like there's something else keeping people away. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, wrestling's just, I don't know, just people just aren't, in, weren't into wrestling a whole lot this time period, you know? You know, especially on the indie scene. And it, must, it, all, it also all depends on who's, I mean, how everything's being presented and it's being promoted and all this other stuff. I and mean, there's a lot that goes into it, too. So I don't know what they were doing as far as, you know, trying to promote the shows down there. But it's Dallas, so, I mean, it's a whole other story. So, Well, also, you know, as we've talked about sometimes with other promotions, like with the Mid-South Coliseum stuff, when business is good, when your hot promotion running in a part of town that some people don't want to go to is not nearly as much of an issue as it is when you're not a hot promotion. Yeah. Well, let's close out with the World Wrestling Federation, and we go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. With Pat Patterson not postponing his scheduled retirement date of December 1st, Despite the quick departure of Cowboy Bill Watts, WF continues to look for ways to fill the gap. Jim Cornette and Dory Funk Jr. are two candidates to do just that. Now, last Wednesday, December the 6th, before our week, but it matters, the WF formally offered Cornette a chance to be part of their booking team. With Cornette throwing in the towel and most booking about wrestling, he would now have the time for such a job. Cornette may not have the respect of the wrestlers enough to actually hand up booking instructions. So Dory Funk Jr. may be being considered for that position, although that would require him giving up his in-ring schedule of All Japan Pro Wrestling. As of deadline, Cornette was said to be considering the idea, but is hesitant partially because he does not want to move from Tennessee to Connecticut. 
a move that would be required were he to accept the position. And we all know what happens here, Bex. Yes, he moves to Connecticut, and that's a whole <laughs> different story. Except the, except the position. But if you were wondering why Do- one of the reasons why Dory Falk was around for the Royal 96, here you go. So I, I find it interesting that Dory is a candidate when he's booked and he's had some good booking runs, but he's not someone that would come to mind for me as a replacement booker for Pat Patterson or Bill Watts. He would have... He wouldn't have had the full say like like they would have had, though, I don't think. You know? Well, Pat didn't even have full say. One of the weird things about it is that yeah. Watts was kind of replacing him, but you know, the reason that Watts quit was that Vince gave him a mandate that he would have final say on creative, and then when he didn't, that's why he quit. You know, there's only room for one Titan in Titan Sports. So the whole thing is a little confusing in that way anyway. But, and you know, in its own way, it's a kind. It's a shame to a degree because those three weeks of TV that he booked are the best. Watt that Watts did are the best TV they had all year. Yeah, funny that were how that worked. Yes, although being that Jim Ross had to convince him that Buck Johnson would not be a good name for Ahmed. <laughs> Well, hey, th- there was a basketball player for the Houston Rockets at the time named Buck Johnson. Well, maybe not at that time, but he was still in the league. I don't, he wasn't have in Houston anymore, but he was in the NBA, and his name was Buck Johnson. So I get That's what you're a, saying. There's, a well, there's an NBA player with that name. <laughs> there is, but there's a difference between that being the guy's was, well, wait, is Buck his legal name, or is it his Nick childhood nickname, or what? Well, let me look and see. Buck Johnson. And, uh, Alfonso Buck Johnson Jr. Okay. So okay. probably his dad's nick- nickname. Or something like that. But the, yeah, there's a big difference between that and Bill Watts naming a new black wrestler Buck Johnson. And, and there was Buck Williams, who was another uh, famous CBA player. He was Charles Linwood Williams, but Buck. Anybody that has the name Buck, usually that's their nickname. Well, yes. I don't know anybody that's actually named Buck. Chris Woodward. He's white, though, too. I, don't know. I know a lot of white people named Buck. I know, I know, I'm just saying. But yeah, I, no. be, be given that Ross felt he had to have that conversation with him, this problem, this, even if he had full control, it might not have been the best thing. Well, it, I mean, it, the same thing would have happened that happened everywhere else. Yes. Now... Uh, meanwhile, though, well, obviously him being in Connecticut was a bad fit and all that. Given the circumstances of everything, of course you're going to hire Cornette for creative at this time. He's the 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 best available person on the market, I guess to say. Yes, now, he's burnt out to some degree, but he's also not going to be the sole creative anymore. Well, he's that way, well, and also he doesn't own the promotion. Well, that too. He doesn't have the success of it eating him alive. The way it would have been smoking. My thing, though, is that it, they talk about the the wrestlers not having the respect for him, the handout stuff. I don't get that. I mean, he's been in the promotion for well over two years now. You know? He's, yeah. he's been working with these guys for a long time. You know, mainly working TV, but yeah, well over two years. So this ain't somebody, some new guy. 
So I don't know. Yeah, and he well, and he he's already booked national television six years earlier. So it, it didn't seem like. I mean, or a court is Cornette not giving out instructions in eighty nine ninety WCW? Is that up to whoever else is on the booking committee? Yeah, you know, but still, it was him and him and Sullivan were the ones writing the TV mainly under Flair. Yeah, we should know too that the thing that led to Watts leaving because he didn't have the full autonomy was that he told Vince that he thought that gearing up to put the belt on Michaels was a mistake and they needed to go all the way with Bret Hart. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Always I'm sure that's good. That. Yeah, and, and that earned uh, Bill Watts a lot of respect from new fans, from the Bret Hart fans, for hearing that. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about another an impending controversy in the company. Deborah Michelli's WF contract expired on December the 13th. It was well known within the WF that she was negotiating with WCW and her contract wasn't renewed, so technically she was fired. J.J. Dillon sent a letter midweek to All Japan Women canceling the Alundra Blaze Aja Khan match that was scheduled for the Royal Rumble, saying that Blaze's contract was going to expire and not be renewed. The decision had to be made several days earlier as when Khan's squash match with Chuprita Asari aired on Raw on December 11th. Announced Vincent Manager Lawler played it down and never once mentioned Blaze's name, which is a giveaway that the women's division was being abandoned. Some of the wrestlers have been under the impression that Blaze is going to be dumped at the Rumble anyway, and we heard several reports uh, from Japan that Kong will be given the title in a January match. WF had negotiated with All Japan Women for Blaze to return to Japan as a regular in January and return to WF for a few pay per view shows against Japanese women during the course of 1996. At the same time, she had begun talking with WCW. All Japan women coming off what happened leading to us wrestlers appearing on pay-per-view shows for both WF and WCW. Because of the, man- the manner each respective company dealt, of course, WCW didn't deal with them. Once Ski was working arrangement with WF, even though the women seemed to get over much better in WCW. Bull Nakano and Akira Hokuto may work WCW again because they're actually free agents rather than full-time All Japan women wrestlers. It already been reported in Japanese newspapers earlier Monday that Medusa had signed with WCW and that WCW and JWP had reached an agreement for a Medusa-Dynamite Kansai feud in the United States. However, Michele's first television match is timely set to be in January against Reggie Bennett of All Japan Women. Okay, there's a lot going on here. Um, First of all, boy, is it weird how both of Medusa's WCW runs start with her being signed to be the anchor of a women's division that they seem to actually have plans for, and then it just goes away within a few weeks. Yes. Although in, in WC, the second time in WCW, she doesn't even get a chance to have any matches that like like the ones they're talking about here. No. You know? Not it's at not, all. It's really not until the title tournament at the end of 96 that she really gets a chance to do anything beyond the cherry feud that doesn't really go anywhere it really is amazing how she debuted in that memorable moment yes that they didn't go further with her to beginning because that was a buzzworthy moment mm-hmm. but what should we expect don't well, we but it's also especially frustrating too because of the two companies Especially if WCW's using, you know, Ball and Hokuto and JWP wrestlers in theory. 
WCW is a much better place for her to be than WWF at this time. Even if WWF wasn't getting rid of the division. Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, was she... I don't know if out of her prime would be the right word. I don't think it... The right right term. I don't think it is. But was she... I don't know. Had she plateaued too much to have, you know, great matches with the people they could have brought in? Or... Because even, like, when she's wrestling Hokuto, it's kind of underwhelming. Although, their last match is quite good. The retirement match. But... I don't know. Do you th- or do you think she would have been brought up by the rising tide if they brought in Dynamite Kansai and Miyumi Ozaki and people like that? I think I think one of the things that may have, uh, of course, affected her ability was her cosmetic surgeries. Well, well, the one that would influence her in ring most significantly wasn't until a few years later. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, again, like I said, it's interesting that they didn't go harder with her after she threw the belt in the trash can. And, and here's another. So here's the thing, too. Here we are. This is before all this went down. And it's out there that she's pretty much signed with WCW. So that is not a shock that she was going to appear on Nitro to the people that are reading newsletters mm-hmm. in a way. They know she's going. It's reported in Japan. I'm going to guess the, because I don't think they use anyone from JWP past World War III and the show, and the Nitro after, right? Yeah. I'm going to guess that fell apart and Gaia isn't entirely up and running yet and they have to make a deal. So maybe that's also part of what happens, that they didn't just didn't feel like they had the right opponents to showcase her. I mean, maybe. Um. And really, I think the shame overall, and really, who knows? It's WCW, but still, what could have happened? If this happens with a more mature version of Gaia, I think that's very a very interesting thing to think about. Because is are 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 Nagayos, you know, proteges all incredibly good by the the standard of how much they experience they have at this point? Yes, of course. But we take it a few years later, and then all of a sudden, you know, the younger wrestlers are among the best wrestlers in the world on top of the bigger names as well being there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's just like, not that, you know, Mako Satamora had bad matches in WCW. It's just she wasn't Mako Satamora yet, for example. Yeah. But and we'll more talk about on Ange- that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about in a minute. Let's go to Raw. And we go to Wade Keller. The show opened with the usual first-class production preview of Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund. Yes. One thing you can always say about Raw in this era is the uh, the vignettes, the, the production, all the that openings, stuff. The openings, the teasers. All yeah. that stuff. So good. So good. And that's Kevin. That's Kevin Dunn. You know, we can talk shit on Kevin Dunn all the time, which we do, but he did a hell of a job on for many years in doing that type of stuff. So given do that, we know, do we know when he stopped being a technical rolling tape and in an editing bay producer? <laughs> um, I don't know. I would say in the two thousands, early two thousands. Once he started getting more power in the company. Once he, right once here, he's, he's like, and once he's an executive, basically. Exactly. Yes. Okay. I think that All makes right. sense. And, 
No, what I was going to say is, and then, you know, from that point, it's mainly, I would guess, Chris Chambers and David Sahadi. Yeah. All right, so um, this is the last of three Raw tapings in Salisbury, Maryland, at the Wakamaku Youth and Civic Center. Wayne says Owen Hart and Yokozuna want a squash. No, that's not true. Owen Hart won a squash over Jeff Hardy at 236. Um, they showed uh, Diesel watching backstage. Diana Hart Smith was showing the crowd. After the match, Owen pulled Hardy to the corner and Yokozuna at the bonsai drop. Then Owen hit the sharpshooter. Diesel then left backstage, ran to the ring, scaring Owen to the floor and knocking Yoko to the floor with a boot to the face. So, uh, there you go. They're, they're uh, getting that going there. Diesel's new new uh, intense character, which we'll get into that later on. But, yeah, here's young Jeff Hardy. Bix, uh, 25, uh, 26 years ago. That made it in the news again, sadly, for the raw reasons this uh, this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, I the fact that he's someone who, when he finally went to rehab, look, it's one day at a time. He hasn't been sober all the way through since, but for the most part, he's done fairly well since the point where he first went to rehab. You know what I mean? The fact that he's yeah. had these multiple continuous periods of sobriety i think means they're it's not naive to be more hopeful for him than the average person in that situation and, and matt came out of the day of recording this and said that jeff was doing better and he was okay so i mean it happens what can you expect you know yeah, it happens and well it seems like his relapses have generally been whether you know going to the comment he made on Broken Skull Sessions about how it's easy to get away from drugs, alcohol is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And his relapses, it seems like, you know, again, since the period where he went to rehab, have mainly been alcohol-related. Yeah, and the thing, the timing of this, too, is, is bad because, I mean, he's been renewed again on WWE television, so it's definitely... Uh sad in that regard but anyway here he is 26 years ago all right next aja kong beat chaparita asari uh i'll go to dave now aja kong won the stiffest television matches of the year on raw against asari finishing off by breaking her nose with a, a uricon backhand punch Kong got over great with a live crowd, but appears from the commentary that Vince is sold in the women's deals. He paid little attention to the match. He didn't try to get Kong over as anything but a comedy figure in the commentary. Well, Dave didn't know at the time what was uh, going on here. So let's go to this and let's watch how uh, stiff this became here. All right. So this is right after the bell. I don't think it's particularly long. So let's see. Might skip ahead. But... I would have really asked him oh. the tough questions. Wait a minute. We've got right now Aja Kong and... Against Chaparita, sorry in, no one home there. Look at this, Chaparita setting up huge Aja Kong. And whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's a four-minute oh, Having her problems, here comes Asari again, and right to the chest. Sort of a form of a mule kick there. And uh, pretty appropriate, I might add. What are you saying? And look at it, oh my goodness, whoa. Is that just me, or does Aja Kong's face remind you of a bowling shoe? Uh, a bowling shoe? Well, there aren't many things as ugly as a bowling oh. shoe. Aja Khan! We've got her beating her chest, much like uh, her namesake, I would suggest. King. In any event, Aja Khan gets Chaparita Asari. 
And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we would like to take this opportunity to welcome the new VR. Yes, up in Canada. Yes, for our live feed of Raw. The new VR joining us in the greater Toronto area. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is probably the first time anyone ever did the snapmare into the kick between the shoulder blades on Raw, I would think, right? Boy, she kicked the shit out of her. Woo. Yes. Also, yes, this is the first episode of Raw that airs live in Canada. There you go. I mean, not, you know what I mean by live. Yeah. Aja Kong. Oh, ho, 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 ho. All over Chaparita Asari. Yeah, speaking of all over, McMahon, I suspect there are going to be a few WWF oh. fans that are going to be all over you when you make an appearance tonight on America Online immediately following this broadcast. What about that? Oh, we'll have fun to it. As a matter of fact, I'll answer any question as honestly and as straightforwardly oh. as possible. I'm really looking forward Just to being wait. online. America Online, that is, immediately following our telecast. Well, don't let your head get too big for your toupee on there because some of those hackers really cut you down to size. And Aja Kong is uh, systematically cutting Chaparita Asari down the sides. Oh, could have had a three count there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got, uh, of course, all in the family here tonight on Raw. Diana Smith, whom uh, Jerry the King Lawler will attempt to interview a little bit oh, later yes. on. We've got the British Bulldog. Wait a minute. Oh, look at that in. Forget about it. Package pile. With a victory over Chaparita. Oh, come on. Well, Aja Kong's in a little bit of a bad mood. She's a little bit. The fucking sound. That Asari's hid, head just made hitting the mat just from Kong shoving her back down after pulling her up from the pin was horrifying. Oh my god, yes. I, I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> oh man. Wow. Disconsolate, you know. What do you mean? Well, her, her American hero kicked the bucket. And who might her American hero be as we take another look at it? Look so she at didn't this the arms, though. Oh, damn it. Unbelievable. Oh, it's the rapper, Fat Boy. Fat Boy, the gentleman who just expired? That's right. Fell off the couch. You know, Isaac Kong and Fat Boy used to sit on the couch and eat potatoes together. Oh, oh my God. And uh, <laughs> you potatoes all over the, the ring here with Isaac Kong. <laughs> just destroyed. <laughs> oh, forget about it. Chaparita Asari. And I think Chaparita Asari is... Is sorry she got into the ring with... Oh, come on! Come on! Now I know what you mean by that bowling shoe. Although, uh, maybe a bowling shoe without the tongue. You know, McMahon, you didn't let me finish my story. Aja Kong and Fat Boy used to sit around on the couch. As I said, eating like a couple of couch potatoes. And, uh, yeah. That was Kong the doing Fat Boy fell off the couch and died. Oh, the rubber and look at this. To no avail. Well, what a mismatch. This has turned out to be Aja Kong against Chaparita. Sorry. And again. And, uh... Little movement there of sorts. And uh, maybe she learned that from Fat Boy. Back to a more serious side, ladies and gentlemen. Todd Pengel interviewing Shawn Michaels. Oh, yeah, interview took place earlier. No, that was, no. That was and I must say, a great deal of speculation, a great deal of rumor has been rampant in the WWF locker rooms as of late as to whether or not Michaels uh, will even return to action. Well, I'll just tell you, among the guys, the word is... Notice how hard she is putting her down on every slam and suplex, by the way. Yes. Also, remember, and part of the reason why it sounds that way, too, pre-98 WWF ring. Yes. That he's finished, McMahon. And I'd have to give him some advice, just like I gave St. Louis uh, 
the St. Louis Rams quarterback, Chris Miller. Oh, nobody there. There's a line in the Kenny Rogers song says you got no one to fold him. on that mistake. Not so much for Chaparita. What do you mean by that? Do you think it's time for Michael to fold him? Hang it up. And here's the finish. What do you Marcos. want to be a vegetable? John Michaels, obviously. A oh, oh, my God. Oh. Look at that. You talk about high impact. Bubba's right in the kisser. Oh. <laughs> yes, again, speculation abounding as to whether or not Shawn Michaels should return to action. And if he does, what sort of a risk would he be taking? Michaels, of course, suffering from post-concussive syndrome. Let's go back and take another look at this. Now, watch this daring maneuver. And it's those high-risk tactics her like that off of that, that likely has Shawn Michaels in the state that he is in. And there, a hard right hand, the back of her hand, Aja Kong victorious. And unfortunately, wow, some uh, rather graphic detail there of what can happen. You mean like what could happen to Shawn Michaels if he did come back? A blow to the head just like that to Shawn Michaels could finish him forever, McMahon. With that in mind, we're taking out a Todd Pettengill and Shawn Michaels. Okay. Oof. Whatever. Vince was wants... right. There was some potatoes in that ring. <laughs> you know what, though? Whatever anyone wants to say about Vince, between the commentary and that they don't shy away from the bloody nose and stuff, I, you watch this, I, I feel like the Vince was so disgusted with this match, he ended the division thing is probably bullshit. Because does that even get reported anywhere at the time? It, it's it's um it's because of what Medusa did. That's that's the reason why. Well, I mean, they weren't renewing her anyway, though. Yeah, but and they canceled were, the yeah, Rumble but, match before she did that. Yeah, but they. Were, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I I, don't I, know. I had forgotten that they did the close up of the bloody nose and the referees helping and stuff, though. So I gotta think if Vince felt that way about that, especially. Seeing a woman as tiny as a sorry with the bloody nose, I don't, th I don't think we get that shot. No, and it's a tape show; it's not live. Yeah, commentary is probably live. The commentary is live, yeah. but the video's not. Right. Um, interesting to watch though, too. Also, because the crowd's into it; they're not like constantly loud, but you can tell that the reactions are genuine. Yeah, she calls ass kicker. Yeah. You know, she's in there pussing around in there. She's in there beating the shit out of a sorry. And it's also a shame this didn't happen sooner because Medusa and Balnacono had some very good and sometimes great matches in WWF. But Bull was towards the end and Kong isn't even at her best yet. And Kong had been one of Medusa's best opponents in Japan. So I gotta think if they if they actually got the opportunity to have a real match at a pay-per-view, that would have been interesting. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But man, that was that finish. Oof, my God. Alright, so next we get Todd Pettengill interviewing Shawn Michaels. At home, Michael said he has more no more lingering effects from his concussion. It's ready to return, but the doctors disagree. Pettengill then brought the possibility of having to retire, to which Michaels was strongly offended and cut off the interview. Dave said that Michaels appeared to be fine, his usual self, and then freaked out when Tom brought up his career could possibly be over. Definitely a more realistic touch. So, they're getting uh, this Sean concussion deal over, you know, trying to at least, so there's that. 
Yes, although it it is interesting, and this actually came up in, you know, the Constantine Kairos lawsuits, and I kind of get why. It's interesting how blunt they are, and seemingly kind of modern they are about concussions in the way they talk about them in this storyline. It is. It is. Ahmed Johnson won a squash of a Rick Stockhauser. And uh, sound by air with Dean Douglas telling Ahmed to spend time with his family while he can. Lawler interviewed Ahmed at ringside after the match. Uh, yeah, so yeah, they were talking about how Ahmed and Dean Douglas would face off in your house on Sunday. Well, that was the plan. <laughs> and then that was the plan. Shane got hurt. Shane got hurt and then went to ECW. So there you go. <laughs> yes, of course. He gets replaced by as uh, yeah. Buddy Landell or as I think it was Manny Garcia was the ring announcer that night. Right. Buddy Rydell. <laughs> and then Budro looked good there. Looked good on Raw. And then uh, broke, his, broke his leg. Well, the, there Slipping was the match. It's the Superstar taping with Brett, too. Yeah, yeah, Superstars taping, yeah, after that, yeah. And then, and then it was up. leaving the Superstars taping that he got hurt. Yep, shitty timing. Mm-hmm. Imagine what they could have done with Budrow and their billionaire Ted thing. You think they would have used him to go to Flair? I do. Ooh. I honestly do. Maybe not in skits, but as part of the whole thing. I feel like if they were going to do a Flair character, though, they would have done it. Well, I mean, not saying do a Flair character, but go off on Flair. You know what okay, I mean? Okay, to some uh, degree. Okay. I, I, yeah. I, I think if he was still... I think if he was around, it would have come up at some point, yes. All right. Um, a plug air for the Raw Bowl, New Year's Eve Marathon special hosted by Freddie Blassie. That's not what that is, Wade. <laughs> yeah, they just did a show on New Year's Day. Yeah, they did a New Year's Day show with a football theme and... That ends up being a pre-taped show as well from the Post in Your House tapings. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then the following... Uh, well, wait, it couldn't have been the following... Well, yeah, 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 because it was on USA at the point. Following year, they did the Superstars Bowl. Mm-hmm. My man interviewed one to two kids in Teddy Biasi in mid-range. They claim they're going to be smoking, smoking guns for the tag titles. And by the way, put- since I don't know if we've ever talked about it before, I do think Given that the one two three kid name was such an artifact once he turned, once he's teaming with Sid, I don't think the psycho kid nickname would have been a terrible idea. Eh, eh, it's too close. Just it's like it probably is, but I don't know. All right, they played Yoko and Razor's the Raw main event next week. Brett Harvey, Bob Backlund, Mighty Q, and the Bulldog interfered. Lawler interviewed Diana Smith, Brett's sister, Davy's wife. Regarding your house, Diana says she supports Davies' change of style and gives Jim Cornette credit for being the only one who could get him a title shot. Lawler played on the family angle of the Brett Davy match. Several suits ran to the ring, defend the Bulldog, and pry backlands crossface chicken wing off of Brett. And they um, noted that it was uh, Stu Hart's 80th birthday coming up during the week, so there's that. So uh, that's the way Raw ended. So... There you go. Now, Dave said this about the Brett Backlund match. The fake crowd noise put in during the Brett Backlund match and the post-match was as fake-sounding and dead as WCW, which is the first time their television has had such bad sound work. Oh, no, it is not, Dave. 
But after it was DQ and Davey interfered and Davey gave Hart a beating after the match at the pay-per-view, they didn't talk about the angle where Diesel saved uh, Jeff Hardy. And Dave notes he thought Raw was a much better wrestling show of the two, but less compelling because the WCW show was so weird to watch and the show came off as something you couldn't miss. That's something you can say for a lot of not early Nitros. You know, I mean, it, were they great wrestling shows? No, but they were entertaining and you just couldn't turn away. Now, I'm curious to hear this canned crowd noise to see... I know you are. Well, to see if... Is it egregious, or is this... Dave got a new stereo and hooked it up to his TV. Stepping through now, wait a minute! Here comes the British Bulldog! Yes! Sammy Martin Smith is on his way down to the squared circle! The British Bulldog coming into the ring now! Look out! And Bret Hart saw him coming, thank goodness! Mother! From behind, no! The cross-faced chicken wing applied nonetheless! An obvious disqualification. The Bulldog could care less. Look at this. Look at the punishment. What did I tell you, McMahon? Nobody likes the Hitman. Nobody's going to come and help me. Come and put the boots to him, Bulldog. We should have known something was up. The British Bulldog. Okay, you know what? It is a pretty bad case of the crowd noise being very obviously out of sync with what the fans are actually doing. Exactly. They're just looking around. Yeah. That's what it is more than anything else. Yeah. It's But it's... For WWF in this era, is it particularly bad? Again, you know, we're watching this on headphones. It becomes much more noticeable. And, you know, it, you know, and we have this nice, clear, you know, audio now. But I don't know if that's unusually bad, I would say. It ain't Un- good. I would say it's on the worst side for this era of WWF. Oh, and there's stuff in the 80s that are way worse that we put on the show. Yes. What the Some of those early Saturday Night Main events were horrible. The ones where they very obviously replaced the entire soundtrack, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I tell you what I watched the other day that was really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh have you ever seen the New Japan uh television from the the Pakistan ta- uh shows in eighty four? Yes, but not in a long time. Where they dub try to dub in crowd noise? Where they, they they don't go over the top with it, but they try to dub it in there so it makes it sound like the crowd is reacting, and you can hear the even little slight Inoki chants and stuff like that. Mm. When you can't even see the crowd because it's outside in a stadium. Oh, with no one on the field. With no one on the field, that was a weird one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there you go. Now the ratings: Raw did a two point five, Action Zone did a one point eight, Mania one point three. Dave's feelings of strong weekend show rings are probably due to such poor weather around the country, increasing the total television viewing audience across the board. I mean, it's possible. Well, we are gearing up for the blizzard of 96. Well, the Northeast is. You know what I mean. So, There's that. Now, let's talk about the TV. On Superstars, uh, Wade notes events. Jim Ross and Mr. Perfect talked in glowing terms about Diesel's change of attitude, which doesn't exactly complement the intent of Diesel's change of attitude which was based around being anti-establishment. After his squash victory, Diesel blew off an interview with McMahon, which did a little to keep Diesel's momentum going, but otherwise having a babyface announcer praise him might do him to the same mediocre fan response he had before his change. Well, let's listen to that, shall we? I don't think he's uh, too fond of any member of the Hart family. The British Bulldog, or for that matter, the hitman Bret Hart, whom he would like to take the title back from. We're going to try and get a word with Big Daddy Cool Diesel. That's a Vince one we never talk about, as it relates. 
I'm, I'm surprised you didn't mention Tim about the fat boy expiring during the Asha Khan match. Oh dear. At least he didn't say compromise to a permanent, permanent end. end. Which Jim Ross was using before he went to WWF. So. Okay, so when did he use compromise to a permanent end? Hey, I heard him using it in WCW. About what? He was talking about something. I can't remember. But the more and more I watch this old shit in my DVDs, I'm I'm hearing this stuff from Ross. And I'm like, well, there's there's another one. There's another one. You know? So Vince had his, but Ross had his too. So Attitude. Maybe I should say his old attitude. He is a dominant force here to reckon with in the WWF for sure. Absolutely, as Diesel slapping those black gloves, many say he's still the, the leader of the new generation here in the WWF. But if anybody can talk to this guy, it's Miss McMahon perfect. Maybe McMahon will be jackknifed and you'll both be hurting. You know what I think this is? What? That they hadn't booked the turn on Sean yet when they shot the initial thing to make him a tweener. And oh, no. because of that, whenever that idea came to be, which I'm guessing is not long before they voiced over this show, they realized, oh, wait, it can't be a turn if his tweener thing is too strong in the heel direction. And this is a time period where he's only slapping the hands of people with the glove. As he said in that promo the night after Survivor Series. Yeah, only he's going to only really acknowledge his fans, which is what he did. And was a very clever idea to also sell merch. <laughs> yes, it was. So, uh, there's that. Alright, so our next clip. Triple H is getting ready for the hog pin match at In Your House. and That's a legendary match in his career. So he decided to get some first-hand experience with the Hogs before the match. So let's go to Triple H in the Hog Pen. Not even animals. Not not even animals deserve to live like this. Henry Godwin. Henry Godwin, you listen to me. Because this is worse than I ever imagined. If you think one second that I'm going to get near a pig pen again or near these pigs. You are sadly mistaken, Henry Godwin. What I'm going to do to you. <laughs> Hunter Hearst Hemsley, this is what I do every morning. Come out and take care of my family. <laughs> On December 17th, Hunter Hearst Hemsley, you're going to look funny, butt up, face down, eating just like this. <laughs> you know what's You watched it. Oh, well, well, hold on real quick. You watched this, and I may be going the same direction you're going in. You could definitely tell that 
Paul Levesque was heavily influenced by Regal. I was going to say that, but also the funny part, his blue blood accent is Regal's actual working class accent. Yes. Yes. He's using the accent of the guy he spent the time with, not the character. Yes. It's like uh, I'm Buffy the Vampire Slayer. James Marsters' accent as Spike was Anthony Stewart Head's real accent. Yeah. But, I mean, you could tell the influence that Regal had on this man. And... Well, the facials especially. Oh, God, yes. That's how much he held Regal in high esteem. Yes. Do you think it bothers Triple H that Danielson is the guy Regal considers his true protege? I don't think it bothers him. I don't think so, because he, he and Danielson get along too well. Yeah. For that to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's an issue at all. I think, the, I think you know, because, I mean... Also, he considers he, himself Flair's protege. That's, that's the thing. He's and Michael's protege. Yeah. And Mike. And, yeah. He, he spent a short amount of time with Regal, but he holds that time dear, just like Terry Taylor. I mean, he he held that time dear, that time that he helped him out, you know, and he paid him back when he, you know, he got along the way. So, but anyway, there you go. All right. Uh, Action Zone, it was strongly hinted that Teddy Biasi would get a new push as a manager. And Dave expects Sid, one, two, three, kid to win the tag titles from the Smoking Guns at some point soon. <clears throat> They almost. They also said DiBiase was reviving the Million Dollar Belt and be a newcomer to the company who would get it, which certainly smells like Steve Austin, probably under a different name. Although it could also be the return of Jeff Jarrett. But people say Austin was going to be the next Ric Flair. Dave always disagreed and thought it'd be more likely he'd be the next Ted DiBiase. Well, let's go to the action zone and to the Ross report, and uh, Jr. is talking about this situation. So let's go to the action zone. Now some huge news from the home office of the Million Dollar Corporation. My sources, and reliable sources they are, tell me that the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase has made a resolution for 1996. As we know, DiBiase has not been a happy CEO in recent months and has plans on completely restructuring his corporation. DiBiase has already fired two of his employees and plans on using Psycho Sid and the 123 Kid as cornerstones of his new look company. If the Kid and Sid can get by Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty and In Your House, and folks, I think they will, then DiBiase's million dollar team should be in line for a WWF tag team title match with the Smoking Guns. Plus, DiBiase, and folks, this is big news, has told me that he is in the process of searching the world over for a special man, a very gifted athlete, to wear the Million Dollar Belt. I expect the Million Dollar Man's announcement regarding the Million Dollar Belt within the next 30 to 60 days. But folks, let me tell you this. If DiBiase is successful in his reorganization efforts, the Million Dollar Corporation could well become the most powerful organization ever in the World Wrestling Federation. Now let's take a look at the WWF uh, Superstar line. As well, I mean, they're laying it out there. They definitely had some, something in mind there. And, of course, Austin's a guy who, who gets pegged for this, so there's that. And they do change his name, although, it's, you know, he gets his name back soon. But, yeah, I mean, you see the wheels are turning here with this. 
Yeah. And, you know, Austin is Steve Austin the night after the Rumble. So it's not long. But. Yeah. You, but when he came in, he was the ringmaster and that was it. You can tell Vince or someone, though, finally realized just how terrible the Million Dollar Corporation was. And it could have been done so right. That's the thing. You know, well, that, you, part of it is that DiBiase just didn't make a good manager. Yeah, I guess. But but that there was too much dead weight, for lack of a better term. I mean, it doesn't help that your manager's bigger than your talent. Yeah, I, I liked, though, how in the Ross report, when they say he's fired two of his staff members, it was Volkov and Bundy. Has Had Volkov even been on TV in 1995? Early in the year, I think. And when had Bundy last been on TV? Um, after Mania. Like, before King in the Ring. Yeah, so it's... They're using it to push the story, the storyline they're trying to tell, even though it's not exactly... They weren't going to show, yeah, they weren't going to show Bigelow. Even though he was... Well, Bigelow had turned in the spring anyway. Yeah, so... Uh... Okay, well, no, Bundy was still on TV, uh... In November. His last TV. Oh, wow. Or, is this the right tape? Oh, and I thought. He might not have had a TV match, but he worked the October, late October Superstars taping. Okay. Well, there you go. How about that? So he was he was around. Um, okay, yeah, he had been in on Battle Royal on Raw on the 23rd of October as well. The night before, the previous taping the night before. All right, so lots of rumors regarding the smoking guns leaving. Here's the situation. Well, I just realized, together. too, we didn't mention the one who obvi- the one who they're definitely not going to mention is Tatanka. Well, yeah. Because at this point, uh, they haven't completed whatever investigation they were doing into whatever happened in Anaheim. Lots of guys in the most recent tour were unhappy, and some were about to crack. Several rumors spread, most of which don't appear to be true. That only made them more unhappy, in particular the ones who thought who thought they could get into Japan were talking and leaving because the money isn't what it used to be. However, as of the weekend, nobody had actually given any notice. This all plays into the whole talent being morale thing that we've covered from 95, you know, and it was not good. It was not good. Yeah. And doing so much international touring probably did wear on everyone a lot too. I would think. Oh yeah. You know, so between all that, that business isn't particularly good, although as we're about to talk about, it's getting a lot better. Um, I can see why guys would be at their wit's end at this time. And WCW's got Nitro, and they're looking like a viable contender now, so hey, yeah, why not? And also remember that you know business is bad enough that Shane Douglas, who, whatever you want to say about how he's being politicked against, is a pushed heel. Yes. He badly lost money on the road in this run. Little do you know how much more money he'd be losing when later on ECW. <laughs> uh, yep. Kids. That's what I'll kids. No, seriously. Don't, not only don't ever put business expenses on a personal credit card, definitely don't put someone else's business expenses on a personal credit card. Yeah. Although he he was able to get ahead of it better than Chris and Tammy were. I don't think he yeah. ended up destroying his credit the way they, they did to theirs. No. 
All right. Um, the wrestlers who are under contract but not getting booked are getting paid three hundred dollars a week. There's <sighs> that. All right. Um, uh, house business this past week wasn't bad at all. Biggest shows were December eighth at Pittsburgh, fifty three hundred, paying seventy five thousand, and December ninth Chicago, thirty two hundred, paying eighty thousand. While the numbers aren't impressive on the surface, considering how loaded the shows were, when you factor in how horrible the weather was supposed to be in both cities, it's not that bad. Yes, and Dave. also there are some other signs of life too. Um, there's an article in Amusement Business in our week about the Wheeling Civic Center that mentions that a WWF show before our week on November 28th drew over 4,000 fans in Wheeling, which even the people from the building said was really very good for that time of year. So they're showing momentum. Things aren't fully recovered or anything yet. But you can tell that business is turning around. Well, this is the longest house show tour of the year, according to the tour. 17 straight days, Ooh. which came to an end on December the 9th. And not a day too soon for the wrestlers who missed their families and were tired of each other by the end of the stretch. The attendance for the tour was disappointing, but not dismal. All right, Chicago, December the 9th. We had Skip, Kama, and Isaac Yankum. That's a trio. Defeating Hakushi, Barry Horowitz, and Doink when Skip pinned Doink in seven minutes in the opener. Uh, thanks, Tenro. Smoking Guns defeated Owen Hart Yokozuna when Bart pinned Owen with a roll up from behind in nine minutes retaining tag titles. Oh, by the way, too. So Kama is still here, is not really on TV, but also isn't mentioned in that million dollar corporation Ross report. Well, we have more on Kama in just a minute. Okay. Smoking Guns defeated Owen Yokozuna, so I said that. Saga Vega over Bob Backlund with a small package. After the match, after the match Backlund applied the cross face on Vega. How Razor dare Wade seven. say applied and not procured? Gold does beat Bob Holly held up before Bob Holly kicked out of Gold does Bulldog <laughs> finisher. <laughs> what a fucking asshole. <laughs> British Bulldog beat, beat Diesel by DQ. After the match, Diesel the referee and Jack not the Bulldog. Razor pin Sid. Who had t- DiBiase and Kid with him? After the match, Sid attacked Razor, powerbombed him. DiBiase stuffed some money in Razor's mouth. Hunter Hus Humsley pinned Henry Godwin his feet on the ropes. Ahmed Johnson beat Rad Radford in five minutes. Skip and Sonny came to the ringside with Radford. Ahmed Power drivered Skipper after the match. Skipper. Skip after the match. In the main event, Undertaker went to a double countout with Bret Hart in 27 minutes. The first 20 minutes were slow paced, but the final seven minutes were to be very good. Diesel showed his face near the end of the match and did not interfere. Martin Janine and 1 Gear was supposed to take place, but Kid injured his heel in a match earlier that week. The heel injured his now, heel? Yeah. Now, Dave noticed that most noteworthy for the entire tour was how often Bret Hart was booed in his matches against The Undertaker, and how Diesel was cheered when he attacked Bret at the end of many main events. Hmm. And this is the Northeast in Chicago and that type of swing. So this is an interesting thing going on here. The fans are liking the new Diesel. So, so there's that. Yes. Also, uh, interesting to see the difference in how the tickets are scaled between Pittsburgh and Chicago. That they drew yeah. so much, so many less people in Chicago for a much for a five thousand dollars bigger date. Yeah. Uh, Dave had one sentence about the tour. The shows were very long, maybe too long. <laughs> And well, there's only one Kama, crew, right? Yeah. Kama finished up this weekend, so there's the answer to your question, Bix. But he ends up working the Rumble anyway. Kid uh, missed the Chicago show, but expected to work the pay-per-view. Dean Douglas also expected to work the pay-per-view, although with a bad back going in. 
Well, he's at <laughs> That's the what... pay-per-view. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Vince McMahon was online after the December 11th Raw. Dave said he was less of a smartass this time. Well, the many people were complaining that he was dodging all the hard questions. Well, let's find out. As Wade Keller gives us the full rundown here. Regarding WCW signing the public enemy, McMahon said Ted Turner's a billionaire, offers large sums of money to talent just so they will not perform with the WF. Ted Turner continues to lose millions and millions of dollars in an attempt to drive the WF out of business. Even though we were interested in public enemy, the creative force of WCW will not have a clue as to how to market them. They had no original ideas at all. Since public enemy has never been in WF before, WCW would not be able to steal WF's concepts regarding them, as they repeatedly do over and over again. <laughs> it, how do you think a public enemy would have fared in 1996 WWF? Compared to what they did in WCW. Honestly, I don't think it would have been that different because they were pretty cartoony in WCW. They became that way. Yeah, They weren't original. You know what, though? Vince would not have let them break tables every match, though. Is the thing. They would not have been breaking tables, absolutely. And that's how they got over yeah. at the beginning of WCW. Yeah. So I think so. That, that's pretty self-evident. That Yeah, I think they made the right choice. Well, also... I don't think they would have made nearly as good money in WWF at this time. Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, when asked to ever be another Stardust Man event, McMahon said there are a lot, of, a lot of somewhat revolutionary concepts being discussed at this moment. However, again, I am not at liberty to discuss them openly because they would be copied immediately by Ted Turner's wrestling group. <laughs> this has got... I got to think that they're, they're thinking about doing the shotgun concept here already. Hmm... You know, revolutionary concepts. Maybe. It's well, it's a time. When, when did the, the weekly pay-per-view story first come out? I mean, it was in summer 96 or, or fall, early fall. So. so it was a lot later than this. But still, you know, Vince has things in his mind. And 95 so sure was, was really the year of them trying to refigure out pay-per-view adding the in your house shows adding the encore plus shows that's all 1995 yep yeah all right about the monday night wars mcmahon said i would be less than honest if i did not state that i was upset when terry turner chose to present its monday night show head to head with raw that showed no regard at all for the wrestling fans here in the united states boy that is fucking rich the postulation that ted is attempting to grow that audience <laughs> is absurd Billionaire Ted, it's his words, Billionaire Ted not only owns a wrestling company, but owns TV networks as well. He could place his Nitro show on any night and any hour if he wanted to grow the audience. Once again, if Ted has his way, he will tip the hurt WWE up by dividing fan loyalty and not offering his product on a network and at a time which would not be competitive. Once again, Ted and WCW have stolen an idea from WF. Yeah, uh, trying to drive your competitors out of business. They have made the Men Night Raw <laughs> one of the most popular cable companies ever. Eric Bischoff seems simply to be carrying out the greedy, selfish vitriol being there, Ted. Wow, you mentioned Eric Bischoff by name! Amazing. Okay, I'm curious, this is, though, is this a direct this copy so and paste, funny. or did it say Biscoff in the actual chat? Uh, it's you know what, what though? Vince way... probably isn't typing it, so it's whoever he's dictating it to is probably typing it correctly. But this is so fucking rich. From the guy who, you know, like I said, killed the territories yes. in 1984. I mean, ran against these territories in their their markets, uh, killed their TV. I mean, 
Come on, Vince. Good God. Yes. That said, we should note that as hands-off as Ted Turner was, by every account, head-to-head on Monday nights was his idea. Absolutely, yes. And as Guy Evans found out and taught everyone, Ted actually had the idea before the meeting with Bischoff. Yes. That wasn't Bischoff's plan. <laughs> no, and it's interesting, though. So is that shows how smart Ted Turner was, that he knew, seemingly, that when he asked Eric, what do they have that we don't, Eric would say primetime weeknight TV. Yeah. Or primetime on Mondays or whatever his exact answer was. But it was like a day or two before that they had that meeting where he slotted it in. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's very interesting that, you know, from Eric's perspective, he it's Ted responding to his answer, but it wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, hilarious. And regardless. All right. Uh, whether he would move Raw to avoid the head-to-head matchup with Nitro, he said, unfortunately, we do not own the networks and do not have the luxury of moving Raw on a whim. However, as a service of wrestling fans here in the U.S., if I had my druthers, I would choose some other time rather than divide the wrestling audience in two. I wouldn't mind being the first person to blink because in doing so, WF would once again display it's caring for wrestling fans. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, wow. That is amazing. That is rich. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, Vince saying this, though, I mean, it's the right thing to say. He knows what he's doing. He's, he's you know, greasing that wheel here. Yep. We're the underdogs. We're the underdogs. We, we don't have the infrastructure to compete against them. We can't do what they do. And at this time, I wouldn't say he has legitimate complaints, but there are elements of truth to certain things he's saying. They don't own USA. Yeah, I mean, he's right there. So they yeah. can't call the shots. But anyway. In response to the shots that Hogan takes a day off on Nitro, my man said, it hurts me. It's no secret I thought at one time the Hulk and I were close friends. I now know that was only a one-way friendship. Based on his comments, I would suggest he appears to be a very selfish and shallow human being who believes that he could con wrestling fans into thinking he is as great as he once was years ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man. Keep in mind all these people he's talking about are younger than AJ Styles is right now. <laughs> in regards to WCW portraying the giant as Andre's son, McMahon said it appears to be consistent with WCW's view that a sucker is born every minute. This giant should have been allowed to stand on his own merit. But unfortunately, his image will be tarnished forever with this blatant lie. WCW treats their fans like morons. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and also... He's right, though, in that yeah. regard. Let me see. But thankfully, they dropped that shit. They did relatively quickly, yes. Um, in 96 basically yeah i i i can't take it up right now it might actually be in the article i did when the big show excuse me boxing lawsuit happened excuse me in his deposition something about his dad and the andre thing come up and he talks about how maybe it wasn't deposition maybe it was an interview maybe it was both uh he said something to the effect of 
people will come up to me and talk about how much they love my dad. And I'll have to think about it for a second. Like, wait, my dad was an airplane mechanic. What are you talking about? And he's like, oh, they mean Andre. (laughs) He's saying this in like, you know, 2011 or whatever. Yeah. Regarding steroid testing. uh Uh-oh. My man said, yes, we have to maintain any strip policies related to steroids. Ahmed Johnson is no exception, nor is anyone else. I wonder when the last legitimate steroid test was given to anyone in WCW. <laughs> okay, so surely the question mentioned Ahmed, right? Yeah, I had to. It must have. I don't think... I gotta think at least in 95, Vince is smart enough to know not to do what he did there if, if Ahmed wasn't mentioned in the question. Yeah. All right, regarding Bill Watts, Bill has a great deal to contribute overall to the wrestling business. However, everyone can't have their way all the time. The art of compromise is extremely important in any business endeavor. Bill may need a few lessons in that regard. Nonetheless, we greatly appreciated all his contributions for the short time he was with us. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that tells a story there, doesn't it? <laughs> regarding ECW. Well, also, that's it, bullshit, though, because you told him he had autonomy. Yeah. Regarding ECW, McMahon said, to my knowledge, I haven't spoken to Paulie Dangerously in years. ECW is not my cup of tea. I believe it to be too violent. Well, Paulie Dangerously is not a real person. (laughs) And, you know, he he may not have been the one talking to him. We know who was, though. Uh, Yes, Sweet Brucey. Yes, we talked about that earlier in the show, as a matter of fact. Um, that's right. We regarding, did. regarding Ultimate Warrior, McMahon said, "In order for Ultimate Warrior to return to WF, the moon and the stars and the sun and the planet Pluto would ought to be perfectly aligned in some sort of celestial magnificence. But who knows? Anything could happen in the World Wrestling Federation." <laughs> yeah, that that's well, a hell all... of a way to say. Actually, we're negotiating with him right now. Yes. Regarding uh, the Ultimate Fighting Championships, McMahon said it's a completely different form of entertainment, WF. However, if the fans want to see a very boss saw wrestling, they'll know where to get it. ECW. <laughs> oh, like they aren't fucking working together. <laughs> Keep in mind, by the way, that because I don't think Heyman trying to send Public Enemy to WWF is reported at the time, right? No, not in that way. So... On, facially, no one has any idea that they have a relationship until the following September. But here, it's very obvious that they do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Regarding whether WF will get more hardcore 96, it depends on what you mean by hardcore. There's likely to be a, more, a bit more aggressive style. And there is. In his closing comments, my man said, I'm very proud that our website will debut somewhere around WrestleMania. You've been the first for WF. No doubt to be copied, however, by an inferior wrestling organization coupled with inferior online services. <laughs> okay, now, if I remember right, WWF.com doesn't launch till 97, right? Yeah, 97. So this ends up being way off track, and then it doesn't... WCW was before them, if I'm not mistaken. I, uh, yes, and then also, it's nothing of consequence until mid to late 98. Yeah. You know, it's it's all of the real content, so to speak, is on AOL until then. I mean, really, I would say the thing that put the website on the map was doing the spoiler for the Foley title win. 
And that's almost 99, basically, too. So Yeah, it's the last week in 98. But that that's a very uh, candid AOL chat by one Vincent Kennedy McMahon, wasn't it? Yeah, of the ones we've read, this is by far the most... Yeah, candid, I think, is the word. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, speaking of Vince, he was at the wedding of one Richard Glover, Dick Glover, who is now in the ESPN executive former Titan vice president and talked about Bruce Pritchard being the key force in booking the brother, brother low beginning a huge push. And they were going to introduce a hot looking girl as sister love. There was some speculation. It would be ECW's Beulah. If only because sister love was described as someone who opposed for penthouse. Okay. There's something well, missing here though. Is he talking about the chat? Is he talking about best day comment at the wedding? That's what I'm saying. Like what is it? Dave. That's no, but Dave... in the actual Observer, was this right after the AOL chat stuff? Um, yes. So should we read that as it was about, as that this was in the AOL chat? Even though Dave, did, even though Wade didn't mention it at all, I guess, yeah. And also, I don't understand why the, I guess he mentions the wedding in the chat? No. So just this is day, this is know, day, I it's know, day. but even by his standards. Don't, 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 even, don't, don't even try to explain it. But Don't okay, but, we, but we're supposed to read this as as Vince having said this about Sister Love, right? I guess that's just how Dave, Dave wrote it. So okay, that's interesting then, because that was always considered kind of a bullshit urban legend. But clearly, there's something to it. Yeah. Although also right. we should say too, though, I mean, they it could very well not have been Beulah because they used multiple penthouse pets in the next few months as Triple H's valets. Yeah, I guess. All right, quick hits. I'm Ahmed uh, Johnson. This is Dave. Is so strong and clumsy doing his power moves that guys who work long programs with are candidates for bat problems. Oh, that's prescient. The headhunters are looking hard at getting another WF and WCW this year. That goes well. Torch Dr. Tom Pritchard will join WF full time in January, but WF's not interested in Jimmy Del Rey due to possible pending legal problems. The Heavenly Bodies will finish up with ECW by January. Legal problems that he incurred while he was working for the World Wrestling Federation. Yes, which I gotta see if I can find anything. I mean, especially now that he's dead. If there's, if I can actually dig up, like, it was, well, it was a civil suit, right? There were no criminal charges, but no I gotta see if problem. I can find something. Because, like, it's, it's a story we've all heard. We feel like we know the gist. The, oh, <sighs> It was never clear if the woman said that Tatanka did anything or if she just accused Del Rey of some kind of sexual assault and Tanaka, Tanaka, Tatanka was supposed to be there or whatever, or I don't know. But clearly the thing, it clearly played out in a way where they felt that Tatanka didn't do anything and Del Rey did. Staying with a torch, and you mean all champion game maybe placed on newcomer, past Steve Austin and Jeff Jarrett, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the Lariat, Steve Austin's going to WF, was made necessary by the fact that he could not get a deal with the word Japan, which is interesting because that was one of the big things he mentions in the ECW promos. The people were speculating he would go to all Japan. Yeah, imagine how different the rest of the world is if that he gets a regular deal with all Japan and His doesn't go to WF. Even worse. Yeah, but there would be no stunt called Steve Austin. No. Stand with a torch. Parsh is a cost-cutting measure. Drug testing of wrestlers has been less frequent in recent months. While the wrestlers were tested on the last day of the recent house show tour, Chicago, 
There have been in the past where testing was infrequent, only to be followed by a string of frequent tests. And to close out, Shawn Michaels appeared on the Canadian Shopping Channel last week. He sold WF merchandise. The segment ended with Michaels body slamming the host for insinuating he was gay. 1995, everybody. <laughs> and Canada, Shawn, Canada, Canadians with Shawn Michaels too, insinuating that fix. Yeah, they're a lot, they're a lot closer to legal same-sex marriages than we are. But no, well, no, but remember, where was Shawn Michaels, Shawn is gay, chance the loudest? They would be, it would be in Canada, Canada probably. Yeah. Canada, Canada. So there you go. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Next week on Between the Sheets is a Patreon requested show by a friend of ours, Joe Blair, who will be joining us uh, as he put the $100 down to be part of the show. And he wants us to talk about 1990. So we have an interesting show there. Not a long show, but some interesting stuff. World Wrestling Federation. We got news on Andre the Giant's status in the Royal Rumble. Um, thoughts on how Vince is letting Dusty Rhodes leave the company. We'll talk about house shows. We got clips including uh, mounting early mounting vignette, Undertaker making his debut on Superstars, and Mr. Perfect regaining the IC title. So we'll talk about that. Japan's off, so we have a, a little bit of stuff to talk about, mainly uh, the future of the UWF and Akira Maeda. So we'll talk about that. We got Mexico. After their uh, year-end shows, we'll talk about that. We got a pretty big show in WC to talk about. And we got in- indie stuff, Herb Abrams, George All-Star. We got news on USWA, Global Wrestling Federation, how they tie with each other. Larry Zabisco on the AWA. We got Portland. We got an interesting new concept for a TV show involving Jesse Ventura and Lyle Alzado to talk about. But the main thing that we're going to talk about is Star K90 in St. Louis, the uh, Sam Mushnick uh, tribute Pat O'Connor Memorial Tag Tournament show. And uh, there's a lot going on here. So uh, we'll be talking about that next week. And uh, we have a very special Christmas poem to close the show up with. Oh, Bix probably you've never read that. Bix knows what I'm talking about. No, no, no. Oh, I'm not, adding any, Bix, no, I'm not saying anything else. Bix knows what I'm talking about, but it's a very, very special Christmas poem to uh, send us off with next week on Between the Sheets. And real quick before you All come right. off, though, um, I pulled up WWF.com on Wayback Machine. The earliest capture is from the beginning of June 97, and it's still under construction and only being beta tested. <laughs> about that? Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, again, we'd like to thank Taro for being on with us. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the peach state of Georgia.
looked up at the mountaintops, they all began to freeze. The sun gave her a cola till she said it all right. You can see it for yourself if you think that I'm a liar. God made the Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 62. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co host, David Bix and Span and Bix. We're about to embark on the latest of our multi show series on the Patreon, and this one is going to be one for the ages. Indeed. This is a wild one. And. When I was putting these notes together, I didn't know that we were going to have a guest joining us throughout, but uh, once we saw that, uh, his, well, not his name per se, but his promotion came up in the notes, we messaged him and realized he has a lot to share, so we are joined by the King of King Sportboat, James. You will only be hearing about this situation. I lived it. <laughs> so... I may be the first guest on this show that actually lived and was a part of the story. Yeah, on the Patreon shows, yeah. Um, and Well, Scott. Yeah, Scott Bowden. Yeah. Yeah. But um, there, you may not be the only one that would be part of this story. Yes, we may have some supplementary content that's, I'm guessing, tacked onto part two, probably. But, well, there'll be uh, yeah, yeah, there'll be other other voices and stories involved from other, from other people. So, but you have a unique perspective on this. Um, so, before we get started, uh, just well, we didn't talk say about, what the topic is yet. You should say that, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess so. I'm, I'm jumping into the show. All right. So, yeah. So, what we're talking about is uh, 20 years ago, we had a startup wrestling promotion. Based out of Evansville, Indiana, called Main Event Championship Wrestling. And the 
front man for the promotion was a guy by the name of John Collins. And uh, starting the summer of 2001, and the ride went for a little while. And, you know, I started thinking about this when I was doing notes for an episode of Between the Sheets. Uh, the last one we did for 2001, before the show that no, wasn't it when you were doing the exile notes? Exile notes, that's right. Yeah, I was doing wild side exile. You're right, you're right, you're right. So I was doing wild side exile notes, and I'm just reading this stuff that about Bill Barron, talking about John Collins and all this other stuff. And I was thinking, man, it's been 20 years. You know, we like to try to do anniversary type stuff on the show, it's still 2021. Let's do main event championship wrestling. Little did I know <laughs> that it would become, as of now, a 56-page note show. Yeah, it's insane. And that's only that's only part of it. That's the notes. That's not <laughs> stories from you. We have another interview here from NoHolesBarredWrestling.com. Interview John Collins on August the 10th, and Bix, you be uh, Jason. Yes. Joining us at this time is the owner of the newest promotion to hit the scene. He's the owner of MECW, Main Event Championship Wrestling, and he is John Collins, and he joins the No Holds Barred radio show today. John, Jason, and S.A. here. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing real good, my friends. How are you? Thanks for having me on your program. Not a problem. We thank you for your time. I'm tickled to death. Let's get right into the mix of things. The MECW, not to be confused with the SummerSlam, <laughs> has been creating a big buzz recently regarding some of the talents who will be involved with the promotion. What convinced you to launch the promotion and take it to the big stage? Well, I think we got guys like Buff Bagwell, Kurt Henning, Public Enemy, a lot of guys who are going to be at the ECW Arena tomorrow night. They built that building. Yes, when I think of ECW Arena, I think of Buff Bagwell and Kurt Henning. What better place to have our inaugural show? I couldn't agree with you more. It's a great venue to watch a wrestling event. A lot of great names, as you just mentioned, and two other names that are involved with the company are the Sandman and Tracy Smothers. What roles do each of them play in the MECW promotion? Sandman is booking and talent coordinator in the East, and Tracy's going to book us down in Kentucky and Tennessee. If you listen to the internet, though, Tracy Smothers quit yesterday. I was drinking with beer with him down in Nesville, Indiana, the Coliseum, the same night that new stuff was released. So there we go. That new stuff? Uh, Bo? Anything um, I don't, I don't remember. Well, obviously he didn't quit because he still, he was still with him. So yeah, I'm, I, but he would fly off the handle and cuss people out, and well, he, he might have quit and yeah, and came back. <laughs> that's Tracy. All right, Bix, uh, you're SA now too. Yeah. Whoever SA. Speaking of Smothers and those rumors, it was noted that he was in and then out of the group. His status is still good, right? It's been good. He never left. What were the chain of events that got this rumor out? I have no idea. I don't read it. People tell me about it occasionally, but you know, unless it's like an ESPN or something like that, I hold no validity to it. I'm the assuming ESPN. there's something missing here from the way they laid out the transcript, but... Yeah, ESPN's going to uh, cover Tracy Smothers leaving main event <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be on the crawl at the bottom screen. Uh, Thank you for the plug, John. We appreciate it. Not sure what the plug was. One obvious <laughs> issue is that in order to make it in you, wrestling, you did this. 
I, this is the exact transcript from their website. Okay. <laughs> so this is Jason's fault. Okay. Um, okay so yeah, where was I with this? Uh, one obvious issue is that in order to make it in wrestling, it needs to be on a stage where everyone can see it. As far as national TV deal goes, where do you stand with the company at this point? What is the process you will need to go through in order to get MECW onto the big screen? Well, we got three verbal commitments right now from national TV companies. Oh, my God. That's why tomorrow's show in Philadelphia is our pilot. There's going to be sent out, and you know, God willing, it's going to be okay, and Vince McMahon's going to have him a little competition here real quick. Sounds just like Herb here, doesn't he? Uh, a lot of ways, yes. We are the diamonds of professional wrestling, and they are the Sakodiabs. Continue. Now, John, what was the reason you decided to make the show Saturday night at the ECW Arena free for all the fans? The weather. 90 degree temperatures. I didn't want to, honest to God. I've said this from the first time anyone has ever spoken to me. We're going to be a friend-friendly company. The fans are actually doing us a favor by showing up to help us with our pilot. Why not let them in for free? Also, this shows he has no idea what the ECW arena is like, and that trying to pack a full ECW arena in record high Philly temperatures is in the 2001 version of the building is going to be a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. It's not like it is now, where it's nice and painted and air conditioners and all that. No. Mm -hmm. Imagine all those sweaty guys stinking up the building. Good God. Oof. The smell of B.O. Ugh. Well, that's what it said in Ring of Hell. That the smell of the ECW arena in the summer was not pleasant. Ugh. <laughs> it's unfortunate that not everybody does business that way. Because I think... Oh, God. You're going to have a packed house. You've got a lot of great names on the bill tomorrow night, who I'm sure are going to give a great effort. It's a shame that most that more people don't do what the MECW promotion is doing tomorrow night. Oh, yeah, lose money. Yeah, there's a shame that more yeah. promotions, This is me talking, not John Collins. It's a shame that more of these wrestling promotions aren't just giving their whole show away for free. Yeah. Fuck you, Jason. All well, right, again, maybe, laundry. But go ahead, John. Let me, be, let me be John Collins. You know, we're fan friendly, and that's really the bottom line. We want the input of everyone, and I'm really looking forward to coming to Philadelphia. That's exciting to me, and the fans up there... I hear the greatest in the world, so we'll find out in 27, 28 hours. We'll find out just how crazy Philadelphia can get. What do you think? I'm sure they will be pretty crazy. I do have to ask you, though, how bad is it going to hurt on Sunday when you wake up with a major death in your checkbook? What a great word to use, too, checkbook with John Collins. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. That wasn't my checkbook anyway. Anyway, uh, the way that we see it is we're still going to make money on the merchandising. What we're still fucking merchandising? <laughs> we're still going to sell advanced tickets for our September 22nd show at the arena. But after tomorrow night, hopefully they'll rename it the MECW <laughs> Arena. Oh, no. <laughs> Finances, that's just not an issue with us right now. The issue is to produce the best television pilot that we possibly can, get the fans of Philadelphia up off their feet, and just go crazy. Hey, we're not going to change them for a whole, charge them for a whole seat. We just want that little corner we're going to keep them in from the edge of all night. Oh, jeez. Oh, ah. Very good. I thought they already had a pilot. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. What was the point of this anyway? You're right, Bo. Uh, it's another pilot. Very good, John. When you look at the WWF slash WCW product, 
What do you think is lacking? What can MECW bring to the wrestling audience? Bottom line is, when you look up tomorrow night, the marquee at Viking Hollis is going to say professional wrestling. It's not going to say, owner, get over yourself. What? John needs to get over himself. No, it, mean, it means owner. Like, it says, Vincent, man, get over yourself. You're not this. Even though John Collins is basically someone who needs to get over himself, but continue. That's a great way of putting things. A lot of the complaints with the WWF programming center around the McMahons being too involved and not letting their superstars dictate what goes on. You know what would happen if I got in the ring with Kurt Henning? He'd kick my ass in 30 seconds and be over with. That's just the bottom line. There's no value for me getting in the ring. I don't want to be there. I don't need to be in there. I'm not the guy who brings in the money. The athletes, and that's exactly what they are. The athletes in the back provide all the entertainment for everybody. I don't provide any entertainment unless I'm drunk and staggering and people laugh at me. That's telling. He's been he's providing a lot of entertainment for this show so far. But go ahead. Well, we're glad you have that view on things because it does hurt TV. I think the problem with the World Wrestling Federation program right now is three minute matches, fifteen minute interviews. That's just what I think. If you don't have access to a Titan Tron, you pretty much can't see a lot of the program. I would think is that right or wrong? We're not about comedy. Tomorrow night, you're going to see exactly what MECW is going to bring to the table. We're going to bring good old fashioned wrestling. I guarantee you something right now. With New Jack, Sabu, Sandman, Public Enemy there, I think everybody in Philadelphia knows what's going to happen. Yes. When I when I uh, think of good old-fashioned pro wrestling, I think of New Jack, Sabu, the Sandman, and Public Enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are very extreme, and it should be interesting to watch. They're like little kids in a candy store right now coming out of Philadelphia. I promise you that. I've got to tell you, I did speak to Buff Bagwell earlier this week, and he indicated to me that he t- but he doesn't have a contract with WCW. What's his status with the company? Do you hope to sign him in the near future? From my understanding, he's still in a contract with the World's Federation until October 14th. <sighs> no, he's not, because he gave up the severance. What? <laughs> he and I will sit down at midnight October 14th, and as adults, we will sit down with a pen and paper, and we'll go with it from there. Think about Buff Bagwell. He's been in every MECW show. Has missed none. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, the problem child label that he's had, I've never seen it. He's been all company. He shakes the hand of every young guy he's met, gives the pointers of what they can do to get better in the ring. He's an all-around talent, just a tremendous asset to our company. I'm glad to hear that, John, because he does have that image of being a problem child. Well, good lord, a broken neck and 15 knee operations. If that'll make you have animosity to somebody, I don't know what the hell would. But you just said that he's not. <laughs> He's fucking insane. Keep going. Besides Buff Bagwell coming to the Federation, you've had some other big names. There's also some other big names out there. Who would you most like to have work in MECW that you do not have? And have talks begun with any of the following stars, such as Randy Savage, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, the Chinas, Jeff Jarrett's, those people are still out there, and those are definitely impact players in the biz- in this business? I would absolutely, you know, I've already heard the rumor that I've signed China. The fact of the matter is, I've never even spoken with her. I've spoken with Randy Savage on many an occasion. I've spoken to Terry Taylor on many an occasion. I've not spoken with Jeff Jarrett, but we very much entertain that option. Sting, I wouldn't entertain that option. You know, we're not going to bring in a so-called superstar, and I don't know how to word this without making someone mad because I don't intend to do that. I just think there are many, so many good young, talented professional wrestlers on the independent level right now. I've never had the opportunity to showcase what they can do. 
I'm not going to pass those guys over. You know, if some of these bigger names don't want a chance to come MECW and be a team player, we don't want them. I'll go get some of the younger guys to showcase what they can do because there's some, new, some of them out there who can flat out go. John, is there going to be a website available anytime soon for fans to keep up with MECW? Two weeks. Yeah, John, I've got, I got just one last question for you. What will it take to bring this company to the national stage and succeed where others have failed? The fans. We're a we company, not a me company. We can't do anything with 100% loyal support from our fans. They're the ones who, you know, pay the rest of salary. They take care of all the expenses. They make it possible for us to have a quality product. We have to cater them, and I think that we will. Well, I don't think. I know. We realize that, and that exactly is what we're going to do. We're not going to get. We're not going to falter from what we want. We're going to go from A and get to B. We're not going to skip anything over. But everything is based on the fans. Trying to re- figure out if I should read this in the terrible way that he typed it or not. I'll just ah, screw it. I definitely hope that it works out. And as a fan, hey, you're going to be there tomorrow night, right? I'll definitely be there with him. I guess he means Jason. Yes. I'm going to spend a lot of time myself outside tomorrow. I figured the fans got to stay out in 90 degree weather and wait for the doors open. I should do it as well. I'll tell you what, fans. You've got to love an owner who's willing to hang out there with you and basically go through the sweat you're going through in 98 degree heat tomorrow night. But that's what you're going to get with John Collins and the MECW promotion. John, one last thing before I let you run. I'm going to throw out five names. You give me a quick answer to each person. Oh, boy. The first name is Paul Heyman. Never met him. Vince McMahon. Don't want to meet him. Eric Bischoff. Never met him. Don't want to meet him either. Kurt Hennig. I can't hardly do that in the word, but Kurt Hennig is a tremendous human being, not just a professional wrestler, an asset to society, just for the type of person, the character the young man carries with him. Young man? He's 42. He's 43. You're close. 43, yes. How old is John Collins? Who knows? Bo never met him. He couldn't. He, he wouldn't. <laughs> it said. It said earlier thirty-eight. So he called Kurt Henning a young man when he's younger than Kurt. That's amazing. You're right. Was Was John Collins afraid of China? <laughs> well, he claimed to have spoke. He claimed to have spoke to everybody else other than her. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, maybe go ahead, Bix. And finally, MECW main event championship wrestling future we're hoping the promotion does well and we're going to be there tomorrow night to support it and we look forward to seeing your wrestlers in action talking with you tomorrow night at the ecw arena every fan of philadelphia spiking hall free show hitting bagwell sandman sabu and a few surprises you know we'll be looking for those surprises john you know what no i'm not gonna do it you should do it john come on john in my opinion one of the figure, one of the figuratively the greatest ring announcers to ever ring announce. Who would you say? Bobby the Brain Heenan, who I'm saying for some reason, even though you said ring announcer. Oh my God! Did someone leave <laughs> that out? Obviously, I inserted that last part. Uh, he's been a guest here on the show before. Is the Brain going to be in attendance? Because we're looking forward to seeing him. Yes, he is. King of the one-liner. I want to let the fans know one other thing. Our T-shirts are two, twenty bucks a piece. Tomorrow night's fan appreciation, 15 bucks across the board, no exceptions. $50 shirts are now $15. $30 shirts are $15. Philadelphia, buy them. Put them on. For the donation, the sale of the shirts are going to the Battered Women and Children's Center and the Betterment of Children Foundation. And it's a good cause to support MECW, and we'll come back. 
That sounds about as legitimate as the Italian American Society of Pittsburgh, California. <laughs> <laughs> Never, yeah, exactly. We'll right. be back on September 22nd, right? Yes, sir. Well, we're looking forward to tomorrow night in MECW's future. Thanks for a few minutes today. Thanks for having me on. Take care, John. Okay, brother. Bye. Brother, brother. Jesus he Christ. Also, he, he also had a raffle for the human fund. Humans helping humans. <laughs> also, on top of everything else, it's money marks and money marks because... Think about how expensive it was to have a streaming audio show in 2001. Who are Jason and S.A., Bix? They're just the hosts of No Hard Sparred Radio or whatever it's called. But who the fuck were they? I don't know. I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't remember the show, do you? I do remember it. I, mean, I remember the name vaguely, and that's it. Uh, let's see. I pulled it up a little. I mean, I pulled it up on Wayback to make sure I had the full transcript, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I see it, but I don't see any like, real na- names or anything. Okay. Well, or was it nhbwrestling.com, I guess, because no holds barred wrestling.com doesn't go- isn't on the way back. But anyway, so, Bo, what do you think of this interview? He, <laughs> he can't stop talking. Nope. And he. he... Uh, we already have a pilot. Now we're shooting a pilot. Uh, we're going to let everybody in free. I'm going to stand in the heat with you. You know, wouldn't it have been something if he'd got mugged while he was out there? <laughs> they couldn't have stolen that. He, he didn't have any money. They could have sold his checkbook again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.